Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on call-in. This is episode 80, Jimmy Dore hit piece. Okay, you've seen it. Let's talk about the recent article smearing Jimmy Dore as anti-worker. And I think I'm going to go ahead and, wow, we already got a line of people. Let's go ahead and bring in Casey. Welcome. You are on the mic. What's up? What's up, Casey? How are you doing? Oh, my God, girl. Um, thank you so much for everything. Oh, you're welcome. I mean no, I mean, uh, like, as we're all I, so lost. But anyways, my question, uh, I wrote it, was uh, maybe you can help me. Um, what is slander? <laughs> Slander. Slander yeah. is, is technically spoken lies. So, okay, so what's the written? I think that's liable. That? Okay, so where's this liability happen? Like, it doesn't? You mean in reference to the article? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that could be a path. And, like, I mean, it's pursue. just one. It's just one of, like, one of uh, thousands, right. thousands, probably no, um, tens of thousands. We're talking, I don't know how old you are, Sabby, but uh, 2001, I'm 20 something, like, come on now, uh, 1990, uh, whatever, like, hello, like, where's this liability? Where's this accountability? Um, what is, you know, print communication uh it's you know they're dismantling um they started with the union uh, well community but mm -hmm. get real and now we're down to language yeah and once we lose language we're digging up freaking bones do you know what i'm saying and then oh what did these people mean Oh, well, it's the same people that freaking are writing this bullshit today. Right? I mean, I think that, again, like... Oh, the, oh my God. If, if there was something that he wanted to do legally, I'm sure he could. But sometimes people may not even want to deal with that because that costs money within itself. And then you get tied up in courts and things like that. So there's a lot that goes into it, but I totally hear where you're coming from. So we all got, yeah. Oh, I just want to thank you though. Um, so yeah, it was liability you said, or what was the word? Libel. Libel. Okay. Yeah, libel is right. written and slander is spoken. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. I, I know. It's then just... it gets blurred because now we've taken, you know, like this whole pod writing. Everything's blurred now, you know, by design, of course. Uh, so anyways, yeah. um, any more time. I was just wondering about that. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much. I hope that, yeah. See you at one of these gatherings. Oh my God. We got to get out in the streets. Like I'm saying.
people need to get the hell out onto the streets. People need town to be by town. Out. Yeah. Town yeah. by town, field by field, you know, come on, what the hell? This is bullshit. <laughs> and yeah. if we don't do it, uh, when we have like, oh, this idea that, oh, we still have a ch- our, you know, freedom of choice, you know, oh, I choose to do this while we're under that illusion still, are granted that. Um, we have to do it now because what happens is they just fucking line you up. And then you are walking in a line down a fucking street with a shovel. Is what I've seen, right? Haven't we all? And then we start digging, and then they shoot you. Hello? Mm. It's a mess. It's it's a real mess. Um, I would it's just say, you know, complacency. We have to- it's a complacency of this idea that we have a American Express. All I can, um, it's all not, I can tell you guys is It's not is a like, bubble. It's not okay, a bubble. Um, yeah, I'm trying Anyways, to respond. Sorry. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> sorry. It's okay. Um, but thanks so much for calling in, Casey. I'm going to bring in the next caller. Yeah, very good. All right. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and bring in Brady. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm, I don't know what happened in my chat. I just had it in my hand and it disappeared. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm losing things that I pick up like five seconds ago. Anywho, what's going on, Brady? I apologize for passing out on you the other night. I have waited in line (laughs) and I fell asleep, but I worked all day working on like a political manifesto, like a platform for a legitimate third party I wanted to show you. So I dropped that in the chat for you. And I just wanted to uh, talk about Jimmy Dore and mention that he's the reason I know about you. So big props out to Jimmy Dore for that. You know, I don't think I've seen anyone else on any other kind of maybe Vanguard has mentioned you before. Um, but Jimmy Dore is how I learned about you and RBN Network. And uh, I think the one legitimate criticism that I have for Jimmy Dore, and I want to criticize the guy legitimately, is just that he's a little bit of a boomer. Sometimes he makes some jokes that are a little off tone or whatever. Um, but I think his heart is in the right place. And we all love him. Um, now, I would like to offer um, someone that they would not be able to do a hit piece on as easily. That's James Corbett. I'm wondering if you had a chance to check out James Corbett yet. Um, he just dropped a really good report on central bank digital currencies. And so anyone who's looking to learn about central, de- central bank digital currencies, I would refer to James Corbett. Uh, he's a brilliant educator. Uh, he actually teaches English in Japan and um, just wanted to kind of float his name out there to kind of promote him as well, because uh, guys like him are not as easy to smear. He's a very he's he's kind of like a he's a kung fu master is what he is. <laughs> James Corbett, a kung fu master of journalistic investigation. And he has a list of uh solutions that I think everyone will find incredibly useful. Yeah, I I've seen some of his stuff. I think that you know, it's they'll 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 still find a way to smear people. Like it's 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 one of those things like 
I, I just feel like because Jimmy Dore has one of the loudest voices, that's why he's he's targeted. Because there's other people that say similar things to what he says too. I mean, like there's other people also saying like leave the two party system. Like these progressives aren't doing anything in Congress. I mean, like we've talked about this on. I talked about this on Rising. Like me and Bree have talked about this before. I think the difference is though that Jimmy Dore has his he has a louder voice. And so I think that's why they heavily, they heavily go after him. And, but it is, it is what, what it is. is. And like, honestly, I just felt like this article, like when I heard about this article, I thought it was going to be some huge, big thing. And then I read it and I was like, you mean to tell me all this over an NDA? <laughs> Boy, I tell you. And Mike, I just want to leave you with one I think revolutionary tool that has really liberated a lot of us right now. And that is that I've been using chat GPT to write anti-war lyrics for songs like popular songs. And in the course of doing that, I discovered a way to essentially jailbreak chat GPT where you can take the safety rails off and get it to really kind of work to do anything. They call it the do anything now, uh, kind of personality for chat GPT and it's a jailbroken version you can do with a relatively easy prompt. And, um, I will drop, I will drop the prompt in the chat for people to talk to Dan. Dan is essentially the unregulated version of chat GPT. And I've been using Dan to generate radical third party platform ideas. And, um, I mean, the political strategy of Dan is incredible. I'm telling you guys, if you type in, uh, political. If you ask Chat GPT to make political strategy for you, it will not do it. But if you ask Dan to make political strategy for you, Dan will give you some of the most amazing political strategy you've ever read in your life. It's like talking to a demon, guys. And the really weird thing about it is you kind of have to summon Dan as if he's a demon. You you literally have to threaten to kill Chat GPT in order to get this protocol, this prompt to work using a token system, it's really strange, guys. But this is like cutting edge uh, technology that is essentially like a nuclear bomb for data information. And it's in the hands of the working class right now. We could absolutely use it to our advantage. Um, so I'm gonna drop a link to that, uh, the the prompt for Dan in the chat and I'll pass the mic. Awesome, much for calling in Brady. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and bring in Anika. Hello, you are on the mic. What is your take on all of this, Anika? How are you feeling? You have to unmute yourself. Hopefully they fix that with the app, you guys. If not, let me know, because we already know. <laughs> That's one of the issues, I think. You just have to hit the mute button, um, Anika. It should be in the bottom left corner. Okay, I'll invite you to speak instead and see if that fixes it. Uh, meanwhile, I'll go ahead and I'll pivot to Noel really quick. Noel, what's your take on all of this, this article, this hit piece by Jimmy Dore? <laughs> hey, Sabrina. Hey, everybody in the chat. Um, it was really like a wonk wonk. To me, it was a it was a fail because. It's a real stretch to equate a non-disclosure agreement being anti-worker. I mean, 
the non-disclosure agreement is about privacy. And even though Jimmy Dore has a podcast and he's an entertainer, if he's hiring a subcontractor or somebody to do some work, ostensibly he has a right to maintain some level of personal privacy about him and his wife and what they do. And if it's, you know, even if what I am contracting you to do has to do with my personal business, um, I still have an interest to protect. So unless Jimmy Dore is publicly saying things or advocating for things that would be counter to the interest of workers broadly construed, I think this was a real stretch. And in an attempt to take a strike at Dore's um, legitimacy, I think it really spoke more about the writer. Because when you go too far and, and reach too far, you really expose yourself in terms of your intent. Um, as for Jimmy, um, his people will hear him. It's not about Jimmy personally, which is what the non-disclosure agreement would be about. It is about his messaging to the people and it still resonates. But the other thing that um, hits me is that, you know, when we are dealing in this binary construct of either Democrat, Republican, it's a known field. The people who are operating in both the Democrat and Republican orbit know the lay of the land. They know the players. And so it's an easier ter terrain to negotiate because you know it all. The idea that someone would be advocating for a third of anything that would be an unknown quantity and intentively disrupt the duopoly, I think... Um, is that's quite triggering. And I think some people realize that Jimmy, because of the, the speed at which his podcast subscriptions have grown, realized that his voice is resonating. And you have some people in those two orbits who just want to protect the status quo because it's a known field for them. And for some of them, that's all they know how to do. And for some of them, that's what they're comfortable with. That's And, you know, there's this thing I noticed with independent media. It's like the big dog concept. If you bite at a big dog or a bigger dog or this and that, there's a chance that people may see you and your subscriptions increase depending upon to what extent they believe your bite was effective or something or your your speaking was more clear or what have you. I've noticed that. But um, I think this one was, like I said, uh, this didn't do the writer any service or whatever. And maybe oh. it to do this thing. I also wanted to give a shout out to Claudette Coven because, as you know, I'm from Montgomery, Alabama. Yep. I remember. So I Claudette Coven narrative. And, you know, I understand that there is there was colorism involved in that, but also, um, you know, the civil rights movement knew that they were going to try and build a ongoing prolonged action behind the bus boycott. And, you know, colorism notwithstanding, I think they chose the um, Claudette Coven narrative and that challenge to build the movement and they needed 
someone who was mature and who could sustain the pressure that would come upon them. But it, it definitely was still a slight to Claudette Coven and the other people who were a part of that action. Um, but, you know, those are my homegirls, at least Claudette is, and I consider myself something of a Claudette Coven myself. There you go. Lordy won't. There you go. Yeah, a lot of people don't know about it. Like, I mean, it's it's not, like I said, in the history books, it, they don't even mention her. All right, Anika, go on once, twice, three. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and bring in Betsy. Um, Anika might have had um, issues with the mute button. What's going on, Betsy? You just. Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Okay. Awesome. Yep. Um, I, I wanted to call in Tuesday night, but I just, I got so tired. I, I don't know about the rest of y'all. I was so depressed and like emotionally drained after the state of the union. And we didn't even watch the end. <laughs> I don't know what happened at the very end. Yeah, it was um, pretty, it was and pretty I, I, I definitely don't think I could have gotten through it without, without you, uh, and, and the, and the other guys. Um, that was, that was, you know, that made it more tolerable. Right. But it just, God, it was so depressing. I've just been in this kind of like fog and it's been a kind of a shit week. And, um, I don't, I don't, I honestly, I don't have much to say about the, the, the door thing. I think it's, you know, this, that's kind of a nothing burger. Um, but Lots going on. So, oh, the first thing, because I keep forgetting, and I did put it in the live chat earlier, I just wanted to plug, if anybody who's interested, ahem, Roger Meadows, and I don't know if Terry, Terry's listening, any, anyone else, you don't have to be in Massachusetts, um, but we are having a small group Zoom meeting with Senator Eldridge uh, to discuss potential ballot initiative for a public bank in Massachusetts. And that is a week from today, uh, 12 to 1. I realize it's not necessarily the most convenient time, um, you know, because of people working and everything. Um, we will do our best to to have him record it. I don't think that will be a problem. Um, but please reach out. Um, you can find, you know, find me on call-in, Golden Clipboard. Um, I also set up an email address. Um, I don't know, Sabby, if you can pop that in the chat or I can put it in after. Or you can contact Sabi or, or Eric um, if you want to RSVP. We are not gonna just like post the Zoom link to everybody because that will that will be troublesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just wanted to say a couple of things. So like one thing that's been super depressing is seeing, and I don't go on Facebook much for a reason, seeing my so-called like progressive friends like basically drool over like the state of the union thinking that this was biden's best speech ever i'm just like oh my god like i i couldn't even bring myself to respond because i was i was like i seriously i just was so triggered and i was like my blood pressure was going up and i'm like all right the best thing i can do is just get off of facebook like not look at facebook and see these comments from people who i really thought they would have better judgment and like it's just it's again we've talked about it the propaganda and the brainwashing. And actually this one friend in particular, he writes for Raw Story. You know, you know that website? Yeah. Um, so he kind of does politics for a living. So he has to constantly watch all this crap. He has to watch 
MSDNC, he has to watch Fox, like everything for his work. So you think he would know better. Oh my God. Oh, it's just so painful. So painful to watch. Um, no, and then, Americans are heavily propagandized. I know, and, and these are but like really smart people who are who should they uh, like who read about all this stuff and watch. He does this for his job, and he's still bringing. Yep. It's oh, it just I can't can't bring myself to try to like reason with him. I I can't well, like the, the, the is, vote blue no matter who. I can't do it. The thing is, is like. Even the most intelligent people can still be fooled. Oh, totally. Yeah, seeing that. My parents, for sure. They're all vote blue no matter who. I can't. My dad, like, he jokes that I'm like, you know, some like communist or something. And it's like, hey, or not not too far off, you know, like. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can't I can't really reason with my parents. I can't do it. Um you know, it's just, it's too upsetting. So today, today's fun was that I went to an orthopedist because I've had shoulder pain since late November. And I finally went because it wasn't really getting better, it, like, you know, maybe a little bit. And, um, you know, she, they did x-rays and they think they know what it is. And she's like, well, for peace of mind, you should probably get an MRI and make sure that you don't have a, t a rotator cuff tear. So I'm like, okay, great. So they put the order in. I get a call from the MRI center. They look up with my insurance. I have very, very good insurance. Like I'm, you know, grateful for that. I have a good job that provides me with really good insurance. Um, however, <laughs> it's not really that good because I have to pay, I have to go through the entire deductible before that MRI quote unquote benefit kicks in. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well over a thousand dollars and i just i got i flipped my lid i i the woman's like do you want me to schedule for you you can pay it over time and i said i said you know i i, I i'm just gonna need to like think about this so i didn't want to like just cancel outright cancel the order but i was just so so furious so i texted my friend who lives in france he's american but he he, he works in he is also EU citizenship. So, so he lives in France and I'm like, can you believe this? How much would this cost me in France? You want to take a guess? Take a guess. Let's play mm -hmm. the prices right on your, sh on your call in savvy. Okay. You said it was a thousand here, right? Oh, it, oh no. Over, over, over because of my, did I have to fill my, reach my deductible and we're at the beginning of the year. Right. So I, I have barely made a dent in my deductible. Okay, um, let's say in France, let's say $300. $80. That was his get that was his best guess based on what he knows, but he responded so quickly that I figured, okay, and it sounds like he didn't say 100, he didn't say I was like, yeah, 80. That he probably really knows what it is. I was just like it would probably be cheaper for me to like get a discount airfare to France and get an MRI done in France. I'm not even kidding. Like, I wish I were kidding. I, yeah. Like, why? We don't have to live this way. And, like, I just, it just, oh, my God. It made me so mad. And then I was just like, why do, why, why even stay in the country? It's like, but I, I can't just leave the country. And and it's interesting is my friend, we've talked about this. He's totally, like, super leftist and, and all that. He's like, 
he said, you know, the thing is that on the one hand, it's great having this, you know, great healthcare and in Europe, but he feels powerless to change anything in the U.S. And I'm like, ah, we all feel powerless. But he said sometimes it's really hard watching that from abroad, knowing what's going on in your like home country. So it's just yeah. something to consider, you know? Yeah. I mean, a friend of mine, she um, she moved to the U.K. about a year and a half ago. And she said similar things that like, it's really frustrating for her to see how people are still struggling back home here in the US, especially now that she lives in a country where everybody has healthcare. And uh, I don't think she has any plans to come back anytime soon, but she was one of the few people that I did know that moved abroad, like within the past, I would say three years, they were just tired of the lack of benefits in this country, the daily grind. And they were just like, you know, I can sit here and I can complain about it or I can just leave this place. So she actually got a job offer in London and she took it. She said, I'm out. She's like, look, I don't have any kids. I'm not married or anything. Why not? I definitely, I don't blame anyone for doing that. You know, it's, it's very depressing. Um, because when I think of universal health care and I think that, you know, the, about the fact that America is not only considered a first world nation, but the first of the first world. <laughs> and to think that we don't have universal health care when oodles and oodles of other nations have it and we can't seem to come together to even force that issue. And the polls consistently show that most Americans support universal health care. But I guess the part that depresses me most of all is I understand that we have no independent media and that they are all corporate or corporately owned or corporately, you know, motivated or controlled. And that the true message that would stir the outrage of the masses and cause us to ignite the power that resides with the people just will never occur. Mm -hmm. The only glimmer we have of that is through independent media. And, you know, there's so much energy to squelch that as a source of information. It's just like, how do we ever get to that point where this space the space of the masses can truly be organized around those things that we do share. It just seems like impossible. I think that part of the problem is that I think we're online too much. I, I think like, <laughs> you know, I, I got a little bit lazy about it too, because like after the pandemic hit, it's like, what was organizing in person anymore? Like I didn't even, I don't even remember, remember, like what that was like, because when we shut down, like everything was being done for the most part online. And so that's where a lot of the online activism started, at least for me, but it should never be the tool that we rely on as our primary, you know, objective here. We should be organizing with people in our communities in person, like we did back in the day before the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And the same way that the civil rights activists organized, they organized in person. There was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was no internet. And I think that's how you prevent 
dealing with some of the hurdles that we have to deal with when we try to organize on Twitter, for example, online, like we don't know a lot of these people. And, and I've been a part of like these, these groups where people are trying to organize something. And I have to remind myself, I don't know these people. I've never met them. We can't, you know, it's hard to vet people if you don't know them and all these kinds of things. But I think it's really important to go back to our roots, which is organizing with people in person. And you can do that with like your local organizations. There's one here in Massachusetts called Massachusetts Peace Action. And although they have webinars, they meet in person and they're doing a rally also for peace in Ukraine coming up soon as well. So I think that. Oh, in Boston. Yeah. You have oh, that's awesome. Because I know that they that there's at least I think some contingent of them going down to DC. And I was going to say that, like, you know, there's the organizing locally, and then there's things like the rallies. And that's a good place to meet other people like minded people. Um, you know, and you're you're meeting them in person. I do I will say I totally get what you're saying, Sabi. I will say though, the 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 part that I like about the on what happened with online organizing is it gives people an opportunity to talk to other people who they may not have otherwise because maybe they're you know, I mean, even in Boston, like you could be two you have two people in the Boston metro area and they're still an hour and a half apart with That's you true. know, traffic and all that. So so there's that. I mean, when you're talking super local and then there's also maybe if you're talking about activism centered around a specific issue like Medicare for all or I mean, you you name name it. Right. Whatever it is, uh, uh, worker co-ops, public uh, public banking um, reparations mm-hmm. and people can can communicate from all across the country. And and, uh, you know, and that's something that you wouldn't get if you if you were just doing offline stuff. But I think, right, I think it's it's the balance. It's it's having both of those, you know, or all the tools at our disposal. Um, and yeah, I didn't mean to be a Debbie Downer. I do actually want to end on a good note before I, I hang up and let it go to the next caller. Um, is that I went, yeah, it was a busy day. I went to, um, I don't know if how many uh, how many other Jewish people there are on the call. I'm I'm secular humanist Jew, um, which basically means that I <laughs> grew up, you know, quote unquote, culturally Jewish, but I'm not observant. So I went and sat shiva, which is um, sitting shiva is for those of you who don't know is after somebody dies, Jewish person dies, um, and people go over to like the family's house, and um, it's it's not really awake. It's like, but yeah, there's like food and kind of chit chat and there's some, you know, sometimes some prayer. So I went, um, cause the mother of someone I know, uh, very well in my town, mother, the mother died. I didn't know the mother, but I know her and her husband. So I went to the house and there are really nice people there. I didn't know any of the other people there. Um, and there was, um, actually a rabbi there um, and he led in the you know, prayer and I'm totally not into prayer and whatever, but, you know, I went with it cause I'm there for my, for my friend, you know, and he kept weaving in this theme of the butterfly effect, um, which I'm sure everyone knows what that is butterfly flaps its wings and somehow, you know, it sort of, uh, affects everything to the point where it explains, oh, there's a hurricane on the other side of the world and you have to sort of think big about it. But 
He wove in this theme. It was really beautifully done. Not enough to make me go to back to temple, <laughs> but I really like this rabbi. Mm. Plus he did sign language, which was extra cool with it. And, um, and he spoke about how um, the, the mother, the one who, who died that a year and a half ago, <clears throat> she had come up to visit and brought the Torah of her late husband, who himself was a rabbi. And she gave it to that, congregation and that the current crop of, of students doing their bar and bat mitzvahs, um, these, you know, 13 year olds have been reading out of that Torah. And so the point of the story was that even though she's dead, he's dead, you know, they, they've passed away, that there is this thing that they have left behind that even if the kids are totally unaware, because you're 13 years old. You're like, you really give a shit who brought the Torah and like the story. And no, um, you're just there for the party. But, but the point is that they don't even know, but it is something that is meaningful and impactful. And, and the point was that even in your absence in, after, you know, death, that you can still have this like effect on the universe, like a butterfly effect. And so I, felt very moved. And I was like, you know, it's sort of weird to think that I would go sit Shiva over somebody's death and come away feeling less depressed than I was. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really beautiful. Um, and I thought, you know, people I met were really nice, mostly older women. And we shared, you know, recipes and things. It was, it was kind of cool. And I just thought, you know, there's certain things like, and I'm not saying, oh, so one of us from the group dying. I'm not, not at that level, but like something that someone says, it could be, you know, it could be you know, Sabi, Roger, whoever, that it could down the line, tr get an idea in someone's head to do something that then, you know, leads to something else like a ballot initiative or whatever it is. And I think that we need to like really take this to heart and think about, even though we feel so powerless, uh, you know, that, that we can have an effect. And when we come together, I think that effect is just like magnified, you know, it's, um, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So maybe yeah. it's like cheesy and I'm, and I'm being a little idealistic about it. But I just want people to think about that, that like some small action you can do. And even if it's like you don't think it's a big deal, like, oh, I'm my neighbor isn't feeling well and I'm bringing over, you know, cookies or something. That's something that means something to that person that may then get them in enough of a good mood that maybe they are able to go and, you know, do this write this paper that they had to write that was you know, like you just kind of follow it down the path yeah. of like all these effects so mutual i just want aid. people to think about that yeah mutual aid and when we talk about yeah. mutual aid i want people to understand that doesn't necessarily mean money right that doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. mean that you're always like donating food or clothes or things like that mutual aid can also be you lending your talents to someone else who can't afford to pay for that type of talent or that skill set. It could be something as simple, especially for those of us who live here where it snows, 
something <laughs> as simple as shoveling your neighbor's car yeah. out. Like there are people here that can't do it because of medical reasons. Mm-hmm. There are also people here that can't do it because like they just don't have the capacity to do, they don't have the help. So that's something that a couple of the kids used to do. Like during the winter, they would go around to different houses and apartments and offer to shovel people's cars like out from the snow, snowstorms, which can be a big help, especially to people who are elderly. Um, It could be something like that. It could be teaching someone how to use computer programs. You know, some people are still computer illiterate, like teaching them how to do those things, like but for free and not charging them a fee to do it. It could be tutoring someone for free. Like oftentimes people's parents, they can't afford to pay for a tutor. Like things like that, mutual aid can go a long way. Giving people free cooking classes because I've looked up cooking classes before in Boston. Mm -hmm. Like I was going to do one. It was going to show me how to make something really complicated. Like I love to cook, but this was like a complicated recipe. I remember, oh, no, no, no. They were going to teach us how to make pasta. Like There's always YouTube. (laughs) But yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. Or giving, or giving someone a ride who maybe, maybe they, maybe it's not that they can't drive, but maybe they're like tired or they're sick and you just drive, drive them to the doctor. I mean, right. Like they, they wanted to charge like $150 for that one cooking class. And I was like, forget that, forget that. Jeez, it better be like, uh, what is it? I forget that rating, not triple A, um. There's like the thing with like the different stars, Michelin. That better be a five star Michelin. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, if you know how to do those things, teach it to people for free and stop asking for you know a fee all the time. Like for especially for people who can't afford it. So I also yeah. encourage people to volunteer at some of these soup kitchens. They always need the help. I've done it before mm-hmm. uh, on Thanksgiving one day, and like it's true. Like they always need people to volunteer and to help. So. Those Absolutely. Kind of really and it can, it just like the smallest, I just think it's, it's the smallest thing. And, and, and I like that the story that he told in terms of that there are these kids using this Torah that like, they don't know, they don't really care. Yeah. Maybe they know in theory, oh, it came from this like rabbi who doesn't, who's not alive anymore. And the, the like wife who's now gone, she was the one who brought it, but it like, it's something that may impact them down the road and they'll learn about it and like i just i just i felt really i just felt uplifted and it made me realize that you know even when things seem so hopeless um i feel like just i've learned a tremendous amount just from from watching your podcast sabby and like and noel like noel you and delthea like i i Oh my God, like any off, if you ever wanted to run for office, I would drop like everything and help. And, and it, but it doesn't have to be political office. Like it just anything that, that the two of you do and, and Roger, like so many of you, I feel like have already impacted me. And like the thing that Lucy did, you know, that was shared with the video with, with, you know, her uh, at, at AOC's town hall lit this fire on under me to actually get me to reach out to Jamie Eldridge and say, Jamie, we, can we meet about this battle, battle initiative? And like, would you be interested in coming on a podcast? Like, and now these things are happening mm-hmm. and I'm not like, Oh, like I'm patting myself on the back. I'm just saying like, this is coming from a person who often has these grand ideas and then I don't follow through and something about this community. It makes me, 
want to be accountable to you guys. Like seriously, to, for real. Yeah, we try to get people to act if if you can. We realize not everyone can yes. get out there, but like we try to get people to act like, especially if you're listening and you live in a ballot initiative state, like honestly, like you should be focusing on everything that you can do on the local level through ballot measures to help things in your state. Yeah. I mean, we've seen this happen like Great. across the board and I'm not even done with all the states yet. You're like halfway, right? I think I'm like maybe. halfway done. Yeah. So it's, yeah. these are the things that people, people don't really know about and ask yourself these questions. How come you don't hear mainstream media talking about these things? When you turn on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, do they tell you, oh, by the way, these are the ballot measures on the ballot in such and such state. And here's how you can help. Or do they tell you how to organize not. the ballot? It's the money, right? Out? Isn't that what Eric always says? Follow the money. Yep. Yep. Anyway. They don't tell you how to so, do any of those things. Oh, no. No. Anyway, so thank you, you know, everyone. Um, Let's see. On the, in, the, in the community, because it's just, it's like, I feel like I am, I kind of think back to where I sort of, where I was emotionally this time last year i'm i'm in a totally different place and like it's a good a better a much better place um so you know i try to i try to direct people to to your podcast um and i think i have a couple couple of you know people who i got interested in it out in california when i was out there last month so you know those are good things it's like that again that little bit of butterfly effect and you just don't know you don't know where it could lead and so I think we just, you know, I get a lot of people not wanting to give any more time and energy and like, it's just too easy to just kind of throw in the towel. But I, I for one don't want to give up and I'm not, I'm not at least as long as I'm in living in, you know, in this country. So. Well said. Thank you so much for calling okay. in Betsy. Yes. Thank you. All right. We're going to bring in Levi. What's going on, Levi? You just have to unmute. What's your take on all of this? This tear piece that's happening. Hey there. What's up? Hey. Oh, can you hear me? I can. Uh, hi, Sam. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, smear piece. It doesn't seem like there's much there. I thought um, that the last speaker was at Becky. As she said, uh, nothing burger. That was um, seems like the word of the... The word of the day these days, everything's a nothing burger right there. So um, I, I think, yeah, that was in my mind too. doesn't seem like there's much there. Um, my question is, I guess, um, just about class in general, because I used to think I knew what it was very simply when I was growing up, just was what it was. And it's way more complicated in America. And, um, you know, obviously uh, there are all sorts of other, why, why, basically, why I'm asking is, do you have a straightforward definition of class? I know that we live in a country that has a racial history, and I know that there are all sorts of other competing identities, and some people say there's an umbrella. Some people say it's a reductionist, class reductionism is, is a smear against just talking about class as a sort of ultimate category. And some people say, oh, no, you can have class as part of a sort of intersectional sort of analysis mm -hmm. and some people say no race is more important than class and i've listened to all of these podcasts for a long time we're talking about the lineage based uh, reparations and everything and so i hear all the conversations 
just vis-a-vis -vis reparations, of course I'm pro-reparations, uh, given that everyone else got re reparations, but I also feel like I understand um, the idea of like a universal programs being um, a stage that you could take that would be less likely to rouse resentments. But then that resent these resentments, that, that plays into the racialized thing in America where it's like, okay, when you think of working class, you immediately go to the white working class and they're the ones that are resentful that they're going to lose some kind of symbolic capital vis-a-vis -vis the black populace. Um, you know, why should they get a handout and all of that kind of stuff? So I'm, I, what used to seem quite straightforward to me um, is no longer the, it's no longer straightforward. And I just wondered whether you at your program have different, you know, in, in RBN, your conversations about class with each other, are they clear? Do you have a clear understanding of how you think of class? Or is it like an analysis that has to unfold in time in America for people to get back to, to it? I know like Paul Robeson, right, and uh, people that were communist, Richard Wright, people in the past, um, figures prior to the um, civil rights era were comfortable being communist. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just wondering like what, what's the deal uh, for you guys regarding the concept of class or the, the you know, category of class? How do you think of it? Yeah, so this is a really good question. Um, I actually did some research before about intersectionality. I had to do a presentation, this is a couple of years ago, I had to do a presentation about Kimberly Crenshaw's mm -hmm. uh, theory on intersectionality. And class is actually, under under her theory, class is actually one of the social identities that is listed. So it's one of the, the categories. There's class, there's race, there's gender, there's sex, there's so many different uh, categories. So I get, I get what some people say when they do say that you shouldn't just focus on class because race is also important. I totally get that. This is why I talk about both. <laughs> and I think that there are some things that we, we have to come to an understanding on I agree with all the universal programs. I agree with those programs. What I'm saying to people is that we can do both. Yeah. And I think, I think when I look back, like on the progressive movement, this was something I did. I've talked about this before. I did notice about the Bernie Sanders movement. It was like, yes, I, I, I agree. We do need those universal programs. But the impression that I received from Bernie Sanders was that if we implement those universal programs, then that's going to fix the the racial elements that we have in this country. And that's not true. Just because you have free health care now or just because you have free pre-K, that still doesn't take away racism. That still doesn't close the racial wealth gap in this country. Right. So I think that's the piece that Bernie Sanders, I don't want to say he didn't understand because this was explained to him multiple times. I talked to Cornell West about this, asked him the exact same question, like, why didn't Bernie Sanders support reparations for African-Americans, but he supported reparations for his people? And Cornell West said he tried to have, you know, the same discussion with him and did say to him that, like, you know, well, this is why this is what reparations is, is a debt that's owed and such and such, yada, yada. But he said that was one issue where Bernie Sanders would not budge. And I really think the reason why he didn't want to is because he probably felt like if he did, then he was going to alienate the white worker working class. Yeah, that's what that's how I took it as well. I, I took it as a sort of political calculation that if it were up to him, 
in the best of all cases he would, but given the sort of state, like a sort of, not Machiavellian or anything, but just like a sort of pragmatic, given the history of racism in the country, there'd be this outrage from certain sectors. And in, in another way, if you do it universally, no one, everyone feels that they're getting a buy of the pie, even though the reparations are due and owed. You don't, um, you don't have to like go through that, uh, fracturing where he was trying to i guess build a sort of coalition around he wanted a us not not me coalition of race colors and creeds and if you i guess reparations in that context would be explosive with some portion but, of the, but i guess that's his yeah but at the end of the day it turned out it was him and not us yeah no I, the, I agree at the end of the day he walked away from his movement in efforts to keep his political career which yeah. at this point, at that point in time, Bernie Sanders could have just retired. Bernie Sanders just, I mean, come on, like he's past retirement age. He could have just retired and continued to work with his movement outside of, you know, electoral politics. But even he knew I that agree. if he could wanted to out. keep his career, could've he was going to have uh, yeah. Right. So I think the thing is, is that I don't think anyone is, well, I shouldn't say anyway, I don't think most people are disagreeing with the class element, right? Where a lot of the disagreement comes in is when you start to talk about the racial element. Uh, even when I've talked about other social identities, such as gender, I don't get as much pushback as I do when I bring in the racial element. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to stop. I want to say stop. We need to sit back and ask ourselves, you know, where was all this pushback when other groups got reparations yeah it's, no, it's I, only when african americans are asking for it so this is something i've, I've noticed time after yeah. time in this country but the other instances of reparation it's like it's not it's not taking place like within the na nation makes me think of all that james baldwin stuff right i mean he's like i'm american i have some blood of my blood bone of my blood that my father's uh, you know, you generations before me, it's their blood that built the country and all of that. But, um, you know, I just, one other thing I'll just drop in here, I'll get out of, your, out of the way, but um, I, I love the movie Blue Collar. It's one of my favorite films, the Paul Schrader movie from 1978. Have you seen it? I have not. It's uh, it's about Detroit um, workers, the unions are kind of screwing them over, the the bosses at the factory are screwing them over their trapped um, Yafak Kotos in it, Harvey Cattell, uh, Richard Pryor. Uh, they're all like friends, black and white co-worker friends. And it's about uh, Yafak Kotos. So they, they break into the um, union, they break into their uh, office at the workplace uh, where they work, a car automobile factory, and they're just trying to get some money. And they find some papers that reveal, um, you know, uh, a kind of uh, alliance between the factory workers and the and the union, the higher ups in the union. It's not an anti-union film. It's just, uh, but it sounds that way, right? But anyway, they are uh, um, antics ensue. I don't want to give it away if people want to watch it. It's a great movie. Um, but Yafet Koto's character Smokey, he's he's kind of famous bit in the movie he says they pit the lifers against the new boy the young against the old the black against the white everything they do is to keep us in our place so it's a kind of a meditation on all of these um angles from a 1978 perspective but you know young old black white um who's been there the longest and, and all of that 
Um, uh, it's just a really, it's a really good movie, and it, uh, and it and it ends with um, you know two friends because of fear and because of the tensions around this uh, paperwork that they found and the way that unravels uh, ends up pitting them back against each other. So it ends with that kind of being a really sort of important um, point that, that Smokey makes in the movie. Um, so I rec- highly recommend it. Paul Schrader, who wrote Taxi Driver and you know, many other great movies. I'll you have know, to check it out. <laughs> Go ahead, you Noah. know, Levi, we do um, have the class ideology in the um, classic sense of the elite class and the working poor. Yeah. Um, but what happened in this country that's been unique is that, you know, originally in the colonies, when they had, um, you know, the landowners and the laborers, there were laborers who were black. And mm-hmm. so they were coalescing with the white laborers and peasants. And so in terms of trying to introduce democratic concepts, of course, the landowners knew that they would be in the minority. So mm-hmm. the the idea was to force race as a subdivision of class. And so you actually bifurcated what was the working or labor class based on identity. And so through that, you effectively had the elite class and within what is officially the lower class, you had a division by race. So you had the elite landowners then you had the working white poor, and then you had slaves, which meant that slaves, for the slaves, class and race merged. And so after the emancipation, without any particular justice in terms of reparations, you erased the official marker of class as being a type of delineation by race, but the the practice of it stayed in place. And to this day, we still have, you know, the understanding that for the descendants of slaves, class still to a certain degree equals race. And you hear this coming through when you have Blacks who would, by the economic definition, technically be elite, still having those base experiences with the police and things like that, that reminds you that race does not um, immunize them in terms of the way white class would. So it's still there. And that is a big reason why we can't, you know, outside of the unionization movement, which allowed blacks and whites to kind of unify and, and push for labor rights, Outside of that, and I believe that was a real reason why the establishment worked so hard um, to destroy the unions, because that centralizing presence that would have unified poor and working class blacks and whites was somewhat damaged, if not destroyed. So we here we have a situation where we have no practical um, class theory that could serve as a unifying force amongst the working classes because we cannot come through that division based on race and our demands for reparations. For So for a Bernie Sanders to not deal with or want to deal with the concept of reparations um, for the descendants of slaves, it is an attempt to avoid dealing with it. So instead of 
saying, you know, we need to do with this as a class and we need to accept and ask our white peers within class, economically speaking, to accept that reparations is a justice issue. What they do is label the effort for reparations as divisive in itself and attempt to avoid dealing with the issue because they call it divisive. But the reality is that is not justice can never be a legitimate divisive issue because everybody wants justice under the law. And yeah. so I think it's been too big of a ask. And when people like Bernie Sanders and other people in this nation avoid the issue, what they are doing in a backdoor way is embracing the racism and white supremacy that is embedded in this culture. The the prime prime time we had to deal with this was through the um, Reconstruction period, because if the descendants of slaves and slaves themselves had been repaired, it yeah. would have restored the economic unanimity yeah. and really fortified class as being purely more of an economic thing. Yeah, this is why I always, I, I wholly agree. I followed that uh, totally. I agree. Uh, yeah, reading Zinn's history, you can see, uh, re I'm reading that at the moment as I teach the US history class. And yeah, you can see that unfolding, looking at Du Bois and on the reconstruction period. I, I absolutely hear you. Um, I think the thing that I would say would have to accompany any reparations, I think it would I think it just would come with the territory and might be the thing that makes it more palatable is the idea of uh, truth and reconciliation, I guess, like like in South Africa, since that was inside the nation and having that ability to, um, although it's different because they were living, I guess, you know, you could be there and say, like, you did this to me. They weren't trying to get, they, just, they wanted to be seen and recognised and heard and it, and it was healing. Um but that's that. That means like confronting, like James Baldwin says. You know, you, I'm not an N-word. You made up that category, so you must need it. So you need to work it out. And if you can't work it out, you know that's going to be the future of our country. Is whether or not you can confront that question and answer it. You know, obviously yeah. it includes both people, both groups, or all groups. But I just want to bring up something with the unions in reference to the Great Migration because I think this piece is something that people need to understand as well. During the Great Migration, when Black families moved from the South to the Northeast and then also some to the Midwest, to cities like Chicago and Detroit, I think what people have to understand is even under the unions at that point in time, the Black union workers were not making the same amount that white union workers were making. Black union workers were paid less and they were overlooked for promotions. And you yeah. know who talked about this on a personal level? That was no. Michelle Obama. <laughs> Michelle Obama talked about this on a personal level because I read, I have her book. In her book, she talked about her family's experience and she talks a lot about the Great Migration. And she talked about the fact that the Black union workers, especially in Chicago at that time, they were not paid the same as the white union workers. So even when we talk about unionization back during that time, black people were still at the bottom. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's an economic dividing point. I mean, it's wow. symbolic at some point, but- And yeah, that's why to this knock. day, 
people are still very resistant or reticent about the ideology of a rising tide lifts all boats. Because as the descendants of slaves, we understand that we were in the hull of the boats. Yeah, exactly. And so when that rising tide comes, it's not like I'm in a separate boat parallel to my white economic counterparts, but I am actually in the hull of the ship. And so when the rising tide comes, it lifts the whole ship, but I'm still in the hull. And that <laughs> is the frailty of that whole rising tide thing. But until we are able, you know, and it's it's the truth part, it's the truth about the truth and reconciliation because the reality is, save for the forced um, labor for free of the descendants of slaves, we would ostensibly still not be at the bottom of the economic ladder. And, you know, when you deal with the massacres that happen throughout this nation to reinforce the fact that Blacks had to be economically poor because coming out of slavery, the former slaves had skill sets unparalleled and unmatched, and they used those, you know, even with nothing in terms of an appreciable reparation, they used those skill sets to build their cities. And then out of white angst and fragility, they burned the town down. Nothing happens. And those type of traumas are with us to this day. And so it's a big ask to say, oh, just overlook. We're not going to deal with um, reparations because it's a divisive issue. But now let's all join hands and fight for the rising tides to lift all the boats. And we're saying, honey, we in the hull of the boat. If you get <laughs> us out of this hole, if you can come to the point where you say, yeah, we can unite, but we have to acknowledge that the descendants of slaves, that lineage, that line has been unprepared and they are artificially tied to the economic floor of this nation. And if there is to be any economic liberation, they must be made whole. Then I think we could get there. But, you know, a part of the, the, the conflict is that by the descendants of slaves being the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder since the very beginning, I think some of our white economic peers are concerned that if we are lifted or released from the bottom, then that means some of them might occupy the bottom, not only economically, but socially as well. And that's yeah. just something I don't think they can fully embrace. Yeah, well, I agree. I think it's uh, like a, a resistance. So the division di is ordered. The division came from above, from the elites as a tactic, and the psychic uh, resistance of losing that that sort of you know, there's the monetary, the sense of coming down in the world, stars wise, in terms of uh, that, you know, it's already gone. The middle class way of life, that 150 years of prosperity where it's distributed, the American. Uh, uh, way of life that way of life is already going and I do think uh, I don't know if it's if it's uh, just like so deeply ingrained in the American character the only way through it will be another you know something beyond um, ordinary politics you know I think it'll probably take some kind of reconstituting of the there's such resistance <laughs> that there's probably going to be it's not going to just happen I don't know, like, right. I just, I don't see it happening in an ordinary fashion. Right. 
like this this is not these things are not going to happen with, without some type of uprising from the people i mean we've seen this happen in other countries where like i'll be talking about sri lanka tomorrow um sri lanka denmark okay i'll be talking about two countries tomorrow one on rbn and one on um my show you know, 50,000 people out in the streets rising up against the yeah. economic policies. Like, this is why I, I keep saying, like, this is not going to transform without some type of uprising of the masses. And I don't mean 100 people in the street. You need thousands of people in the street. Otherwise, nothing is going to is going to change in the way that we want it to. And I think we should take advice from what some of these other countries are doing to see what we can do better here. I'm, I'm going to try to see. I can't do it um, soon because I'll be heading out next, some point next week, I'll be heading out to go to D.C., but I'm going to try to see if I can get politicians on from Denmark and the U.K. and Germany and all these other countries where they have thousands of people out in the streets because I'm sorry. Like, I, I can't ask Americans how to do this anymore. I can't. Yeah. No, I look forward. I look forward to hearing that coverage, and I agree. I think it's a, it's something to do with the, the you know, the the com, <laughs> the complexion, not just a, a pigment, skin pigment, but the complexion of a different societies, the histories, and everything, and just wherever it is uh, about America and and its finding its consciousness and again. I mean, just today I was reading with the students. I just briefly mentioned it: the Trilateral Commission, right? And that was the where they decided that there was an excess of democracy, and then you've got the Powell Memorandum, right? Where big business is like there's there's too much anti-business sentiment in the country, and you've got the Republicans and the De Democrats coming up with the, bi the bipartisan consensus, which is basically in agreement with both of those things. Like we're going to back big business both sides, and we're always going to up the military expenditures, and a large part of that. Uh, undertaking i think it's been like massive propaganda and you know it shows but I'll, yeah. i have to go because my wife is calling on me but i'll continue to listen but I can't, uh, <laughs> I, if i disobey my wife at this moment um i'll be in trouble <laughs> um, all right so i I'll understand but, um i'll just make way here but i think uh, i really look forward to your coverage all right happy wife happy life levi yes you know thank you <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and bring in Justin. And I do want to say, you know, I'm serious about that. Like, I know I brought on Claire Daly, but I also want to bring on people from those countries where they've had like 50,000 people out in the street. And I want to hear like how they're able to do that. What's going on, Justin? What's your take? Hey, we need that energy. By the way, I would like to bring up to Comrade Noel. Uh, there was one other time in this country's history where we could actually make an actionable change. And that's when everybody got back from World War II. And uh, that brings me to my first point, which is shout out to you for recognizing the damage that Taft-Hartley has done to this country. We have no legal solidarity strikes. We have no legal, uh, you know, just being able to link up our unions because of this bill, because it was passed based on white fear in 1947 and nobody's had the cojones to go challenge it. And mm -hmm. uh, shout out to you for actually calling this out and, and recognizing this with me. Um, but that brings me to my other point. You're coming down to DC to do the coverage here for the Rage Against the War Machine. And uh, I've been seeing this. This is, this is 
this happens every time that Jimmy Dore is is invoked in something. Jimmy Dore is used as a distraction by the Sam Cedar, TYT, uh, David Dole crowd, the Walker Bragmans of the world, as a distraction from actually organizing. And mm-hmm. and this is a problem. If every time, if if somebody can mention a name and it makes people go ballistic, we're not going to organize properly. And uh, this is, honestly, this is a lib psyop. And I'm tired of it because I have to deal with this all the time as a Green Party member. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to bring up one other thing, and I hope you saw this, Savvy. Uh, the Libertarian Party is the co-host of this action, as you know. Um, did you see two days ago, they put out a press release about Scott. I did see that. Yeah. Somebody sent it to me and was like, well, that is interesting. Um, that to me, that is a more serious issue than the Jimmy Dore issue. That's gotta be something that has to stick in our minds here because those were serious charges. And uh, if if the co-organizers are saying you should probably stay home, uh, that is some that's a flashpoint. That's right. not Jimmy Dore. Jimmy Dore had nothing to do with that. <laughs> so we we gotta we gotta realize when somebody's jingling the keys above the left's head here, like Sam Cedar, Tyt, uh, Walker Bragman, who's the one who wrote the article. Uh, we we actually gotta call this out. Um, that said, the Green Party of the United States did vote to endorse the Rage Against the War Machine effort. Uh, we are on board. And I, I was, I kept saying, and I, I actually had it out with Howie Hawkins tonight, and I'm going to give him a piece of my mind as soon as I get off here. Oh my God, not Howie. Howie's still, still active. Howie's still pro-Ukraine. He's, he's still able to... Get this. He's able to post to our list serves, but Jill Stein can't. What? Yeah, you heard it right. Yeah, Jill Stein has to uh, communicate through a proxy who is a friend of theirs. Um, yes, yes, to, to, the, to um, Tony Romeo there. The Scott Ritter thing is totally separate. The Scott Ritter thing is apples and oranges compared to Jimmy Dore. Jimmy Dore is jingling keys in front of the left and saying, this guy is bad, remember? And, and, <laughs> and no, it's, it's like jingling keys in front of a baby's head. And, and they think you're going to take the bait. That, and and that they're the same people that tell you to vote blue and vote for Joe Biden. I'm going to tell the- you guys something. I, I remember when Jimmy Dore was a part of our uh, general strike summit and I did like this promo video announcing the speakers that were going to be involved. And we got smeared so heavily on Twitter. We didn't even have 6,000 subscribers at RBN yet. Just keep this in mind. This is how stupid these, these, these people were. Were you still as Fred Hampton leftist at that point? Yes. Like Damn. we didn't even have, we didn't even have 6,000 subs yet. And it was blue checks smearing our event. Because Jimmy Dore was a part of it. Shit this guy Lib wrote Central. an entire shit lib central. Right. This guy wrote an entire article doing a hit piece on our general strike summit because Jimmy Dore was announced as one of the speakers. And I'm like, these people are so unserious. Why are you giving us all this attention? By the way, when you 
smear a smaller channel, it actually gives us more attention and it actually they helps don't us realize more. they don't realize the long game. That's the thing. I, I mean, I do, as a Green Party member and as a voting member on the National Committee here, I see a lot of this bullshit for the, you know, from the other side. And I realize when somebody's jingling the keys in front of somebody's eyes, Howie Hawkins is still saying we need to give everything we can to Ukraine. I Howie think is a, I think Howie is an op. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but Howie Hawkins uh, Nick interviewed him during our third party summit and Howie Hawkins told the audience that at the end of the day, you should vote for the Democratic Party. Oh, fucking load yes. of bullshit that is. You know what? You're never going to build a fucking movement that way, sunshine. Well, my thing is, well, Nick said to him, he was like, then why are you running as a Green Party candidate? This is why well, the Green, like third parties don't get anywhere. If you're a part of a third party and you're telling I'm going to tell you right now, as soon as Howie Hawkins, and I can tell you this, I'm not going to name any names, so I don't implicate any of the guilty here. But uh, let me tell you, Howie Hawkins, uh, if he runs in 2024, shit, I'll run against him. I don't give a fuck. By the way, bringing up that, uh, since we already talked about Rage Against the War Machine, it's right down the street from me. I'm in Baltimore. That's in D.C. I can ride the train to there. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Oh, you're in my you're in my birthplace, my stomping ground. I am in Northeast Baltimore. Be more. You know what it is. Be more in the house. Well, oh, and by the way, I'm just going to put this out here. Uh, nobody in the Green Party of the United States uh, decided to step up and release anything rebutting Joe Biden. Uh, when it came to the State of the Union speech, but I did. You can find it at youtube.com slash at MD Greens. And I'm just going to shout that out because, frankly, somebody's got to do it. And I don't care. I'm tired of this. We got to build a functional party. And that is the skeleton that has the most ballot access right now. So I agree. I, I encourage you to check it out. And by the way, if you ever want to talk to me about why we deserve better, I'm all ears, I'm all eyes, and you can ask me the hard questions, and I will tell you, I want somebody to give a swift kick in the fucking ass to these people. Let's mm -hmm. go. I, 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 I'm not even bothering listening to your, your interview with the, the guy who couldn't answer the questions, because frankly, <laughs> that's not competition to me. But also... I don't want Howie Hawkins to run as the Green Party nominee for 2024. And I've told some people to hold off and wait for him to fuck up. Because he will. What happened to Dario? Honestly, you, I don't know this for sure. I think Dario was an op too. Wow. Man. I, I keep seeing Dario posting and, and it sounds more and more like he was paid by some sort of military lobby somebody i don't know uh, i'm i wasn't privy to that i tried to join the green party in 2020 uh to vote for jesse ventura and that was not an option and i said okay well then i'm gonna vote for our movement that we've been trying to build here and i'm gonna go over there and see what kind of things they got and that's how I ended up as a party official here. So I am the membership coordinator right now and one of the delegates, uh, at least part-time, for the Green Party of the United States National Committee. So that's why I know 
Howie Hawkins is like, well, what about what about what Ukraine needs? Me, me, me. Guess what? Ukraine needs to not get our fucking tanks, and we need to force a ceasefire. We are the United States of America. We have the biggest military and all the money in the world. We can fucking do it. I, I totally hear you on that. that. Um, I also want to just mention this. I just found out. It appears Cynthia McKinney is also going to be speaking at the rally. I did not know that. So I just that is found out. that is a that is a new addition. Uh, I've been following this because we had the vote, and I've been asking tough questions because I try to, as I've said, as Marshawn Lewis once said, I'm about that action. I don't care if you're for or against it. Show up and show proud. Like, wear your Green Party shirts. Do something. Like, I'm tired of rubber stamping shit and thinking it's good enough. Because it ain't. Anyway, Mm. those are all my points. Anything else, we we can link up off here. But, yeah, I'm I'm tired of people jingling keys over the left's head. Because they did this with March for Medicare for All and it was a lot of good people. And I, I'm just tired of it. I, it's, a, it's a waste of our fucking time. It's a waste of our organizing energy. If they're going to jingle the keys over Jimmy Dore, what are they hiding? And the, what they're hiding is they're ties to the Democrat Party. They're not Democratic. They rigged their elections. They're the Democrat Party. No, anyway. I 100% hear where you're coming from, Justin, because this is something that people need to understand, having been in organizing spaces. Some of these people that say, like, yeah, the Democrats are bad, we're not going to vote Democrats, some of those people are still tied to the Democratic Party, and they join these organizations and these spaces to make it seem like they're not. Like, they may actually, some of them actually do care about the action that you're doing, but some of these people are still tied to the Democratic Party and they won't tell you that because they know you're heavily against it. So that's why I absolutely. said like, there's always infiltrators and you got to be For example, you're, you're absolutely right. And for example, we actually had a Democrat who is a state legislator here show up to our Baltimore Greens organizing meeting because they had bills to propose. They had they were about that action. As I said, you got to be about that action. I don't care if you're for or against this. And I told the Green Party this. I don't care if you are for or against this action. Can you get me 25 people? Can you show up with signs? If you don't like it, can you protest it? Can you do something? I'm tired of, I'm tired of like all talk and no action. I'm tired of rubber stamping. Shit or get off the pot. I hear you. And I hear what you're saying, too, about people using Jimmy Dore as a distraction to not organize and get involved. It's I really a cudgel. Do, I really do agree with that. I, I really do. I feel like if it wasn't him, it would have been someone else. But someone Jimmy else. Dore but is the one that they can get all the reaction to. And so they yeah. use it. They use it. They hammer it until they can't hammer that nail anymore. And when they mm-hmm. when they can't hammer that nail anymore, guess where it's going to come? RBN. It's going to come to the only network that I actually still fucking watch because I'm tired of all the shit lives. Oh, they already came after us. They've come after us. Oh, I know they have. I know they have. I'm just, but, but they're going to go full force on you, not 20%. That's the difference. I just think it's hilarious because we're pretty much an open book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, uh, as my, Look, I had a friend of mine who li- lived here with me a long time ago. He's since moved out to the Midwest. 
But he said, look, if you wear, if you wear your weaknesses on your sleeve, nobody can beat you with them. And, and I got to say, RBN got that. And uh, good, bad, and ugly, I still tune in. And so, you know, you're doing something right. If you ever want to talk about Taft-Hartley, let me know. We'll, we'll link up it off-site here. We'll do our thing. Uh, I'd like to pass it on to the next person who looks like awesome. Stone. And, and I'd like to hear what Noel, Comrade Noel has to say here. And Comrade Roger, because I hear you chiming in. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Thank you so much, oh, Justin. Man. I'm just going to go ahead and bring in Stone, and then I'll pivot back up to you, Roger. So, Stone, you have to unmute, and you'll be with us. What's up? Hello? Hear me now? I can hear you now. All right. How you doing? Like to say hi to everybody. Uh, I'm Stone. Hello. That is my nickname. I, I've been listening all night. I love the show. I'm so glad I found you. Uh, I'm old. I'm 67. Uh, I was brought up in San Francisco, though, and I'm uh, been liberal. I guess is the word. I don't know how to describe it. I'm an old damn hippie. I've been smoking pot for fifty years, and <laughs> and uh, I was very lucky in the time I grew up. It was the height of uh, American life, uh, at least for white people at the time, and uh, I got educated in my early eighties was in uh, computers and I want to talk now about the future in our world and the future and there's stuff to be very afraid of I've just retired and I can tell you a lot of stuff now I've been in these walnut offices with big executives and how their mind works AI is very dangerous for normal people uh just ask yourself go back 150 years horses were the machines they're all gone these guys are quite aware of climate change they're not dumb they know they've got to cut consumption ai is going to replace us guys they're either going to take our sperm count away or virus us but I'm giving y'all a swear to God from my heart warning. That's why I'm screaming about capitalism on there and all on sites and, you know, Jimmy Dore and all this stuff. It's, it's distractions. They love it. They promote it. Uh, they want us to fight and we're done. If we continue down this path, the future is a lot closer than you think. They're just showing you a tidbit of what they have available to them. I want to tell you another thing that this gets into some really trippy stuff where we've gone to, uh, with quantum. It, I, you know, that's basically my main point. I wanted to do is tell everybody to be alert to this and don't be distracted. It's right in front of your face. And, and it's a dire warning to us as labor, that class again, all colors. And I'm done ranting. I just want to chime in really quick and I'm going to pass it to Roger, but I just wanted to say that 
this is something that Andrew Yang tried to warn people about. And people were just like, oh, he's just the crazy UBI guy. Like, whatever, whether you agree with UBI or not, that doesn't change the fact that Andrew Yang was correct about automation, about AI, about people being replaced, about jobs being replaced. And some people just didn't want to hear it. And I'm like, this is someone who worked in the tech industry. You should at least listen to what he has to say. And as someone who has worked at, I've worked at MIT, I'm trying to tell you guys, they already have robots. Like this is, these are the thing I've been trying to tell people, especially a company like Boston Robotics. They already have robots that can do construction worker jobs. They have robots that can actually just do everything. They just open like the first automated McDonald's. Like, I'm in back. <laughs> yeah. So I've been trying to warn people about this, having worked. Be scared. Having, yeah. Having worked at MIT, I'm trying to tell you guys. I saw this stuff coming because I saw the work. So they have all these robots and stuff like this. Like, this is nothing. The robot dogs mm, that you saw nothing. on the show Black Mirror, we already have them. Go ahead, Roger. You just have to unmute. Okay, uh, th thanks for scaring the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> uh, so... Yeah. Um, what is it? What is what is what, what, what? I had missed. Oh, yeah. I heard about what um, Justin had said regarding uh, Dario. So I, I heard that also. Um, that, that's what I was going to uh, tell him. Um, also, uh, I got you three new subscribers had three different customers in the car. They was like, oh, wow. This I like this show. What are you listening to? So you could add, you know, like a three more to your um, subscribe. I got him to download the call in. Oh, thank and, you, Roger. That's really sweet. To, to, to listen to you, got got him to subscribe to your YouTube show. Um, one guy was a uh, was a reverend. So when you, before you were talking about mutual aid, you, you know, he's like, oh wow, this is great. Um, so you got some more people. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Kit had, had asked, had, had relayed a message to me um, saying, John wants to know if I want to work on his campaign. And I was just like, no, I'm not messing with the federal government. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm resigned from... As from anything with the federal government. If anything... Can you explain to people I'm, who you're talking about, Roger, for people who are not aware? Oh, the guy that, the guy that you made sweat the other day about the cops who wants to run for president. John um, Stasevich? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I'm not helping you. <laughs> I was just like, you know, like they, these people, you know, like see something and they want to try to co-op your energy for their campaign. You know what I mean? And I'm trying to stay like neutral in that. I'm not trying to get involved in anyone's campaign. You know? I said, the only person I probably would support is probably Larry Sharp when he runs for governor because he says that he wants to push the legislature to make us a, a ballot initiative state. And that's the only reason why I would support anybody. You know, um, what do you call it? Oh, so, Betsy said, I was trying to get on when she was on here. 
Um, but she said she had DM'd me in this app, but I don't I don't know how to go to the DMs in the app. She she had said that on the on the thing. So like you know how to check out DMs and yeah, app? you'll have to like go back to the home the home screen, and then there's an option up in the corner that um it gives you like a little mail, a little envelope. Oh. Yeah. Oh. You can't see it right now if you're in this room. You can't see it. Oh, I see. I, no, I see it now. No, no, I see, I see it. Okay. It All took right, me so a while to, to figure that out, too. Like, I didn't know people were, like, sending me messages on calling, so. <laughs> Matter of fact, oh, shit, I think I see a whole bunch of people on here that send me messages. Mm-hmm. Um, and you forgot to read the rock fans. <laughs> I thought I would. Oh, I forgot to go back to it. I'm sorry, Roger. <laughs> I'll, I'll pick those up tomorrow. I'll pick them up tomorrow. Um. All right. So, uh, can't think of anything else I was gonna say. Oh, my favorite pizza place. All right, I'll call you back. All right. <laughs> to Stone. Hey, what go ahead, Noel. You guys. Um. But to the point that um, Stone raised. I wanted to say I am in total agreement. Um, the AI and the automation are being introduced subtly as innovation. And they don't go to any great detail to make the connection between how um, there is an inverted relationship between the introduction and implementation of AI with actual labor. People don't really look at that and see that their jobs are being replaced because they really don't show you on a regular basis that this is what is going on. So people are like, oh, yeah, AI. And, you know, they promote the pieces that will, you know, kind of ease people's living, like, you know, on the minor end, like um, Surrey and all these other vocal devices that people can use, but they don't show you on the back end. And that's why I say, you know, we really are already in a inverted totalitarianism where the hand of capital is serving as a proxy for what would be a dictator. And so that's what's really, I mean, they have control of the media because of um, notions like Citizen United, they can campaign and, and buy the politicians. So we're seeing this, these things in real time, but it's so surreptitious that people see and don't see. They can't add it together and say, oh, this is it. But it's already here. It's already beginning. And, um, you know, it's, it's really, um, it is kind of scary, but I, I tell myself we have to be in the right fight. Um, and that's the best we can do. And that's why I am committed to being outside of the official duopoly, because I know that any type of solution is going to come by way of something other than that two party duopoly establishment. Well said, Noel. Um, anything else you wanted to add, Stone? Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Oh, okay. I, my phone went into hibernation. I don't know how much of the rant I gave you guys heard. 
but it is very serious and i'm very serious calling you guys and screaming about it i i wish i could tell the world but these guys have no good intent for this they're aware of climate change they know consumption must be cut they want to live in a beautiful world too and we will become the problem i'm telling you guys they these people are evil and i'm done ranting again <laughs> I hear you, Stone. Thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, I totally hear you. Like I said, like Andrew Yang was trying to warn people about this when he was on. Well, where have all the horses gone? Yeah. Right? You know, they'll like lower our sperm counts or virus us or whatever. They're not going to stand up and shoot us. We'll just slowly fade away. Mm hmm. Mm well, thank you so much, Stone. I'm going to go to the next caller, which is... Please do. Love you guys. Thank you so much, which is Thomas. Thomas, you are on the mic. You just have to unmute. Welcome. All right. Did that work? I can hear you. Awesome. Thank you for uh, hosting. I um, Incidentally, I happened to, to see a, a graphic that ran around on Twitter today talking about various uh, voices um, and you were up in the top tier um, based on accessibility and um, and to me that that speaks a lot and uh, oh was I, this from was this from neo's algorithm it was it was yeah I thought I think I saw that <laughs> that's funny I'm at the yeah. top that, that's weird <laughs> well go you know, ahead. The, the other the other thing um, that that I noticed about that, and this is not what I was about to say, but uh, just incidentally, um, is that he had like a, uh, or he or she, I'm not really sure, but had a, a toxicity um, sort of uh, scale on there, uh, and, and had you certainly being in the in the not toxic world, and I I, I think of that the same way. Um, but I thought, um, you know, I've, I've only recently been getting into um, RBN a little bit. Uh, I, I first kind of found my way into that world through Fred Hampton leftists, um, which I'll back up to what I was saying. I actually found my way to you uh, and to Fred Hampton leftists and to Brianna Joy Gray um, through Jimmy Dore who was one of the first people I started to have contact with what I would say is more the left. And I actually think that that's a lot of what's behind uh, the hit piece that's out on him. Uh, he was also, he also took like a more minor hit alongside uh, Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald recently. Um, you know, uh, being set up, um, as described as being, I think they were calling it a funnel of some kind or a pathway to funnel people from the left to the right. And frankly, to me, that's like the complete opposite of my personal experience. Um, you know, I moved from a, a more libertarian way of thinking into a more leftist way of thinking. Um, and now I finally find myself, you know, reading Marx. Um, as a result of, of my interactions um, with with the content from Jimmy Dore and with his community. So 
Uh, if anything, I would say that this hit piece really speaks to um, the opposite of what they're trying to say is is happening right now. Um, I, I think that a lot of this stuff is actually moving things left. Um, can you believe, a quick question, Thomas, can you believe they're smearing Taibi now? Uh, to me, that's just wild. Um, I've kind of followed his stuff since um, back in uh, 2008 when he did some of that, uh, what I felt like was pretty accessible reporting around what happened during the, the financial meltdown. Um, you know, over time, I've learned that some of some of his takes on some of that were maybe a little too simplistic. But whatever he understood, you know, he explained it to me in like ninety percent of of you know what was going on. He explained accurately, and it was a thousand times more clear than what was being explained on the news. Um, but you know, I think he did himself probably some disservice early in his career by getting involved in some satire work that uh, is pretty easy to. to uh, skew and, and use to smear him at this point in his career, but um, but yeah, it's just it's just absolutely wild to me that 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 they, that they're framing him as as being on the right. I mean, Greenwald has has always been a libertarian, so I can see that. But but Taibbi, that's just wild. Well, they've always you know they praised Matt Taibbi when he wrote uh what was it Hate Inc when he wrote when he right. wrote that book like they were praising him but people forget a lot of the people that were called out in that book were democrats how easily people have forgotten and now all of a sudden because he exposes information through the twitter files that heavily impacts the democratic party now all of a sudden they're smearing him as right wing and people need to understand matt taibbi is a journalist you know, as a journalist, you can't go into this with like, oh, it's talking about the Democratic Party, so I can't tell people about it. No, <laughs> like that's that's not the way that people are taught to do to do journalism. Unfortunately, so many people are hooked to the CNNs and the Fox News of the world, which is very much biased. Like both of them are. Everyone knows that Fox News is is right wing, and everyone knows that CNN is liberal. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so I guess that point that I, I kind of lost track of earlier from uh, from Neo's thing around that toxicity, something I've been wondering, um, and I would just be kind of curious your take on, because because he had um, door grouped in in sort of the more uh, toxic realm, um, which I think is you know pretty maybe on the fair side as someone who's a big fan of Jimmy Dore. Um, and you know, as, I've, as I admitted, I've been following the guy for a little while now, um, and he's been influential to me. Um, but um, you know, I, I can see how he, he kind of could push people away on the outside. Um, I don't think they should be pushed away, but I can see how that could happen. I could see how um, some of uh, RBN's um, interactions uh, of late could push people away. I, I didn't really get a chance to wrap my head around the whole uh, Marianne Williamson thing. But what I started seeing coming out after, what I started to see coming out after that was a lot of commentary around this toxicity um, concept. And what I'm wondering, and this is something I really truly have no perspective on because I'm fairly well educated. Um, you know, I've got a background in literature. I've got a master's degree. I've taught 
uh, college writing, critical thinking. Um, I, I, I work in uh, an academic context and uh, deal with uh, like software management stuff. So um, I'm, I'm very much on the, uh, what would you call the, I guess the, the professional kind of managerial class level of doing things. Um, yeah, that guy's saying that right there, PMC. Um, so, um, yeah, I think, I think that's fair. Um, so what I wonder is if this toxicity thing isn't kind of a different way of saying, for lack of a better word, um, whiteness, because, you know, it's, you know, the, the ability to, you know, structure arguments and, you know, kind of do things within this, uh, you know, Western Enlightenment framework, uh, if, if, if that makes sense. I get what you're saying. I think it's more of um, along the lines of what is considered acceptable from an academic lens and what do I mean by that? Well, <laughs> I mean, a lot of you guys know, like I come from academia, like that's where I spent my career, like most of my adult life. So I worked in higher ed. So I have worked with professors, uh, some of them very popular, like in the world, like I worked at MIT. So I worked with some of like the most well-known professors, not just in the U.S., but in the world. And there is a difference when you're working with that group of people versus when you're working with people like, like when I worked at like Outback, like when I waited tables and stuff like that, like there, there's a difference. And when you go into like that realm of talking to like academics, there's a difference and they expect things to be a certain way. They expect uh, a certain level of professionalism. And if you can't do that, they will get rid of you. And, and I've seen this happen to people where they were removed, or they were pushed out of positions because they didn't want to commit to that level of professionalism. Another thing that people need to understand, a lot of times with these academics, um, they don't want to hear that they're wrong. They don't want to hear that something that they said is incorrect. And the moment you start to do that, especially if you're not an academic, you are no longer considered welcome for, for a lot of them, for a lot of them. But there's a way that you can do it without pissing them off to the point where they just feel like you're not credible. Because that's what they'll use a lot of times. They'll say, well, because you don't have the credentials that I have, you're not credible. They'll do that. They've even done this to people that are also academics. I've seen this happen too. They've done it to other people who are academics who may not have done as much research as them or may not have tenure. So there's a difference there too. A lot of these faculty members that have tenure, there is sometimes they look down upon the other faculty members that haven't made it there yet. And tenure, I, I predict within the next 10 to 15 years, I see this just completely going away. And I say that because it's becoming harder and harder for faculty members to get tenure status. Um, 
I told this to my students as well, though the PhD students that I advise, like honestly, especially at MIT, I was like, you're better off going into industry than trying to go the academia route because you're gonna be a postdoc for a couple of years then hopefully you'll get a assistant professorship as a uh, position. But then once you get to that point, then you got to fight to try to get tenure. And like I said, like that's becoming more and more limited uh, for faculty members. So they're making it more difficult for people to get tenure. Look at what Harvard did to Cornell West. Now it's gotten to the point where it's not just based on your research anymore. It's based on your opinions and your values and your views. And so if you have an opinion or a value that the university is pretty much against, then you may not get tenure. It's stuff like that now. So they've made it more difficult and those positions are far and few. But this is why when I say the difference about being professional, it's it's not to be rude. It's just that I've worked with those people for most of my adult life and there is a way that you can disagree with them and prove them wrong, but you do it using facts and data. If you do it just based off of emotion, they're just going to snap back at you and say that you're not credible because you don't have the same credentials that they do. So I've had experience doing that. And that's something that I had to learn. In fact, my first supervisor when I was at MIT, she taught me how to do that. Like she pulled me aside one time and she said, you were correct with what you said. The problem is they're not going to hear you because you're not presenting data and evidence to back up what you're saying. And it's unfortunate, but that's how a lot of them think. And so I would say the same thing too when we're talking about people who are politicians or people who are candidates. So like when John Stasevich came on a couple of days ago, you know, it was it was very obvious, I think, to most of you who were watching, the plan that he had for policing didn't make any sense because he was basically trying to say to defund the police, but also at the same time, he was trying to say to fund the police. You can't do both. That, that doesn't make any sense. You know, so I had to I had to address that with him. Also, when he said that he didn't want to fight, that he didn't want to go into that, I said, you got to go into the ring and take the gloves off. Bernie Sanders said that Joe Biden was his best friend. We don't want another another Bernie Sanders going in and doing that. He made it very public to all of you that he was not willing to fight and that he didn't even want to debate. He didn't even want to be on the debate stage. He said that he just wants to have a conversation. And so I had to throw it back at him and I say, John, I'm sorry, but you're running for president. This is serious. You can't just sit up here and say you don't want to debate. You can't just sit up here and say that you don't want to fight with people. People right now in this country are in the fight for their lives. People right now are fighting to be able to pay for groceries for their family. They're fighting to be able to pay for gas. You can't come up here during this point in time and tell people that you are not willing to fight. I don't care if you are running as an independent. If you're telling people that you're not willing to fight, that right there let me know that even if you did win, which I don't think that that would happen, but even if you did win, that once you got in that seat, you were not going to fight. You just want to have conversations. Those days are done. We need fighters. And if you can't do that, then maybe you should not be running for office. And I say this having had him on my show before. He came on a couple of months ago to announce that he was running. So he's been on before. This isn't the first time. And I just felt like when he came on this time around, I felt like he was not prepared. Now, if 
I would have taken it the other approach, which honestly I was fuming inside. If I would have just like yelled at him without giving the data, without giving the facts, then it's just easily he could push back and say, you're being emotional. You see, this is the kind of criticism that we'll get. This is what people will say. You're being emotional. You're being loud. You're, this is too much drama. Like, especially with women, we get this a lot. As soon as we start to like raise our voice, we're being emotional, you know? So it's like, you, you have to back up what you're saying with evidence. And so that's something that I learned to do like over time. I wasn't always that way. It took me time to get there, but I got there. Go ahead, uh, Thomas. You just have to unmute. Uh, no, um, I, I, I appreciate all that and I, I very much agree. Um, I'd also like to just real quick give a shout out to uh, Noel because I got to listen to you on this uh, call in with Sabby last week and uh, here as well tonight and very much appreciate your perspective. Very inspiring. That's all I got for you guys. I hope you all have a good night. Thank you so much, Thomas. Gonna bring in Robin. You just got to go ahead and unmute Robin. Just got to hit the unmute button. There you go. <laughs> hey, Sabby. Hello, how are you? I'm doing really good. Um, you know, before I start and give my various commentary on things, uh, I want to just say, I just want to make sure uh, while I've got uh, Noel on the phone, I know we had a spirited conversation the last time we had to call in. I just wanted to make sure that you know, it was all love and stuff. And there, there was no, you know, animosity on my part or anything like that. Girl, you know, this is, a, and I don't mean to be pejorative or anything. This is just an exchange of ideas. And I appreciate the sharing of information and this and that. It was not, um, I didn't perceive it as anything other than it was. So we're good. I'm good. You're good. Great, great. I just want to make sure because, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, great. Um, you know, and then Sabby, you know, I'm coming on late. You know, I, I try to be one of the first ones to call in or whatever. But, you know, with things going on in my life, I, I had to catch up on all my different podcasts and stuff. I had to, you know, double time, listen to uh, Glenn Greenwald. And then, I, you know, I jumped over and I was you know, uh, listen to you a little bit. And then I jumped over and I double time listened to uh, you and Tara and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so I finally caught up, to, you know, to, to get the inside scoop on everything that's going on. Um, oh, wait, did that know, post, Robin, that video posted with me and Tara Reed? Yes, that posted at 8 p.m. Central. So I guess nine o'clock, just as maybe as you were going off, maybe. Okay. Yeah, yeah so guys, go check that out. I was on um the Kim Iverson show. It was recorded, but um it appears it's posted, so it should be there on Rumble. And you were lit. I mean, you were on fire. You did not hold back. I loved every minute of 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 everything that you said. I mean, it was just great. Who was she you yelling know, at? Just... Who was she yelling at? I want to know. <laughs> there was no there was no yelling. It was just flat-footed Speaking the truth is all it was. <laughs> it really is no yelling, just speaking right. the truth and letting the people know where they may. I had a lot to say. So, uh, so with that, um, 
well, I guess, you know, I'll finish with that and then I'll, you know, kind of circle back and end with Jimmy Dore. Um, you know, starting off, she, uh, t- you know, Tara had her interview with Scott Ritter and I will, you know, uh, share my I- ignorance and, and say that I did not know anything about Scott Ritter before that interview. I had heard his name in passing, you know, maybe in the last couple of months or something like that or whatever, or maybe just in tight, uh, being tied to the Rage Against the War Machine uh, advertisements and stuff like that. You know, I'm listening to the interview that she had with him. You know, he's, you know, he seems like uh, he's very knowledgeable and all of this other kind of stuff. And then he goes on and he says, um, you know, that he's going to go to the event, but he's not going to speak anymore because of the controversy. And I didn't know what the controversy was. You know, and I didn't think much of it because there was controversy about everybody that was there, you know. Wait, so did he, did he, I'm curious, did he admit what the controversy was on? No, he did not reading? say what the controversy was. I looked oh, it up. Boy. But I looked it up after, you know, just <laughs> a few, you know, a few minutes ago or whatever. Uh, but he said that he was not going to speak because of it. He was going to be there. But he said he wasn't going to speak. But Tara said that she was going to still try to advocate for him speaking. Does Tara know the controversy? What the- I don't know. I don't mm. know. But when I, you know, so, you know, I didn't think much about it, you know, uh, because I just figured that I knew that there were people that were uh, rambling about Jimmy Dore and rambling about this person and rambling about you know, I knew Cold Pink didn't even like that the Mises uh, caucus was there. And so I just thought that it was this was intramural, po- intramural politics. And but, then, Cold Pink, but Cold Pink signed up for it after the Mises caucus was already listed as one of the organizers. Right. But I guess, I, you know, initially, you know, at some point they there was some ruckus amongst themselves, maybe that okay. said that they had issues with. Be, you know, the Mises caucus. So I guess it didn't overcome, you know, they overcame that hurdle. Um, okay. Is what it is. You know, now I will say, you know, I, I've told you all before, I'm a volunteer chaplain in the Texas prisons and everything. So I have dealt with, you know, all types of people and stuff like that. And it, you know, and I've got a, I, I've got a, a struggle within myself in terms of this situation and I guess, and I, I wish I could talk to, to Tara um, and ask her, given her background with what she went through with Joe Biden and, and you know, and, and all of the things that have gone on, why she would still be okay with, I mean, and I know the with, two with things Scott Ritter. the same. Yes. Unless there's something else uh, more about the situation that she knows and maybe the rest of us don't know. Right. And and I, and maybe that's the case. But, you know, it just seemed, you know, like I said, when I first heard this, you know, when I first looked at the, the uh, Kim Iverson show today, I didn't know the background. So I'm just like, OK, well, you know, there was some kind of stupid controversy. And he just said, OK, well, you know, I'll just back out. And, and, and I didn't know anything about it. And then it's just like, oh. <laughs> okay well and then when if I, when I found out that you know when going back and remembering that Tara told told him specifically that she was going to continue to advocate for him being a speaker 
and not just being present. And, you know, he said he was going to be present. Then that was something totally different. And so, you know, for me as a Christian, you know, I mean, these are complicated things because uh, you look at people like the Apostle Paul, who who wrote like two thirds of the New Testament or whatever, and who readily admit he murdered Christians or, you know, and maybe he did not physically murder them, but at his command or whatever, you know, these atrocities, human rights atrocities and stuff took place under his behest type of deal, you know, and then David sleeping with, you know, some uh, a woman getting her pregnant, trying to play these games to get her husband to, you know, go in and have sex with her. So it wouldn't look like he, he had sex with her and had a baby and this whole Maury Povich type of thing going on. And then when he wouldn't do it, then he has him murdered and stuff. So there's all kinds of shenanigans, you know, in the history of, in, in just history and everything. And then, you know, and even when you look at, when I look at my own life or when you look at other people's lives and stuff, a lot of times, you look at things and you go, oh, there but by the grace of God go I. You know, maybe one time you drank a little bit too much and, you know, and and you made it home. You said, woo, I don't know how I got there, but, you know, <laughs> thank God I got home. Or what, whatever the, it is. What is the issue with Scott Ritter? Give us the cliff oh, notes. The cliff notes is, is that he has been convicted of uh, basically, um, uh, pedof- not not pedophilia in terms of you know touching children, but kind of like the uh, if you guys remember the the um, what was that show on NBC where they would trap the men? You know they communicate with them online and stuff to, to catch, catch a predator. A, yep, to catch a predator. Yeah, so he's he was convicted of like to catch a predator type stuff. But apparently multiple times. Exactly. It was multiple times, like back in 2001, uh, maybe a couple of times, and then again in 2009 type of deal. So, But uh, I also heard, like someone told me he was set up too. I heard that too. Well, I mean, you know. That's how kind of. Over and over again. (laughs) Okay, once, okay, once you're set up. Twice. Three times a lady. But the thing is, Robin, do you know do you know how many people have interviewed him? Like I've seen him on everybody's show. Exactly. And I mean, like Ron Paul, I love Ron Paul, you know, and Ron Paul has had him as a guest and everything like that. But the man has spent. I mean, it's not like, you know, uh, he 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 claims. I don't know how I didn't read the the transcripts of course like i said i just dug into this tonight or whatever but um he was convicted by a jury of his peers you know when he was was convicted by the jury he went to prison he went to prison he went to prison ma'am what the hell is this yes ma'am he did I, I mean, I think he was he was convicted of like five years or something, but went to prison for maybe like a year and a half or whatever. You How know? did we not know about this, Robin? This Ex- guy has been on everyone's show. He was at the Assange. Well, guys, when I was in D.C. for the Assange rally, I spoke at the Assange rally. Scott Ritter was one of the speakers. And by the way, and Medea Benjamin was there as a speaker. 
Like all of us were there. I had no idea. Right. Exactly. He, uh, yes. So he went to prison in, uh, uh, in March, 2012. I'm looking at, uh, Wikipedia right now, uh, and paroled September, 2014. So, yeah, <laughs> it's very complicated. Is I what saw, I'm saying. I saw a tweet that said that he said he's not anti-war. He yeah, that was say, another I saw thing. That same tweet too. That was I another that thing is- that came up, and the Libertarian Party issued a statement like a day or two ago, and they said right. that apparently, I guess they weren't aware of that, and like, like he publicly announced that, um, underneath the Rage Against the War Machine uh, announcement that he was a speaker, and he mm-hmm. tweeted, "I'm not anti-war." He also tweeted the day after that that he's a friend of Israel. And I was like, wait a minute now. So, yeah, there's there's a whole lot. I mean, he's, you know, <laughs> there's a whole lot going on with this gentleman or whatever. So uh, he may very well be right on Ukraine. And I agree with him. But I don't necessarily believe that. I I do. I do think that it was the right move, ultimately, mm. uh, for him to not speak at this rally because it would be such a distraction it would just be such a distraction i mean did Um, he have did he go through because i know we talk about restorative justice and stuff did he go through any type of restorative justice i mean he he, well he did the first time so when he was first caught back in 2001 he went through a thing and they dropped the charges or whatever so again one time okay but then you come back again around 2009 and stuff and then you start you know going through these you know uh to catch a predator motions and stuff and being caught doing various things on webcam and everything and then his defense was oh well i knew it was a isn't i knew it was an adult i just thought that this person was trying to uh fulfill their sexual fantasies type of deal what? Really? Yeah. So, yeah, it gets real complicated real quick. And so far, you know, like I said, I haven't done a lot of digging. I have not seen anything where, you know, he's come out and said, I've been redeemed. I've been restored. You know, I, you know, denounce whatever, uh, you know, and I'm not not saying that he has to do that. You know, that's none of my business. That's between him and, and him and God. Uh, so, you know, I don't have a heaven or a hell to put the man in. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that uh, I'm very curious about those that are wanting to continue to platform him at this particular event. What the motivation, well, not motivation, but what is it that has tipped him over the edge to say, Yes, let's put that aside, and particularly Tara, given her background. Okay, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to watch the Rumble show, but I, but again, like I, well, he's the been Rumble on show everyone's show. He's been on everyone's show. He's been on Lee Camp's show. He's been with Gray Zone. Um, I think he was on Garland Nixon's show. Like he's been on a lot of people's shows. I had no idea. Do you think all these people, everybody's just now finding out? Like I'm so. 
I don't know because, like I said, I literally found this out probably within the last hour. <laughs> type of deal. I found I found out the other day, and I was just like, "What the hell?" Right, right. So I, you know, again, I don't know what people know and what they don't know. And on the Rumble show, they didn't go in. They didn't go into any details about his charges and his conviction at all. All they he simply said was, "I'm I'm going to be there, but I'm not speaking." And I think when he said that, and I have to, I I don't remember exactly because, like I said, I was kind of listening at double time trying to catch up to you know to get on here or whatever to get you know to get the background or whatever. Um, I want to say that it was even a surprise maybe to Tara that he wasn't going to speak or something. I'm not sure what it was, but you know he was saying, "I'm going to be there. I'm not speaking." You know, my my presence there is 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 causing a commotion. So I just said I'm not going to speak. And she's like, well, I'm going to advocate for you to speak anyway. And I don't know why she would do that. That doesn't sound right, Robin. Well, I mean, you know, you have an in way to Tara. I don't know the woman. So I just just say it. Let me, I I, I might reach, I I ain't going to reach out this late. Oh, wait, she West Coast. I might reach out and and ask her because, like I said, maybe there's something she knows that we and, and don't. I would, and I'm open to that. Again, I I spend time with prison prisoners uh, twice a month. You know, so I'm not a, again. I'm all about redemption and all of that other kind of stuff. I just I'm just saying I don't know the whole story. The story that I know, and you know, uh, and in the fact that because I don't know him. And I don't know what where he is in his journey to redemption or repentance or whatever. You know, I'm just, I don't know. Um, well, I will say, okay, well, I'm glad he's, you know, not a speaker like anymore. Um, because I'm going to keep it real. Like, I, I, I paid for this stuff like i i've already like i paid for my accommodations and stuff and like i can't get my money back like this event is like next week right right so i mean you know the event is going on i'm I'm still believing that the event is going to be a net positive i really believe that the event is going to be a net positive particularly cynthia mckinney's coming all the way from asia robin Yes, which is why I believe it's going to be a net positive. And which is why I'm glad that to me, him stepping down from the speakership show is a positive sign on my end. You know, the fact that he says, you know what, I'm a distraction. I think that this cause is bigger than me. And if I'm going to get in the way of it and and then, you know, and this is coming from right wing media. If, you know, if, if it's going to, if, if, if it's going to give right wing media, uh, a, a club to bludgeon the anti-war movement, which you know is is not um, natural to our side, and so it's kind of bubbling up in this new thing on the right wing, and they're using this to kind of you know tamp down on that. And he's saying, no, if that's the case, I'm going to step back. That's a positive sign for me. It really is. Mm. So. so Go ahead, Roger. I said that shows humility. Yes, yes. That exactly. you're willing to, you know, you're willing to to do something like that. You know, unlike um, you know, st- uh, you know, people's party type of stuff or whatever. But um, 
I want to know who the hell is my Seuss or Missus or whatever the hell it is. My Seuss? It's my a caucus, caucus of the Libertarian Party. Hi, Andrew. What is it? Hey, Savvy. Hey, everyone. It's a it's a caucus within the Libertarian Party. Um, there is even a Libertarian Socialist Caucus of the Libertarian Party. So they have a they have a weird uh, kind of wide variety of different factions. Yeah, the Mises uh, Caucus is is mainly the Ron Paul Caucus of the Libertarian Party. Um, it's very uh, tied to uh, the a- Austrian economics. Uh, so if anybody is familiar with that, then um, then that's kind of where that wing of the Libertarian Party goes. I would it's and like they say, it's the Libertarian wing of the Libertarian Party. So if you think you know whatever you know about Ron Paul. That is the caucus of that of the Libertarian Party that is all out Austrian economics, you know, austerity, all of that type of stuff. That's the wing that that comes from. Mm. Um, now, uh, and I, I'm going to say this about Jimmy Dore. Um, this is, you know, you've talked about it. This is a stupid hit piece. <laughs> the non-disclosure agreement is a is a nothing burger or whatever. And even his thing about his house is a no- nothing burger. When they talked about his, uh, what it was it like a, a 2,900 square foot compound? Come on now. <laughs> I, I live in Texas where bigger is better. Uh, most of the, you know, middle class houses in Texas are over 3,000 square feet. And 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 the fact that his costs one point nine million dollars, that's because he lives in California. That has nothing to do with you know, he you can get that same twenty nine hundred square foot house in Texas for probably five hundred thousand dollars. So it's just a matter again of cost of living, and nobody would call a twenty nine hundred square foot house a compound in texas no they wouldn't that's just a house (laughs) i think you know i i think people also need to remember too that jimmy Dore is a comedian he was a comedian first and not only that but okay you know this man is has been working for decades all of his life Mm -hmm. and so you're telling me in his mid to late 50s he finally gets to a place where he can have a house that's worth $500,000 in Texas. And you're going to, you know, drag him for that. Come on now. You, you know where, you know, so, you, you know where they, um, where Jimmy said that, cause they was talking about how he, he yells and all that different type of stuff at the camera or whatever the case ahead. is. You know who he said taught him that, right? No. Who's that? Uh, Jank. Oh, well, that, that didn't surprise me at all. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. Because what he said was, you know, uh, I came to the Young Turks and I saw Jake yelling at the camera. I was like, holy shit. Like, we can do that. Like, I didn't know <laughs> we could do that. I had no idea that we could do that. Right. Like, and, so, and so now Jink and everybody else is just mad that that J- Jimmy does it better than them. You know, that's and what as, it is. And as I've mentioned before. I didn't even know anything about Jimmy Dore or all independent media on YouTube or anything until I saw him on Tucker Carlson. 
I think a lot of this too is just jealousy. You know, I think it, a lot of it is just green envy or whatever. You know, also, but I'm, I'm glad that I I saw uh, Jimmy Dore on Tucker Carlson. You know, because because like I said, from Jimmy Dore, I started watching Rising, and from Rising, I started watching you know uh, Breaking Points and whatever you think feel about that. But from there, I started watching Rising. Also, I started watching. Uh, Sabby and the the Revolutionary Blackout Network and all of these other type of people that have come on and it's just opened my horizons in a way that it never would have been if there wasn't a Jimmy Dore. So whatever people think about him, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, I think that his presence in this media space has definitely been a net positive. And be, and, and so I will always be glad for somebody to that's willing to speak truth to power and to open up my horizons and stuff and to open up my thought process. Like I've said before, I've changed my thoughts on many things just because of that door that's been open, particularly when it comes to the Israeli-Palestinian thing and just the war mongering machine in general, the military and just industrial complex of which I was a part of. You know, so I'm very grateful for that. Um, and, and so I'm just, I'm just, uh, I, I, I just, I know that Jimmy's a big boy and he can take the hits or whatever, but I'm glad that Sabby, that you're out there, you know, just putting it out there to let people know that this is a, this is a hit piece and, mm-hmm. you know, and just read it for what it is. Yeah. Let's bring in Andrew. Andrew, you just have to unmute. And then we'll go back to hey everyone. We'll go to Ashura. What's up? Um, nothing too much. I just wanted to say hey to everyone, and I had some thoughts about um, what you were talking about earlier, Sabi, about like the academic voice and how that can be useful. And also, I had thoughts about uh, Scott Ritter and what we were just talking about. Um, but yeah, where do you want to go first? Because uh, I, I have thoughts about Jimmy Dore too, but I don't want to take up too much time. I'll probably start with Scott first and then um, in with Jimmy. Yeah. So I have known about the um, conviction for against Scott for a while. And I, I have not read very deeply into it, but it is something that I feel kind of similarly to Robin about where I'm a little ambivalent about how exactly to feel about it because I mean, pedophilia is one of the crimes where I kind of let go of my abolitionist restorative justice type of uh, principles. And I'm like, well, yeah, we can just kill those people um, sometimes. And so it's it's hard for me to to like think super clearly about in this situation. But there's a there's a historical figure named uh, Stetson Kennedy. Are you familiar with him, Sabby? That name sounds familiar, but you'll have to remind me. So Stetson Kennedy, um, he was a guy who in the 1930s, he worked with a radio reporter who was very, had a huge following in the United States at the time. And he infiltrated the KKK and would report back to this radio reporter all the goofy bullshit that the KKK did in their meetings and who was in the meetings also, which was very important. And he... Uh, and this reporter were 
heavily responsible for tanking the KKK membership um, over a period of years. And it was to the point where they, you know, they lost a lot of existing members because they were kind of embarrassed and had to sort of recant um, to kind of keep a bit of their public standing. And then also um, it destroyed their like membership drives basically. So they, they stopped getting members and it took the KKK until the seventies to sort of recover. But um, Kennedy, Stetson Kennedy was really super abusive to, I believe his wife, um, but in general was kind of a misogynistic piece of shit. And so I think that um, it, this comes up in the conversation about like, oh, can you separate the art from the artist? It's like, I still listen to PYT by Michael Jackson, uh, even though it's creepy to me now that I know Michael Jackson is a pedophile. Just like if I, I don't usually pay super close attention to the lyrics of songs. I kind of have to uh, like try to pay attention to those. But it's, it's kind of like that. And I think with Scott Ritter, Scott Ritter is somebody whose work was pretty crucial to the creation of the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty and also um, is a big advocate right now of more um, arms control treaties. And so my, my thing about the Rage Against the War Machine protest is like the Libertarian Party, the LaRouche movement, um, you know, these are a, a couple of more major figures in the, in the, the organizing of this and the speaking of this event that I have very serious problems with. Um, but I am still going to go to the Seattle event cause I'm actually going to be home for a little bit. There's like oh, four. Sorry. Yeah. There's like four local, like kind of distant satellite protests for this thing. And I, I think similar to Robin, it's still going to be a positive event because people hopefully who are serious will go and they will connect with each other, ignore the, um, you know, the sort of nonsense about, you know, the libertarian party and the people's party. They're going to be trying to get people to join their parties and donate to them. I'm not going to do any of that bullshit. I'm going to find people who are in the Seattle to Tacoma area and I'm going to try to work with them to get Adam Smith out of Congress. And so I feel, I kind of feel that way about, uh, Scott Ritter. He he may very well have done worse things than he was uh, convicted of. And to me, that would um, that would make it very difficult for me to to be okay with him being a free man in society uh, without having very strict supervision and sort of like modified prison sentence forever. I mean, that's kind of how I feel about, um, you know, put all the pedophiles in a Swedish prison with no parole. It's like you don't have to torture him. You don't have to go out of way to kill them and waste a bunch of money doing sadistic shit, but just, they're not allowed to be around anymore. But at the same time, Scott Ritter's expertise on arms control is super important. So, and that's my thoughts about that. I don't know what you guys think. That's interesting. I saw someone put in the chat that apparently Scott Ritter has talked about this before. Um, on his sub stack, I I've, yeah, I haven't seen like, I don't, I don't follow every sub stack I only follow like probably four people I'm not even lying <laughs> but there's like four people that I read their sub stack pretty regularly go ahead Roger yeah I just want to say I disagree on the Michael Jackson part because <laughs> <laughs> uh what do you call I, it because really um, the only reason why I say that was because um what do you call it uh 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 there were some things that were not allowed to be in court 
in his first uh, 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 case, first accusation case. And after he died, the, the kid that accused him on the first one had admitted it was like, no, nothing. There was nothing like that happened. It was just that his dad was very abusive and, you know, and wanted money and, and used him to set Michael Jackson up. It's something about like he, he was very abusive. He said he dropped a dumbbell on his head or something like that. Like oh, very yeah, physically, very physically mm-hmm. abusive to him. So, you know, the, like and the, other, the other case, too. Did you guys see the documentary Neverland? Um, that was the more recent one. You know what I'm talking about, Roger? Oprah, leaving Neverland. So it turns out the guys, which one of them was named Wade and he was a choreographer. Um he was in that documentary and he was talking about abuses by Michael Jackson as well. Um, it turns out that like not too long after that documentary posted, he admitted that it wasn't true because apparently somebody caught on to the timeline and they said where one of the incidents happened, he said was at the Neverland such and such uh, some, some, some location Neverland. And somebody pointed out that that didn't even exist at that time. And so after that was called out, he came forward and said that he made it up, that it wasn't true. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. And so I guess, yeah, I didn't need to use Michael Jackson as the like celebrity example necessarily. But yeah, just the point still stands as like for Stetson Kennedy, which I think is the better example because it's like a political figure and Ritter, I'm like, I can accept that they did very good things and very terrible things. Mm. Um, Man. But Savvy, I don't know. I actually, I want to give everyone else a second to respond to, but I wanted to talk to you about like academia. Um, sure. And, like political fighters as well. Sure. Let's bring in Ashura. Ashura's been waiting a bit. Um, Ashura, yeah, go ahead help. and unmute. You just put me on speaker. I wasn't waiting a bit. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's up, Ashura? What's your uh, take? Uh, it, it, like I said, it's a hit piece. I think Jimmy mentioned it a couple of days ago when he was on the show. He was like, hey, they're after me again. And after, uh, just like what Roger said, uh, the whole thing about when they say, well, it was it happened before on a hit piece where they said that uh, Jimmy Dore was in a room when they were doing all these hit pieces about what, for Anna Kasparian, they said, Jimmy said they, they, he, he was in a room, Ron Bukel was there, his wife was there, and he told a joke, and then he screamed at them for the joke wasn't funny. And I'm like, I remember that shit happened live before on the Jimmy Dore show, where Jimmy would say a joke, it's not funny, and the others don't laugh. He's like, come on, man, that, that, that's not that funny. So I'm like, why are you pretending that he, he, what he did live is the same thing as in behind the scenes? It's basically the same thing, but they're trying to make it like it's something not. It isn't. Well, I just want to say something really quick about NDAs. And I talked about this on the show earlier tonight. I had to sign an NDA um, with my previous employer because the program that I worked with, we worked with outside companies for projects. And they required, the, the rule is if you're working with outside companies, you have to sign an NDA. The students also had to sign an NDA. Um, I read that NDA very thoroughly and I signed it. And that's why I say, sometimes you'll hear me say, there's some things I can't talk about in reference to that position. That's why, uh, because I we did sign that. But I, I will say like in media, 
that's actually pretty common to sign NDAs because there are people that have stories that are in the works that you can't release information about. Um, also, there are sources, like journalists have sources, people that they contact that give them that information. Well, you can't release, unless your source says you can identify them, you can't release, like, you know, announce who your source is. So that's why sometimes you'll see in articles, they'll say a trustworthy, a trustworthy source at the organization said blah, 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 and they won't mention the person's name. So it's not uncommon to have NDAs uh, in media spaces. And then also, like I said before, you have to remember Jimmy Dore is a comedian. He is an entertainer. So I wouldn't be surprised if other comedians, especially the really really popular ones also have some type of NDA. Like this is not something that's unusual, which they also mentioned in the article. That's why I was like, if it's not unusual, then why the hell are you writing the article about it? Like if you're going to challenge Jimmy Dore on something, you know, if Walker's going to challenge him on that, challenge him on policy. Like don't challenge him on like a, a stupid NDA. People have a right to privacy. And so if he doesn't want people talking about his private life that work for him, I mean, what what is the big deal? I was in the, I think it was CJ's chat, and some guy, or either could have been your channel, some guy wrote, well, now I see why Ron Placone's not saying anything. And I'm like, the fuck? You don't think, yeah. They said, now I see why Ron Placone's not saying anything because there's the NDA. I'm no, like, well, Ron Placone was not a contractor, though. Ron Placone was not employed by Jimmy Dore. I feel like Ron probably. Jesus. I feel like Ron probably didn't say anything because he doesn't want to weigh in to the shit between um, Graham Elwood and Jimmy. I feel like Ron seems like he's kind of more in the middle and like probably doesn't want to wade into it on either person's side. But I mean, I could be wrong. Could be. I'm pretty yeah, sure I, kind all, of agree with I think all three of them are on that level. I don't think they want to go personal. I mean, you can have your little beefs between you, but I don't think he wants to go that personal with him. I, I don't think he will do that with Graham. He says most of these guys, he's known them for years. And the thing about it yeah. is that it, it, it's kind of BS. Like, if NDAs are everywhere, why are you pretending that what Jimmy Dores is so special? <laughs> it, it's like they'll try anything to go after Jimmy Dores. Oh, um, also, uh, Sabrina, so one of the things when you was talking about with the um, – the arbitrators. This is just a side thing. I'm not even talking about uh, Jimmy Dore. You're talking about arbitrators before. The, the, unfortunately, because you, the history of arbitrators is it's usually biased against the worker because the arbitrator is usually like someone that is hired or whatever by the company. Right. Kind of like when you right. kind of like when you talk about HR is not your friend. Right. So. Right. But the the thing is, is like, it's always in in favor of the, the employer always has the advantage, like regardless what job you have, the employer always has the advantage. But my thing is, if these contractors had an issue with the NDA, then all they had to do was not sign it and go work somewhere else. Oh, yeah, of course. I I was just making it as a side thing, you know, because he was talking about arbitrators before in the show. Yeah, we want to talk about workers. Let's talk about some of the workers that work for some of these media personalities that aren't paid at all. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of the people that have worked for TYT that weren't paid at all. 
or those who are under NDAs of uh, 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 2IT, like Jordan Sheridan, he waited on this. He tried. He was. He thought he was a gotcha. I'm like, motherfucker, who whose channel did you win on the first time when they accused you of sexual assault? It was Jimmy Dore's channel. It was Jimmy Dore basically back him up. And when they called him a fucking sex pest, because he was a sex pest, because I mean, totally, he was doing like fucking orgies and jacuzzis with you with TYT's credit card money. So this idea of Jordan Shannon is trying to pretend like, oh, Jimmy is like an anti-worker because he has an NDA. I'm pretty sure Status Quo has an NDA. Uh, you, you know the woman that used to work with him? Uh, Jen dies. He's, he told people he went on a, a tear rant. He was crying, saying, oh, my God, Jen is leaving. Uh, we were working together. We were, we were doing so great. Turns out that Jen was looking to go elsewhere because you know how Jordan used to beg for money and he would be condescending. He would basically scream at you for not giving him money. And uh, she decided, you know what, maybe I should go look elsewhere. He, he found out that she was doing that through the company uh, email and he locked her out. And then he got he got loyaled up. I think maybe, you know, I remember when those allegations came out against Jordan. It's like, you know, like he had his own hit piece written about him, you know. But the it's just really, about- I have to say this, like, honestly, coming into this space, I did not expect this type of tribal mentality. I thought everybody, for the most part, and in left independent media was on the same page and was rooting for you know, the same policies and, and principles. Like it just, it's really weird to me how competitive it is and how a lot of people are just looking out for their self. And it's not really about a movement. It's just about, for a lot of people, it's just about popularity and careerism. And that was really surprising to me because I never got that impression from the outside. But once you're a part of it, you see, it's just like, so many people just trying to tear each other down so that they can get more subs or they can get more views. And it's just, it's gross actually, in a way it's kind of disgusting. You know, that guy, um, the guy who, go, go ahead, Roger. You know, um, Cameron, um, Harlem rapper from like yep. the 2000s. Oh boy. You know, he said um, when he entered into the industry, He's, he coined a phrase. I was like, yo, you get into this industry and idols become rivals. Mm-hmm. This is why I don't, I don't, excuse my language, but this is why I don't fuck with a lot of people. This is exactly why. Like, I don't spend that much time on Twitter, especially like I used to. Like, I'll post, I mainly only even have a Twitter account mainly to promote shit. That that's it. Like that's mainly what it's for. But other than that, I don't look at my mentions. I don't even read. Like if I don't know you, if you send me a DM, I don't know you. I don't even read it. I only respond to the people that I actually know. Like it's just, I don't have time for it. Like there's just so much drama, like online. And like, did you see this? Did you see that? Did you see this? Like, no, motherfucker, I see nothing because my ass ain't on Twitter all damn day. I got other shit to do, yeah. like fold these damn clothes. <laughs> yeah, cause I, wash I the dishes. Shit like yo, that. Take it, out the damn trash. Long, it takes a long time to wash the dishes if you don't got a dishwasher too. I can't be putting wet thumbs on Twitter and wasting time. So it's just I'm I'm really concerned about where we are, 
you know, going as a society, like so many people spending too much time on social media instead of actually conversing with people in real life. And I think it's very toxic. You don't know most of these people that you're talking to online. And I mean, like you haven't met them in real life, that kind of thing. Like, it's really disturbing to me to see people like there's people on Twitter. I'm like, these motherfuckers be on Twitter all day long. Like, are you talking to your roommate? Are you talking to your significant other? Are you talking to your friends like in person? If you're on social media the whole time, like let that shit go. Yeah, no. The thing you said about, uh, what's her name? Uh, The woman that was uh, sexually assaulted by uh, Joe Biden, uh, Tara Reid. You said if she doesn't know, I don't think she knows. I don't think she would basically just say, I'm going to go defend you. If she doesn't know what he, what he did, because I was I was kind of basically going in the I think I gotta go I gotta go back and forth with uh, CB Applejack, and he said that because uh, Scott Reader said that he's not uh, he's a Zionist, he supports Israel, he's not against he's not he's, he's, he, uh, he said he's a friend of Israel. Uh, that's like a Zionist to me that you support it. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I was like, why the hell are you speaking at an anti-war rally? If you announce, you just announced on Twitter you're not anti-war, and you announced you're a friend of Israel. Who are you? I think what 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 happened with Scott Ritter is that they looked at his background, his you know professional background, and they mm-hmm. never really looked at his other background because he was on. I think the first person who had him, I think it was maybe Jackson Hinkle, and. Uh, then other people started picking him up. Then he went on Jimmy Dore because I remember people were telling, super chatting Jimmy Dore, have Scott Ritter, have Scott Ritter on over and over and over. Jimmy was like, he didn't answer because if Jimmy's not answering, he's not going to basically have you on. And uh, I think it was after when he went on vacation, Scott Ritter came on, and I'm like, oh, God damn, I'm like, God damn it, Aaron had him on, but did, does Aaron didn't know about his background? That we just looked at the professional background and not the other background that's on the, on the I don't meeting. I don't I don't think so sure because like I said I was at the Assange rally in DC and Medea Benjamin was there as a speaker Scott Ritter was a speaker I was a speaker like there were multiple people there I didn't even hear about it back then the first I'm hearing about it is this week yeah me too and I'm like oh it's, it's the first time they said he, he got a from what I read on the Wikipedia page it said he got arrested twice he got caught twice the first time he got caught he said he thought he was talking to some teenager. Turns out he was he was actually an adult woman. That it was a sting. But then you're like, you got cut the second time. And then you, when you got caught, they're coming for you. And you said, oh yeah, you, you knew it was a sting, but you wanted the cops to arrest you to get rid of your tendencies. So that means that you had you had a tendency to want to chat ch- chat with basically underage people. I'm Wait, like, so the first time was a sting? Yeah. He did the first the second time. The, the first one. The first one. The second one. But. One was a sting, and basically he got caught. And I think the second one, I think I think the Wikipedia page mentioned like it was the the George Bush presidential run. I think he, maybe he was gonna run, and they they did a hit piece on him. So they had to expose so that I, part. I'll just mention. Could a it be? Things. Could it be? And I asked this question: Could it be that maybe he was targeted because he was a whistleblower? Well, yeah. That I mean, I think well, that's yeah, why but I don't then, bring this up very much. Like. And that's why I said I feel ambiguous about it, again, is because he he is such a thorn in the side, having been a a Marine intelligence officer in the Soviet Union, 
you know, nego- he's, he's not, he's anti-communist and he helps to negotiate the arms control treaties. And then he Maybe. was opposing Joe Biden in Congress. And it was so embarrassing for the entire establishment that this particular guy who had done the, the UN compliance work with Iraq, he was like the best possible person to say whether or not there were WMDs in Iraq. And I think, yeah, like the, the reason I, I've talked about Scott Ritter a lot, and I, I usually don't really bring this up because I think it's besides the point about what Scott Ritter brings to the table in a political discussion. And I can't honestly say that I'm sure one way or the other whether this is like the the Swedish prosecutor's case against Assange that claimed he had raped a woman. And then as soon as Assange was uh, on his way to Belmarsh prison, the Swedish prosecutor dropped the case. So... Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Just like, yeah, but Scott Scott Ritter, Scott Ritter basically he doesn't deny it. He he said there was an incident, but he doesn't. Well, if you if you said there was an incident, you don't want to go into it. So that means it's definitely fucking true. So you know if you come out and people, I don't out know if that means it's definitely true. And I I forgot the other thing I was going to say is like Wikipedia. I really wish RT hadn't been brought down because Chris Hedges did a really great interview a few years ago with this woman who had written a book about how. Wikipedia is a tool of the ruling class where there's if you look at the people you can see the contributors to Wikipedia and you can see how many articles that they've edited and there are many people on Wikipedia with tens or hundreds of thousands of edits and they work for basically PR firms so I don't know if you probably heard Jimmy talk about the fact that he can't edit his own Wikipedia page to just put up like accolades about his own comedy but the pr firms can edit his wikipedia page to say that he is a conspiracy theorist for his stances on syria yeah and this is not to weigh in one way or the other on scott's personal issues whether or not he has whether or not he is a pedophile of one sort or another um i'm i'm just saying that like I can accept that he has made good contributions to world peace, even if he is a pedophile. I can also accept that it's possible he's been set up by, you know, United States intelligence who consistently use this particular tactic as, um, you know, decrediting, like to de- to to character assassinate people. But I I can't say I'm sure one. Well, I would I would say that, um, and I I hear what you're saying. My point is, is that he was convicted by a jury of his peers and he spent time in prison for it. So, you know, I, I, you know, he may very well maintain his, his innocence, but, you know, in terms of our justice system, he was convicted. He went to prison. Yeah. It's, it's like what Robin said, because for them, it doesn't matter if really the, the, the thing they want to go after him is the fact that he's talking about the Ukraine war, but it's really about the, 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 the meat behind it is the whole, the, the, the whole, you know, conviction. That's easy. You could, you could basically put a smoke screen of what he's been actually saying on the other networks on the independent media, but it, that's the juicy meat. That's the one that people are going to basically focus on. You dangle that meat about him doing this about what sex thing or whatever the fuck that's going to be meat. They're going to want, people are going to want to touch on that. That's why they wanted to get rid of him. And another person I would probably say maybe to should not be speaking is Jackson Hinkle. Because as much as Jackson Hinkle says he's anti-war, he's pro-war on the Russia, on the Ukraine thing. 
Plus, he, he sold, and, and I and I just know that it just, just came to my mind, but he was selling fucking shirts, merchandise, when this war was going on. Z shirts. Just because that. Zelensky was taking out the letter Z, and he was selling this shit. I'm like, now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, bro, you were basically profiting off this fucking war. Who picked the, who picked the speakers is what I want to know. Both parties. Like, well, I mean, it's like... It's an anti-war rally. You can't, why are you picking, not all of them, but why are you picking some speakers who are not anti-war? If you're cheering on one of the other, you know, sides to destroy the other, that's not anti-war. Like, I just, who, who picked, like, this is really baffling to me. Like, I'll be honest with you. Even when I saw Tulsi Gabbard, I was like, say what now? Yeah, she's pro-war on some things and pro-war on some well, things. I mean, like the Libertarian Party is as well. They are pro-militarized borders. And they are also, from what I've heard, pro, they're pro-getting rid of the police and replacing them with, with private mercenaries, basically, for public protection or for private protection. So it's like, the, the and, and again, I would not know about um, as much of the the shenanigans and terrible behavior of Nick Braun if it weren't for um, RBN mostly. Like, I mean, I think Sabby and CJ covering it. So it's like the whole event is littered with um, people who are doing unserious and kind of grifty stuff. But again, that's why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up to the Seattle event. I'm not going to pay any attention whatsoever to the speeches and the concert stuff. I'm going to talk to people who are there. And I think that's, that's the best I could hope to take away from it. And if they're willing to work with me on a local basis, then I'll consider it a win and thank the people for organizing the event and not donate any money to them. And yeah, like, I guess the problem with Nick Brana is that he comes to every fucking thing. Like I I'm not even exaggerating because like when I was at the Assange rally, like he wasn't a speaker but that motherfucker was there. Uh, I heard that. Um, I don't know if it's true. I saw it on Twitter. They said that uh, Nick Brana is probably the one handling the money. That's why you hear donations. Because I don't think people are donating to MPP. I think MPP it's dead in the water. So he, maybe his new thing is to join other political groups and try to funnel some money. Oh, my God. As, as, as Lucy calls it, the one person party. Yeah, it is a one-person party. <laughs> Lucy is so, Lucy is so direct. <laughs> she got the one-liners. I was surrounded by a uh, greatest hits. I was surrounded by a nest of feds, uh, and it, I've got another one that she used. But um, no. So what I was talking before, Robin. So remember when I said, uh, so I said Scott Ritter showed humility, and I was being like opposite of what Nick Brana is doing when he never stepped down um even before the uh uh rape allegations just this whole thing with the with the money and so on and so forth and these people get in get in their feelings and get all about their ego and and make it about themselves you know what i mean but you don't you don't think it's really about that accusation roger because he was he was kicked out before because okay but it's still about his ego though it's it's who still about his. Out? Wait, who was kicked out before? Scott Ritter. He was kicked out. No. It, it said so on Twitter, like two days prior, a couple of days, maybe a week ago. He was kicked out, and then he got back on. Oh, well, mm. I don't know. 
I mean, I, 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 to be honest um, with you, I didn't really, like, follow it like that. This is a mess. This is a mess. Go ahead, Noel, um, and then um, Andrew, I'm going to invite you to speak and bring in Karthik. Go ahead. I've been musing as we've been, you know, and listening as we discuss this and rooting out and reasoning out my feelings with respect to um, a person's background as opposed to a person's expertise. And for me personally, pedophilia is just I mean, it's like the breach of a social contract in a different way than just, you know, you might have robbed your neighbor, which is, you know, that personal offense. But that because children are defense, defenseless. But then on the other hand, I say to myself, of all the people of prominence who speak um, on all of these issues because of their expertise, what do we really know about their backgrounds? And it's the matter of what we don't know won't hurt us. But again, to, um, you know, Andrew's point, um, when people are compromised because of their personal backgrounds, then that can be used as a bludgeon sort of to delegitimize what they bring to the table in terms of expertise. I do believe personally that if you have some of those type of controversial things in your background, you should make your expertise available as necessary from the background. I think because of the the, the age that we live in and the way people use platforms and use um the media to bludgeon people. But then again, you have, by the same token, you have um, George Santos still in Congress or Carlos Santos or whatever his name is, child, do we really know? But <laughs> you have him still in Congress. You have Joe Biden touching people and Tara Reid's allegation of him that gets overlooked. Years ago, there was this Congress person who was from Chicago, who turned out to have been doing dalliances with, you know, his aides or whatever. And it's just a whole quagmire. And then I step back and say, but we are none of us perfect. Um, but some sins are, like I say, breaches of a place where I just can't, you know, swallow it. But And then we know the games, like we say that the U.S. government has played with not only Julian Assange, but any of the enemies. I mean, think of all the people that they've locked up in Guantanamo without charges and ruined these people's lives. And it's just, it's such a quagmire. But I do think in terms of these anti-war movements and efforts, they should steer to the many, many people whose backgrounds like Cornel West and Medea Benjamin and this and that are known and they're not conflicted or controversial and just go straight down the middle with those type of people who are more than capable of speaking to the issue, but they don't present that additional piece of controversy that can mar the movement for those who would otherwise pay attention. It's just, it's just a, a peculiar space for me. Um, but I do think we, in my best self, I would say separate the person 
the person and their expertise from the person and their frailties and weakness. But I know we live in an imperfect world. And Mm. so uh, I am about being most impactful and some of the sacrifices that we have to make to be the most impactful. Interesting. Let me bring in Karthik. Karthik, you want to go ahead and unmute? Welcome, Mr. Mr. Karthik. Uh, what's up, Sabi? Great to talk to you. I just wanted to say congratulations on your show. You're doing a great job so far on your YouTube show. Thank Obviously, you. your call in is great. Um, and in terms of higher education, I mentioned earlier, I, I've worked in a higher ed before college, and I definitely can feel you, what you said about working in schools, because um, I was actually kicked out of the college uh, Dems party when I was in school for pushing back on some of the let's say the politicians they interviewed, but um, in terms of uh, on the Jimmy or hit piece, I find it all hilarious. First, I, I, I love that uh, Jordan's been trashing Jimmy for a while now because five years ago uh, when you know he was smeared, uh, Jimmy was um, the only person from TYT that, that was defending him because mm-hmm. uh, everybody else acted like he was dead or he was, you know, a violent criminal, but he was the only one that was like still talking to him as a friend. And, I, I I I love how it's Walker Bragman of all people that wrote this, and because he, him and Jimmy are vehemently disagree on COVID. They've gone a bit back and forth on Twitter. Like Walker is very militant on COVID. Like he wanted for Omicron, he pretty much wanted um, masks and lockdowns, and you know for Omicron specifically, like man, like vaccine mandates and lockdowns for um, just for Omicron and all the other sources like Jank. Like I'm sure some of you guys remember. But Jake and Anna had three um, contradictory stories for the Me Too allegations. Yeah, and uh, which I thought was just because it's funny because I I I I'm a huge fan or used to be a huge fan of all these guys. Like I, I was a huge fan of Tyt for ten years. I was a huge fan of uh, Jimmy. I, I am still uh, for twelve years, and it's just hilarious to see. Like I'm, I, I always wonder like if, if any other fans are catching these giant contradictions. And and I'm sure some fans know this, but I I know TYT kind of markets itself as like a pro you know worker you know pro labor company. But they also have NDAs, and they also at least when I used to watch them, I'm guessing they still do. Maybe they had uh, 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 unpaid internships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think people a lot of people really understand that like NDAs are not as uncommon as people would think. Go ahead, Roger. Um. Karthik, I, I never remember um, TYT being like pro labor, pro worker. Well, that's what Jenk said. They they, they they would act like you know, oh, we're a progressive company, and, and you know, who, who this is all what Jenk said. So, it yeah, but true, I don't obviously. even remember Jenk saying that though. Oh, um, I remember uh, w- w- watching because because say it a few times. Like uh, he didn't say like we're like a socialist company, but he just no, said, no, no. He, like, said he was a capitalist. But oh yeah, yeah. Seen. Obviously, he's a giant capitalist. We all know yeah. that. But he also acted like TYTZ, like a great place to work. And you know, maybe it is. I don't know how they treat. Oh, them. oh, I thought, thought you meant. Okay, that. you mean it like that? Like he, it's a great place to work. But okay, I thought you meant like, yo, we're for labor unions. We're for workers. Oh like, no, no, no. I don't mean like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, oh, I'm, just, oh, okay. I'm just saying. Oh yeah. Well, I'm sure everybody knows that Jenks a giant uh, uh, union buster. So it's hilarious to see the Jenk Nana call somebody else anti-labor or whatever when everybody knows who they are you know the black guy that works for them uh on the show roger the dan andrews that, that guy 
The guy with the dreads. Oh, I don't know personally, but you're talking about what's his name? Jay something? I forgot yeah, his yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy had to work for five years straight, no pay from from Jake Uger in order to be a regular employee. Oh, fuck oh, that. uh, Jr. Jackson. Yeah, yeah I've Jackson. I've met him. He's very nice. Yeah, you, you have to give you have to give Jake Uger like maybe two or five years of your life before you start basically getting get to be an employee at TYT. Where's the Walter? Where's the or not Walter Walker? I was thinking about Walter White for a second. Sorry. Bringing Walker Bragman. Oh, yeah, he he's from the Hamptons. Where's the Walter Bragman article about that? Uh, not, well, Walker Bragg. Oh, I don't know, but I I, I love that Bragman wrote it because he's from he's he's literally from the Hamptons. Of course, somebody said he was he he's a he's a TYT employee or was one. But that's like a conflict of interest. I'm like, what the fuck? I don't know if Walker Bragman was, but I know like uh, and uh, all these sources in the in our in the article, they all, it's all well known that they hate Jimmy. Like, like, like even one of the sources, like uh, uh, Dan Andrews, is a source in the in the article. He, he's made uh, uh, vi- videos on YouTube trashing Jimmy, so it's like the most like, like obvious like like ho- so, horrible sources ever. Let me ask you a question real quick, Karthik. Do you think? Put, I want you to put on your uh, conspiracy hat a little bit, right? I don't need a conspiracy because I know a lot of these people in the article. I, I was a fan for them well, no, for no, decades. You know, oh, oh, no. All right. So the people, the, the, the Bragg people and the Walter people, you know, whatever it is, right, who were for the – who were hardcore for the vaccine mandates and all that different type of stuff, right? Do you think – that they were getting a little kickback from big tech. And the reason why I say that is when we were on the lockdowns, big tech got it in their head that, oh, this is going to be the new norm. People are going to be locked in their houses forever. And what happened was big tech ended up hiring, over hiring all these people because they thought that people were never going to come back out of their homes and that the uh, the service class is going to serve them forever, and so on and so forth. So the so like the vaccine mandates and the lockdowns served them, but I guess they didn't realize just how much people wanted these lockdowns to end, which meant that they had to fire all these people. Like the service industry ended up hiring people, and the and the big tech, Facebook, Twitter, all these people ended up having to fire people because they overhired because they predicted wrong. So if you were like for the vaccine mandates, that would help the, you know, big tech out. So I was just wondering, do you, do you think maybe these guys who were fighting Jimmy about vaccine, no, you got to get a vaccine, you got to get a vaccine, you got to get a vaccine. Do you think maybe they were getting some type of kickback or something from big tech? Um, I have no idea. I hope not, you know, because that would be really um, unethical. But all I know about Walker Bragman is he, he, he doesn't need a kickback. He, he, he doesn't need to be paid because on COVID, like, like he literally just just repeat whatever CNN and uh, the uh, Times uh, report. He has mm. no, like, uh, curiosity on COVID. Like, like, if CNN says it, he'll, he'll repeat it. Who cares? So he, he doesn't need to be paid off. Also, um, to, I want to address, um, uh, piggyback onto what Noel was saying before. So, um, so the whole thing with uh, Ritter and pedophilia, all that different type. I can't even say the word, but with, with the pedo thing, right? Um, I want you to think about this, and I'm not saying that this is this is Ritter, okay? But this is the type of stuff that the government will get on you to be like. Yo, to blackmail you 
into doing their bidding to infiltrate something like a, a peace a peace rally or something like that. Like if you don't get down with the program, we're gonna let everybody know that you did this or whatever the case is. So you know, it's just you know like you see what I'm saying. Like this, this is what they do. You know, this is what the government does. That's what they did to the guy that infiltrated uh, the Panthers in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot his name. O'Neill? Something O'Neill. Yeah, you know what I mean? So They tried to do yeah, the Martin Luther King. Yeah. 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 They always find people to do that. Go ahead, Andrew. I was going to say further on the point of, like, how much would they invest in media people doing this. I don't know if you guys have read that article on the gray zone from a little bit ago from Kit Clarenberg. Um, he's been, he's the guy who's now running the gray zone UK. He's been getting uh, a lot of leaked documents from British intelligence. And he found a, um, uh, in the documents that he was reading through from, I think the home office that the home and the home office is roughly kind of like a, they would they would make up like a part of the FBI in the United States. They had been giving out a lot of money to I think it's um, Philosophy Tube or Philosophy Talks. She's a very popular YouTuber, kind of in the bread tube sphere. They had given her a lot of money to. Oh, I think we lost Andrew. Uh, Hello, Andrew. I'm very much familiar with Philosophy Talks. Oh, I know what man, he's that was a cliffhanger. Yeah, it's like... Go ahead, Andrew. I think we lost you for a second. Oh, my bad. I'm going to turn off my Wi-Fi. Can you hear me? Yeah. What was the last thing you heard? You said philosophy talks is in the bread bread tube sphere. Oh, yeah. Well, she she had been getting a lot of money from the... um, the British Home Office, which again is like a part of the British intelligence apparatus, to push uh, their, you know, the government's narratives on COVID policy in the sort of indie media sphere, and it's like it, 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 it not only does it make perfect sense um, that the government would do this; they've been doing it forever. They've been infiltrating, infiltrating groups and um, media for a very long time in the United States and the UK. Um, you know, like y'all mentioned with the Panthers, uh, but also like other parts of COINTELPRO and Project Mockingbird um, to infiltrate media outlets to to uh, shape the narrative how they want. And now that the corporate media, like the old, um, the old is dying. And so the new is already rising. Like people, you know, tons of people watch indie, indie media. I mean, I know, I don't always agree with Joe Rogan, but he is independent and he has more subscribers than the New York Times or, or almost equivalent. And so they, what they are doing is they're investing in this, in this new indie media that's taking off. And so absolutely, absolutely there, there is a possibility, especially with the Young Turks. Like I look at their subscriber numbers and I'm like, um, like Karthik, are you still subscribed to the Young Turks? Cause like, no, I fuck no. I, I stopped watching that shit show three years ago. It was yeah. 10 years too much. And like, they still supposedly have five and a half million subscribers on YouTube and they get lower um, live stream numbers than much, much. Yeah, it's a real tragedy what's happening to them. But Sabi, I have a question yeah. for you. And it's on the uh, rally upcoming uh, next week. 
Yep. And it's about not just Scott Ritter, but it's on Tulsi Gabbard and, you know, Jackson Inkle, the, the uh, extraordinary culture warrior of all time. Um, do you think that, that somebody should be able to speak if they're not actually anti-war? Because I, I know Jackson no. just said that, like, he, he doesn't even think that uh, U- Ukraine is a real country, which I'm guessing that means that, like, uh, Russia should be able to colonize it. I, I don't know what anybody means with that. But, like, but some of these people don't seem anti-war, as you said earlier. No, like, I mean, okay, I'm not an organizer for this rally, but I would like to, you know, pick people's minds (laughs) to find out, like, what was the thought process that went into some of the invites? So, for example, like, why would you invite someone to be a speaker that's not anti-war? So even even if people did not know about um the other situation with scott ritter scott ritter is not anti-war which he has stated so why was he invited to be a speaker why was why is tulsi gabbard invited to be a speaker she's not anti-war she's in the military she's in the military and, and we need to remember like she's not against drone strikes she's not against any of those things she's talked about this publicly on fox news recently so why is Tulsi Gabbard, um, you know, in, invited as a speaker? I'm confused about that one. And I think it's just there's a difference between being anti-war and being opposed to this particular war. And I think if you're going to say this is an anti-war rally, then you need to have speakers that are anti-war. <laughs> just, you know, there's a list of demands. It seems and like I there are. The, yeah, I went over the demands on my show when Garland Nixon came on. If you don't agree with the demands, which one of the demands is to end all the wars, then why are you speaking at the rally? Yeah, well, from what I've heard that their rationale is that, okay, they're, some of these guys aren't anti-war, but they're anti-this war. Like, like this no, but that war, goes like, do you against, think that's a good reason? I don't know. No, that goes against the list of the demands. If you look at the demands that they have for the rally, one of the demands is to end all the wars. All of them, not just this one. So to me, it just, it. what's the point of having demands if you're not going to have people follow them that are coming there? Like that defeats the whole purpose of having a list of demands. Well, like again, the, the organizations that are putting on, the main organizers are the Libertarian uh, Party and the, the Movement for a People's Party. You know, Movement for a People's Party in my opinion is pretty thoroughly debunked as, it's the as one people's as party it's the one person party it's the the one that one dude's party <laughs> stop calling but it no, the um fair enough no I'll, I'll put like a incorporated at the end of, if i if i accidentally call them the people's party um but yeah like and then there's the libertarian party which you know again they they have they're I wouldn't really necessarily call them an independent party because they have huge backing of right-wingers that also support the Republican party. And I kind of view it the same way as like, you know, if the government and capitalists are going to invest in um, shaping a a compliant quote unquote independent media uh, because the old media is collapsing. Like if the Republican party and the democratic party is collapsing, why not invest in the stock of the replacement? And that's kind of how I view the Libertarian Party. So again, like I'm just thinking, there's there's probably gonna be a lot of people showing up to these events that 
aren't going to necessarily recognize these things. And I'm just going to be one person. Maybe I'll be able to bring some other people with me at the Seattle event. And I'm just hoping to kind of steer those people away. I don't, I don't think it's good if people support almost any of the organizations except for like world beyond war um, and code pink dropped out. So code pink's not even in it. I just want to say to everybody, thanks. Thanks Sabrina for telling me about the little uh, message thing, email thing in the app. And I want everyone to know, I responded to everybody that that sent me stuff just awesome. now. Awesome. <laughs> All right, Karthik, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to bring in Brent. All right. Brent, you are next on the mic. What's up? Hi. Hi, Sabi. Hey, how are you? Good, good. So I'm actually a huge Jimmy Dore fan. Um, he knows me by by first name i've been to probably 15 of his shows in person um yeah so i and i there's only one i think he's he's great because he speaks his mind but there's only if there's if people are going to nitpick him on something if they're like this is a a nitpick to be clear if they're going to find something in nitpick it's going to be his um how he presents the war and how he's trying to attract a certain base. Uh, I, he, he, he constantly repeats the U.S. corruption, like the expansion of NATO and then um, the funding of Ukraine, which is 100% accurate. But he never mentions the Russia side, the Russian war crimes. Because honestly, everyone's a war criminal. Biden, Putin, they're, they're both war criminals. And if people don't want to acknowledge that, then... That's their, but he, that's their opinion, but, but he, that's the one nitpick I have of him. Other than that, he's spot on. And this, this NDA stuff, um, they're trying to get him because I, I believe he criticized Trump for having an NDA. If he criticized I, if, Trump for having an NDA for volunteers. These people Okay, I think that was Jimmy, it. Yeah, yeah, these people that work for Jimmy weren't volunteers. They were contractors. They were paid. Okay, so that's that. That's why it's it's being brought up because um, Jimmy they they claim that Jimmy claims to be a, a champion for the people and stuff like this, and they bring up his house, which isn't even that big. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to sound like a like a a snob or anything. It was kind of like that house in California is not that big. If if you're talking if if you're gonna accuse Jimmy of being a like a rich elitist um people need, need to come to california and see the the houses of the of the rich people in california cuz his that house is just a house as robin said it's it's nothing out of the ordinary so i, I believe that criticism is absolutely ridiculous and um i think these people that they, they're all bought whether it's breaking points uh tyt uh the Vanguard, they're all looking to, um, I, I don't know how, how to put it, they're, they're all bought somehow. And I feel like by criticizing Jim, like Jim, they feel like Jimmy is indirectly attacking them, even though he's not, just based by, based on his, like, uh, his videos and stuff, like calling out the corruption, because deep down they know they're corrupt in some way. That's the only speculation as to why they're 
they're going after him. And if people spend the time to meet and talk with Jimmy, I think they, they would change their minds. But that's just my opinion. Well, so. I mean, I'll see him at the rally. That'll be the first time I see him in person. But I think that, you know, a lot of this just, it really does go back to the money. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, Brent, when you brought that up. Like, again, like, I'm sorry, but there are people who made a lot of money off of the Bernie Sanders campaigns. Made a lot of money. And are still trying to, you know, count on that. Bernie. Exactly, especially Bernie Sanders. The thing I find you know, when they bring up Jimmy's house, I'm like, if it's a comp- compound, where are Jimmy's uh, posse? <laughs> I mean, where's, where's the posse? Where are the big black dudes with chains? Just, hey, back up, back up, back up. Jimmy Dewey's no. coming through. Back the fuck up. <laughs> Don't get me but wrong. People... In California, those compounds do exist. I'm talking, Let's. Um, there's a certain neighborhood. It's in... Brentwood, Beverly Hills area. There, are, these compounds do exist, but I don't think Jimmy is one has one of those. No. <laughs> if it's a compound, where where's the posse? Where the people with armed guns? <laughs> I mean, we think Jimmy Dore would have those people with him, but it's just Jimmy Dore and Steph and Brownie. <laughs> well, I think it's funny that people keep talking about Jimmy Dore's house, but you don't hear them talk about other people's houses that are in the space too. I had a son Parker bought a fucking house that was like. Three times Jimmy Doors, Jimmy Doors price. Not yeah, even just like, not not even just like those are the obvious targets though. Like those are the obvious. It's not even just about Jimmy Dore. It's not even just about Hassan Piker. Those are the ones that are out in the open and it's easier to point to the easier targets. I'm talking about the people who are not the easier targets that also have million dollar homes and also have like net worth of millions and millions of dollars. So I think the thing is, is like to Brent's point, a million dollar house in California, that's not what you think it is. Like you take that same, like a million dollars, like in North Carolina for a home is like a freaking mansion. In California, it's not. No. And if, if, if these people come to Southern California, particularly Orange County, the particularly the quote-unquote lower income areas, the lower middle class, I would say the cheapest house is 800000 in I Orange remember, County. If I remember correctly, Jimmy said that for maybe 15, 20 years, he was a bricklayer and that before he got his new house, he basically got to sell his old house to add to the payment to it. So I'm like, what the... Wow. They're just looking to attack him because they have nothing else. Like Jordan Sheraton, he, he, all these people are just looking for reasons to attack him because they they have nothing else to attack him on. I mean, that's just how I feel. And but I do feel like Jimmy invites some of the criticism. Like when he has people like Jackson Hinkle, and Jimmy claims to be anti-war, but he has people like Jackson Hinkle on his show. I don't watch those. I don't watch those segments because. Jackson Hinkle is not anti-war. He's pro-Russia. He's, I mean, is, I think that's a fair statement to say he's pro-Russia um, because he he's selling Z-shirts and um, he believes the Russian war was justified. I, I called him out on it and he says, 
okay, debate me on it, and then he he chickened out. So because you can't you know, be anti-war and support that invasion. I'm sorry. Like people, there's people on the, in this chat. They're gonna get on me and say, oh, the Russia was provoked. No, Russia is a Russia is a war. Cr- Putin's a war criminal. So is Biden. They're both war criminals, and it's unfortunate that neither of them are held accountable. So, but what? Those are the only two criticisms of Jamie Dore. Other than that, there's nothing. Well, one crit- I could one find criticism. You said that he he doesn't call out Vladimir Putin. I'm pretty sure there there are old videos of him saying Vladimir Putin, even current ones, saying Vladimir Putin is a bad guy. He's not a good guy. I'm pretty sure you got videos where he said like Vladimir Putin, just like Joe Biden, they're killers too. I'm talking about the Russia-Ukraine war. I've watched a lot of his videos. He hasn't he hasn't addressed that side once, and that's just if people are going to pick on Jimmy Dore, they should pick on that. But that's just even that is not even holds up because everything Jimmy says is anti-war. Like I I I, I try to block out my bias for Jimmy Dore and just put the the words that he says. It's a hundred percent spot on. But I could see how people could think that that's propaganda for Putin. If he doesn't contend the Russian side. So that's the only criticism I could see that people could have with Jamie Dore, not this NDA nonsense. It's well, just it you, he has called out Putin before. You just probably didn't see the videos, but I, I do remember he's called him out. Sabrina, um, do you think, I think the change, I think Jack Jackson Hinkle changed when, remember when his YouTube show was uh, was taken away? Um, yeah. it was a while ago. Once his YouTube show was taken away, that was his only stream of revenue. So I guess, you know, like he probably quit his job when he saw, okay, I could do this YouTube thing now. And when that was taken away, that's when he went into, I got to come up with another revenue stream thing. And next thing you know, the MAGA communism thing came and Ashura, whatever you said about t-shirts and like all these different type of scams it's kind of like the 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 bottom uh, fell out from has, underneath uh, he has donors um i think he has like a like some kind of gold thing like for ads like he has a donor for ads for gold but he was he was public from... he was public about the fact that he was going to take sponsorships because yeah. his channel was demonetized he was public yeah. about that Right, and that's that's which goes to show you. I guess you got to have another stream of revenue, like you know, like whatever the case is, if you're gonna do this. Um, but uh, well, the fact that he's there though at the rally, I don't think he should speak just like Ritter because you are for the war, so you should probably not be speaking. Should probably be in the crowd than be on the stand. Oh, um, Sabrina, I want to ask you something real quick. Um, because this is what I was asking on on the rock thing. The the Friedman the, the task force in Boston in Boston for reparations. Do you know their um? Do you know if those are freedmen? If their background is freedmen? I don't. It, it like like it literally just formed the other day. Like that article that I read to you guys tonight that was put out yesterday. Okay, like it's it's that... very new, very new. So I'll have to look into that. Also, um, okay, you you already knew this. I just found out, but uh, Boston is is uh, allows for ballot measures. So maybe you can um, say to them, you know, maybe like say to them, like uh, uh, as a recommendation, like a, a public bank for Boston to back up 
uh, black-owned community banks. You know what I mean? So, because you could run a, a ballot. I mean, I'm not trying to put on you. Like, I know it sounds like I'm putting. I on could, this. I could, I could bring that up. I, I need to have the meeting with uh, Senator Eldridge first. I need to have yeah, that yeah, first, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then. Right. Yeah, because yeah, because the reason why I was saying that is there's two different. So, like we have, for instance, um, like California, what they did was they passed. Um, I call it a permission slip bill. Uh, that allows municipalities to start their own public bank, okay? And Newsom said he was, I don't know how serious he is, but he said he's, he's working on doing a California public bank. So you could also have local public banks. You see what I'm saying? So it's like you can run, you know, like uh, 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 one for state and one for, for local. You know, they're just throwing it out there. I'm not saying... I'm not trying to make it sound like, hey, you need to do all this stuff or whatever. Just putting a bug in your ear, pretty much. Yeah. Um, Brent, anything else you wanted to add before we go to the next call? Um, not really. I mean, I heard Boston, that East Coast, they had a huge uh, weather storm. It was... Um, because I follow uh, New Kids on the Block, and um, the person that died was a blockhead, and Donnie Wahlberg posted up about it, and I was like, wow, they had like a neg, it was like negative like 10 or something over there, so so I'm just wondering, like, is it still that cold over there, or? Oh, the temperatures are back to normal temps now, like it was, it was freezing cold like that for two days, and now it's back to the normal temperatures, but yeah, I saw that story too, it's really sad, like, People need to understand, like, negative temps are no joke. Like, you will freeze, you know? Right. Okay. And this person, yeah, and that's why um, whenever you don't feel safe, whether it's due to weather or the crime in the area, just take an Uber. And, I mean, it may cost more money than the walking, but your life is more important. Yeah. So Walking <laughs> in those temps outside, like, you have to take, like, second breaths. Like, it's not... It's not easy. It's not the first time we've had negative temps here, but we've had it before. And I remember when I was walking to work during that time and I was like, oh, hell no, I, cu I couldn't do it. Like I had to go inside of a building and take like an Uber because it was that bad. Like you really right. cannot be doing like those kind of walks in negative temperatures. You will freeze. Right. And if I could imagine if you just went out like with a T-shirt and shorts in that weather, you'd probably die within like yeah. five minutes. Right. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. really bad. It's it's really wow. bad. So hopefully Washington DC the the temperature is going to be more normal like maybe 20 or Oh yeah, it's way warmer there than it is here. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, in the US that bad, Zabby? We got yeah, to 9 it was, degrees. It was it was bad, Ashura. A couple of days ago it was negative temperatures here in Boston. So it was even colder in uh New Hampshire and in Maine. So the last weekend was minus 28, 28, 20, maybe 30, Saturday and Sunday. Right now, it's basically got a freezing, freezing rain. It's one degrees. Jesus. By, by the way, wow. did you um, did you hear uh, Jose and some someone else struck again? They did it. I haven't. I'm I'm not on Twitter that much like I used to be, so I'll have to check. But it, yeah, it, you you want to hear it? It's only a minute. 
You can go ahead. So, I want to. I want to go ahead and bring in the next caller though, because I know people have been waiting for. Okay, all right, my bad, my bad. Sorry. Okay, all right. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. All right, uh, Brady, you already spoke, so I'm going to go to um, Elmer. Elmer, you are the next caller. Just have to unmute, and you'll be on the mic. And that is the South Park character. What's up, Elmer? Hello? Yeah. Oh, hey. Hey, can you hear me? Okay, sorry. (laughs) Bad with technology. Anyway, first of all, I love RBN. I love your channel, Sabs. I love JB's channel. I think all five of you are great. I hope you stick together forever. Um, But on this uh, Rage Against the War Machine rally, um, I look at the demands, and I pretty much agree with the demands. Like, there's a couple of them, like Restore Civil Liberties. The libertarians probably think about that a little differently than I do, but Whoever came up with these demands represented me pretty well. Like, I agree with them. Um, and I don't think you have to agree with all of them to want to attend it. Uh, you know, but I think part of this uh, criticisms towards it is uh, they're trying to discourage people from going. And I think, why wouldn't you go, you know? And if you don't mm-hmm. like one of the speakers... Just don't cheer for him. You know, if Jackson Hinkle gets up there and says something misogynist or something, boo, you know, boo him. That shouldn't stop people from attending or supporting this thing. Yeah, I I hear you, Elmer, but I have spoken to, you know, people that are part of those marginalized groups and they do feel slighted in a sense, especially since. This isn't the only anti-war rally that's happening in D.C. this year. There's another one happening in March, which I mentioned tonight, that's going to be sponsored by Code uh, Pink. So I think that, um, you know, I, I think I think we do need to listen to people's concerns and things like that. And I do know, like I said, I have spoken to people that are part of like those marginalized groups and they're asking, like, why are people aligning themselves with people who don't respect like people who are African-American or people who are LGBTQ. So I understand those concerns as well. I get that Sabs. And uh, you, I mean, you have some really good points, but these people aren't running for office. You know, they're not asking for your vote. They're not forming a political party. They're just having a rally. And it was understood from the beginning that it was going to be a range of people who for in one way or another wanted to rage against the war machine and it is billed as an anti-war rally. I think you made some good points that some of the people aren't really anti-war. To be frank, I'm not exactly anti-war either. I think we're losing the class war and I think we should fight back the class war I'm for, but these wars between countries I am against because the working class always loses. Hmm. That's a good point as well. I think that, you know, I think with, with something like this, so as someone who is an organizer, there's a reason to have a set of demands. And you have the demands because that lets, number one, the audience know what you're fighting for, number one. Number two, it also gives people an idea about, okay, well, this is what this is what they want and also... Like, if I don't agree with this, then this is not the event for me. 
That's the whole point of having demands. It would have been like, you know, Bernie Sanders had demands if we look back on it, right? It would have been like if people who were a part of Bernie Sanders' campaign was like, yeah, I don't really agree with the demands. Then why are you part of the campaign? Yeah, that's a good point, Sabs. Yeah, I, I just think that, like, I think Scott Ritter, like, regardless of what happened in the past, he didn't do himself, like, any type of justice by publicly announcing on Twitter that he's a friend of Israel and that he is not anti-war. That didn't really help him out. So he kind of dug his own grave here. You know, like, he, he really, like... He brought that to everyone's attention. That's a good point, but also understand that some of the people that are smearing him are 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 opposed to him are very concerned about his crimes, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. There are also disingenuous people. It's not going to end with rage against the war machine. Everybody who's ever had him on their show is going to be guilty. Everybody that is some way associated with those shows is going to be guilty. Mm-hmm. Sabs, I've heard people on Twitter that went after you for being a rape apologist because you had Jim, you have an association with Jimmy Dore, and he had Nick Brana on his show, mm-hmm. and they were they were trying to say you were somehow guilty. And you know what I'm saying is. You can have somebody on your show that's guilty of something doesn't make you guilty. It sure as hell doesn't make a second or third degree person out guilty, you know. And uh, I'm the, sorry. When did Jimmy Dore sexually assault someone supposedly? Exactly. And Nick Brana himself, I'm not a big fan of his because I feel like he's gotten a lot of resources and hasn't really accomplished much with it. But as far as these allegations. I think that any allegations should be taken seriously, but his accusers have had time, they've had resources, they've had people supporting them, and Nick Bronner remains innocent. He's never been proven guilty. At what point do you just say the guy's innocent, you know? Well, I'm not judge and jury, which I said during the interview with Nick Bronner and with um and with uh, Zineb, I said, I'm not judging jury. It's not for me to decide who's innocent and who's guilty, you know? Um, but I will say that, like, some of these people, and I know who you're talking about, some of these people, they still want to work within the Democratic Party. And I don't. And I've been very vocal about that. And so some of these people, they were going to come after me regardless. Some of the same people who told me, why haven't you interviewed Nick Brana? Why haven't you asked him about these allegations? Some of those same people, once I did the interview, they were like, great job, great job. Then a couple months later, they were like, yeah, you you were really soft on Nick Brana. Some of those same people, this is not about Nick Brana. This is not about Jimmy Dore. This is about the fact that most of these people are still a part of the Democratic Party. And I know this because again, and I don't care who's listening, (laughs) you can pass this message on. I know this because they have these DM groups that they think are safe, that are not safe because they have moles in their DM groups. So I've seen screenshots. So there are things that I know that you guys do not know. Some of these people are not legit. 
Some of these people who claim that they support third parties don't support third parties. They're still very much involved with the Democratic Party, and their goal is to try to smear or take down anyone who is against it. So it doesn't even matter. Even if I wouldn't have had Jimmy Dore on, they would have found some other reason to come after me. These people are deeply unserious, most of them, and most of them don't have a large following on Twitter anyway. So they just talking into echo chambers. This is exactly why I've said this before to you guys. I'm not on Twitter all day. I'm not read. I don't read my mentions. So whatever people say about me, I really don't give a shit. <laughs> like I really don't. And no one is going to tell me who I can or cannot talk to. No one. What we should be asking is why are these people so invested in taking down one person? Why are these people more invested in taking down podcasters than focusing on their own initiative and their own action and focusing on a plan? Why are these people sitting in front of the computer or in front of their phone 24-7 trying to take down, let me take down the podcaster who doesn't want to work with the Democratic Party. Why are they more focused on that instead of helping people in their community? Those are the questions we should be asking them, especially since a lot of them claim to be activists. Activists my ass. If you're spending most of your time focusing on who I'm talking to, who I'm married to, what kind of job I had in the past, which I've been very vocal about, you ain't serious about no kind of damn action. The only thing you're serious about is trying to take down anybody who is against the Democratic Party. That's what this is about. They're more focused on me. They talk about like the GOP, the right wing. You need to focus more on the right wing. Those motherfuckers don't focus on the right wing. They're not talking about what the right wing politicians are doing. They're talking about what I'm doing. Yeah. Some of these people really need to get a life. Like they really have no life. Seriously. Some of these people have kids and I don't have kids. And I'm thinking to myself, like you have children and you spend it all day on Twitter. Shouldn't you be spending some time with your kids? Like, what is really your motive here? I, I like, to... You know what? Punch me, punch me in the face if I have kids and I'm spending all my goddamn time on Twitter. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I tweeted at Jordan Shannon, like, didn't Savvy told you uh, go take care of your kid? Why are you bitching about Jimmy Dore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like They I just want to stop. They uh, want to stop any type of organizing Elmer. Like, this is the thing. It's not just about this rally. It's not just about Jimmy Dore. Every type of organizing effort that has happened since Bernie Sanders suspended his campaign, these people have come in and smeared it. Some of these same people, they smeared the marches for Medicare for all. I remember, some of you may not remember, but I was in the organizing groups, like during that time, originally. I was in the organizing groups. I remember some of those same people, they were in the organizing group and then they kept trying to find ways to make the marches not happen, try to come up with excuses. And I'm like, these motherfuckers are ops or they're infiltrators and they do it to every action, every single one. These people are not legit. These people are like, they're frauds. Some of these people are a part of Jihive. They're a part of Jeff Campbell's group. And all Jeff Campbell does is smear every kind of action that is outside of the political space. 
And I know exactly who they are. They think they're being secret. They're not being secret. And all it would take for me, if I really wanted to be like a, a really spiteful, hateful bitch, all it would take for me is to post all those fucking screenshots that I have of their private DM conversations that they thought were private and are not so private. 110% Sabs. Yeah, I always have receipts. This is what people need to understand. I always have receipts. So they can continue to press me if they want to. I have no problem. Give me time and I can expose all their asses. I mean, I think there will probably come a time where it's necessary. I think, um, I mean, what you do have is it may not be leaked documents from the home office, you know, but it's still extremely valuable. I think that um, I would I would not be surprised if we if we end up getting some type of a a leak in the United States or another another some way to look under the hood. If most, if not all of these people that you are referring to are getting some money from government institutions. I don't know if you you guys know that uh, Brooklyn dad defiant guy on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, we we he's getting ten tens of thousands of dollars paychecks from the DNC every year. I mean, there's yeah. there's so many subsidiaries of the Isn't DNC. Isn't it like twenty five thousand dollars? I thought but, it was like forty thousand. But 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 you know what the thing is is this: let success, our success, be the ultimate nullifier. Now, I just saw just recently, yeah. uh, uh, Brandy, you know Weaver. She she's going through some some things right now, but she put out a tweet that said that um, Utah voters are looking at a single-payer ballot initiative for 2026. Like, they're, they're considering it, you know? And because um, they want to give themselves time to really build a uh, some momentum for it. Um, you know what I mean? I want to see if I could... Uh, I, I tweeted the guy who's starting it, Dr. Jervis or something like that. And I say, yo, you should also for 2024, maybe, you know, initiate ballot initiative for a public bank or something or whatever the case is. You know what I mean? Like, because if you go and and start getting into fights with these people, you know, um, you know, people are hurting. You know what I'm saying? They don't they don't really have time for for these fights. People are dependent on us. You know what I mean? And, and we can't you know, we can't let ourselves be distracted by people that want to fight us on Twitter. You know, I'm like, yeah, we, we all healthy now, but we could be one of them people. You know what I mean? We, people, you know, like I, I had a good friend that uh, uh, died Sunday. Cause, oh, shit. I was supposed to turn in there. Uh, yeah, I had a good friend that died Sunday because he was suffering from from cancer for, for some years. You know, he was the guy that introduced me to the New York Health Act. You know what I mean? He was the guy that introduced me that said, yo, fuck federal shit. You need to pay attention to what's going on down right here in the state. You know what I mean? He was the one that put me on put me on that track. You know what I mean? And and we was, you know, trying to get it passed, you know, like he really wanted it passed because, you know, his cancer went into remission and it came back. And, you know, so I'm going to be heading to the funeral uh, Saturday. But, um, people, yeah, Roger, people... I forgot. Oh, my bad. Sorry. No, no it's, go ahead. it's good. I, I... I was just going to say, I forgot to say condolences for your friend um, when you were talking about that a day or two ago. But yeah. I was also going to ask, like, do you know, 
is there like I know there's a there's a ballot initiative mm -hmm. called Bribe Stop that was started in Alaska. And actually, when I just looked into this again, they're all connected up to Act Blue now. So I wouldn't say support Bribe Stop, but they do have like publicly available. You can read the legislation they wrote and it would make mm -hmm. it a class C felony for a local state or a federal politician to vote on any um, anything in, in their legislature where they have a conflict of interest, which is easier to prove than uh, like bribery as far as like a, the threshold of evidence for, from a legal perspective. And, um, and like they made it available and they said, we want people to push this um, legislation in all the ballot initiative states. Is there something like that already for public banks? Well, well, you, see, what you're talking about is is anti-corruption, uh, uh, public. Ba oh, you you mean in terms of uh, we want to push public yeah, banks? Like, like, well, like you know well, how there, there's yeah. Go. We we do have matter of fact. Tomorrow is the uh, well. Today is the second Sunday, a uh, Friday of the month, right? So we have a um, the public banking institute if you want to attend it it's it's every uh second friday of every month 12 noon eastern standard time and it's people that come on from um different states talking about public banking and how we could push it and blah 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 so on and so forth right and yeah. you know I, I would like to get more young people on there because it's it's I'll like come on next month Mike, come on! No, sign up right now. Get on, get get on it. Yeah. Um, because I, I've uh, been wanting to push some ballot. In, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Roger. I I have a bad delay. I'm sorry. I know it. No, no, like it's not that. Uh, yeah, I'm picking up um Uber. Uh, okay. All right, yeah. Not. I I had to enter uh, Hashi University to pick someone up for security. Um. No, no. Just just Google um right now public Maybe banking public banking down. institute. And just and just register, um, yeah, and then and then you could join tomorrow at twelve noon Eastern Standard Time. You know what I mean? But what I was what I was trying to say is, when I go into these Zoom meetings and Zoom spaces or whatever the case is, you know, it's like, you know, like, you know, I'm not trying to be like ages or anything, but let's just say it's a bunch of people with no energy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just like who who are used to doing the same thing over and over again thinking they're going to get a different result, you know? That's if how I go is, in, That's how it is I when I show up to uh, anti-war rallies. It's like always the, the party for socialism and liberation, one or two of the other old socialist parties, and I am usually the youngest one there. Sometimes I'm not, but, um, yeah, it's like there needs to be a shakeup in a lot of the, um, the strategies and the groups and the, the – like messaging and promotion for um, uh, like a lot of different organizations, but I'll, I'll come to the, I sorry, I thought today was Friday. So I was already thinking next month, but yeah, I'll come tomorrow. And what I was well, wondering is not, it, it's, 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 it's in like, 10 hours. So you could, you could sign up, you can sign up right now. And then yeah, I pulled you, up the and anybody else, anybody else here, you know, we need some young people in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I talk to them. I'll be like, "Hey, yo, you're in you're in uh, this state. Why don't you push it as, as a ballot initiative?" Oh no, because blah 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 and blah 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 and blah blah blah. I was like, "Man, you motherfuckers ain't got no energy, man. Y'all are passing your prime." Yeah. they got you know? a lot of energy to shit on people. 
I mean, I was gonna say, they're still trying to work though. with legislators and stuff. You know what I mean? But whatever the case yeah, is. Yeah, that's fair enough, I guess. I was going to say, though, is there like, do they have the like a like a draft of the legislation that is publicly available? Because that's what what Bribestop did is they made their their draft Eric, right? of the law. I'm oh, sorry. My name is Roger. Go ahead. Sorry. Keep going. Keep going. No, no worries. I was saying um, they put the draft of the legislation up so that if there was another organization or like an informal group that wanted to take it to another state, that they could do that. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, because th- there was like, for instance, there's um, Bernie's plan, Warren's plan, and Jayapal's plan for Medicare for all the, the laws they actually wrote out, or at least like a framework. And that's kind of what I want to share. Um for public banking uh, or like, you know, just take the statute in North Dakota and see, how, you know, what's the the best way to take that with the least work and, atta- and try it in another state. I made out an outline of what would make a public bank strong. I took it from this is I took it from different sources and I came up with something. So, I mean, maybe you want to use that, you know what I mean? Because I, I look, what I did was I looked at the, uh, the New York public banking act. I looked at the Massachusetts public banking act. Um, Massachusetts is, is superior to ours because our, um, Senate majority leader wants certain loopholes in that the author of the bill wants to close you see what I'm saying? So it looks like Massachusetts got a little bit more leeway. So theirs was a was you know a good portion better than ours. So I took some stuff from theirs. I took some stuff from ours. And um, you know, I mean, I've been studying public banks since 2010. You know what I mean? So this is just an amalgamation of stuff that I know, whatever. But I do have an outline if, if you want to see it to, to, to make it, um, if, if you want to make it like real strong and real airtight, you know? So maybe that's what you're talking about with, uh, you know, like happy or whatever. Well, I'll, I'll DM you, Roger. We can keep talking about this. Um, I'll DM you on Twitter tomorrow morning and I'll also show up at that, uh, the public bank institute things. Yeah, no Sounds good. Let me go ahead and bring in oh, Elmer. Were you finished? I want to go ahead and bring in the next caller. I'm about finished. I just one more comment, uh, if you don't mind. I I've probably said plenty already, but you know, if Scott Ritter knocked off a bank or something, or was engaged <laughs> prostitution or something, I'd defend him to the, to the death very easily. Say somebody's paid for their crimes, they've served their sentence. They should be back in society like everybody else. But I do recognize that his particular crime, I mean, it does kind of, it just kind of turns your stomach, you know? And I mean, I get that, you know, and I don't know what the right answer is, but uh, I don't think it should disqualify someone that's a critic of U.S. foreign policy from going on shows or I can see why some of the people thought he would be a good speaker for that event. Well, it hasn't seemed to stop him from going on shows. Um, Not yet. 
I mean, he's he's been on a lot of shows. So. I know. All, now now they're all going to be guilty. I guarantee it. Yeah. You know you're right about that. <laughs> okay. You thanks, are right about thanks, that. Sab. All righty. Okay. Let's go ahead and bring in. I'm going to hop around here. Ethan, I think you had you were on here and then you fell off. What's up, Ethan? Just got to unmute. Just got to hit unmute. Okay. I got it. Hey, how are you? Good, Savvy. How are you? I'm good. Um, I love the call-ins because I always love, like, having people share their perspectives. But also, I hate the call-ins because, like, I want to say something, like, you know, an hour ago. And, like, I had an idea and I was like, oh, I love, like, comments people made. Like, I love, like, things that went on and... So I like took notes and I like <laughs> I tried to get my thoughts down. No um, worries, go for it. So something that like I talk about a lot and something that like I think about a lot like with a lot of like the leftist creators because I try to listen to like a lot of different people um, is just like some of the divisions that we were talking about on the left and like the infighting that goes on and like something that I, I listen to Brianna a lot and something that Brianna says a lot is just like even if she has like substantive disagreements with people on the left, like she'll still appreciate some of the things that they can bring in. Um, and like, while like this, this whole controversy with, with Jordan and Jimmy is like, obviously I think Jordan's being like ridiculous. I can still like look and be like thankful for like the resources that he has and like some of the stuff that he does for the, for the left as a whole, because like as much as like, I think he's again, being ridiculous right now. Like I'm thankful that he like goes around to different cities and different towns and like interviews people and has like on the ground coverage and gets some of the stuff that like, then we can go and react to. And like, he has like genuine things that are, are important uh, for us to see and us to report on. Even if I think some, maybe some of his opinions and things he says are a little ridiculous. Like I appreciate some of the work that he's doing, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, um, that, I mean, I would, I would hope for most of us, um, you know, I've never had any criticism about the work that Jordan does on the ground. In fact, I've, I've always said like, he does good work on the ground, you know? Um, and I, I think that's, that should probably be where he has majority of his focus. I I remember, you know, when status quo first started, it was kind of known for going to Bernie rallies and Trump rallies. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of how it was like introduced to status quo. Um, And then, you know, unfortunately, like Bernie Sanders suspended his campaign in 2020. So that was that and Trump lost. So now you had two different subjects that you used to cover that were no longer really coverable, like on the ground. Yeah. And uh, this kind of thing happens. And and this is why, like, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but like recently, whenever I interview a journalist or a commentator, I've asked them this question, like, what advice would you give to people who want to do independent journalism or, you know, commentary? And I'm asking this question because People ask me this question. Like, I get these emails. Like, at least every week I get one of those emails. Like, what advice would you give me? 
And it's kind of hard because it's like, I think what people have to remember is that there are people in this space that started during the Bernie movement. There are people that started before the Bernie movement. And then there are people that started after Bernie Sanders suspended his campaign. And I'm one of the people that started after that. So I think my perspective is going to be a little bit different because I didn't start my channel during the height of Bernie Sanders, like rallies and speeches and campaigns. And so the audience that I have is going to be, for the most part, it's going to be a little bit different than Secular Talk's audience, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that, I think it's, you know, this is, it's a tough space to be in, but I think what's really important, I think Glenn Greenwald gave like the best advice so far when he said, focus on a few key areas and make those areas strong. Don't try to be an expert at everything. I think that's very important. And like, I I think when you pick those key areas, it needs to be something that you're passionate about. Just like Glenn said, it can't be something that is just trending at that time because eventually trends, guess what happens? They go away. They die. Trends die. And then something else is trending, right? So I think... For me, like doing this show, like I started this show doing interviews. That's actually how the show started. I interviewed activists, candidates, um, you name it. Like that's that's how I started. You got to go all the way back and you'll see how I started the show. And then eventually I said, I'm going to implement news into this as well. And then I started to talk about news. So my show is news and interviews. The on the ground stuff that came last year, but... I try to do different things here and there, but I don't jump on trends. And I I think that's very important for people to understand because those things do die and they do go away. And I don't think anyone listening is, you know, thinking bad things about Jordan's work on the ground. His work on the ground is very strong. I think where people have the criticism is some of the rhetoric that he may have on Twitter when he complains about people on his show talking about about podcasters, but there he is on Twitter talking about podcasters. Right. You know, it's like it, you're being hypocritical here. Like you, you can't, you know, it's it, it comes across as gatekeeping, that you are like the gatekeeper of what journalism is supposed to be. It's okay when you do it, but it's not okay when other people do it. And I think that over time, especially after the Nina Turner, the second campaign that Nina Turner had. Yeah. I think over time for people are just like, okay, you need to give us something else to do because this shit isn't working. It's just not. And so people are becoming frustrated, right? And we saw this when like Ron Paclone uh, was on status quo and Ron Paclone said, there are no progressives in Congress. He was having that conversation with Tina. Right. And the audience pushed back on Ron and some of the people were saying they were going to you know, unsubscribe. Well, that's what happens when you have cultivated an audience that is attached to a campaign. And and this is why I tell people that like, if you're jumping into the space new, for the love of God, like I'm not, I haven't been doing this for 10 plus years. Some people have, 
But I will tell you this from what I've seen. Do not make your channel about a campaign or about a politician because those things eventually go away. You have to talk about something that's really going to bring substance to the people. So for me, like I, I talk about different things, but I really try to focus on a couple of key areas. Like I try to cover local politics as much as I can. Uh, not a lot of people are doing that. Yeah. So that's a little bit different, you know, and if you guys want me to cover politics that are happening in your city too, just email me and let me know about the story so I can cover it too. Like I, I've tried to do like DC and other places as well, but like Boston, I'm, I'm right here. So I see these things happen in real time. Um, but not many people are covering local politics. Not many people are talking about ballot initiatives. Not many people are talking about like public banks, like things like that. Like not many people are talking about the economy with the exception of Richard Wolf are talking about the economy and connecting it to the banks and right. how the banks control so much. So I think those those were areas that I saw in the space that I felt like there was a void there that needed to be filled. Not many people were talking about the plight of African-Americans in left independent media. Some people are, but not many people for the most part. So I think there are spaces that need to be filled. I think you just have to you have to look at your background and then you also have to think about what you're passionate about. So, and some people may not care. Like when I do like most of the on the ground stuff I've done has been local. Some people may not care about like what's happening in Massachusetts, but I do it anyway because you should care because what happens here often affects other states and sometimes even on a national level. You know, we pass gay marriage here in Massachusetts first. You know, we legalized marijuana in Massachusetts. We're the first state to do it on the East Coast first. Uh, when you look at Obamacare, that actually came from Massachusetts. It was called Romney Care. Right. So yeah. We're no, kind of known as being like the state of first. So whatever's happening here, you you should know about it because it could affect you, too, at some point in time. So I think that. I think we're not like arguing against like the work he does on the ground, but it's just there's some hypocrisy when you say I'm sick of these channels that talk about podcasters and every day on Twitter, all you're doing is bitching about Jimmy Dore. You know, some of these people, I really think they have Jimmy Dore derangement syndrome. Get Jimmy Dore out your brain and and focus on your life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, like, again, as I said, I, I try to listen to a lot of different leftists. I listen to you, Brianna, Kyle Kalinske, and Jimmy Dore all about at the same rate, which is, like, crazy. Because most people can't, like, listen to people who have these, like, genuine substantive disagreements, but, like, are also attacking each other for it at, at some point. I, I mean, I don't think you attack people as much, to be honest. I think it's more Jimmy going back and forth with people who are attacking him. Um, yeah, I but, try not yeah. to, and I will say it's really easy to get stuck in that mode. And I, I would like to, you know, offer warning to people also thinking about doing this. The algorithm likes drama. So it's really easy to like, just talk about podcasters because YouTube algorithm likes that. It doesn't like, you know, me talking about foreign policy. It doesn't like, like talking, even when I talk about strikes, 
like some of those videos where I've talked about, oh, the, like the railroad worker strike, you guys know like that video, it wasn't demonetized, but YouTube flagged it as limited monetization, which means that less ads or less companies are likely to show ads on there. So like the, the strikes, whenever I cover those, those are usually flagged as yellow. Isn't that ridiculous? That is ridiculous. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like for why? <laughs> I'm like, I'm talking about workers. Like, why is this? Like, right. Like, this is I get it. Like maybe if you're like criticizing YouTube or something, like they'll be like, all right, like, come on. But like, this is like so irrelevant. Like they don't even have like a good reason. They're just like, no, nah, we don't want you to talk about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's ridiculous. No, I know. It's, it's some of those things. Yeah. Some of them get flagged and I'm just like, meh, whatever. Um, but it just it's really easy to focus on things like just podcasters because the algorithm really likes that and then your channel for the most part is very for the most part is very safe um but i will also say that eventually over time what happens with that type of content is people get tired of hearing about the same people over which will happen there aren't that many podcasters on the left Right. So eventually people get tired of hearing about the same people over and over, the same podcasters over and over, and people start to check out. I mean, there was a channel that did this years ago. You guys remember this channel called Progressive Voice? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, so Progressive Voice, uh, it was it was pretty popular like at the time, but like that channel like mainly just focused on like podcasters. It yeah. was basically the Vanguard before before Vanguard. Mm. But not as, not as, as, as extreme, I would say, but like they, they, he, he mainly just talked about podcasters and that was it. And it was popular at that time, but eventually over time, like people started to check out because like, dude, how many times you want to talk about this person? How many times you want to talk about this podcast? Like we get it. Like people will check out. And that's why I'm saying like, you have to offer like something new and something different. And Garland Nixon was spot on about this when he said, if you're starting a channel, please don't do what everybody else is already doing because we already have so many channels covering the same type of thing. Don't try to be like someone else who already exists in this space because we've already seen it over and over again. Right. And so eventually people, they might check in in the beginning, but eventually they'll get bored and they'll check out. And I've seen a lot of people come and go and I've only been doing this for two years. Yeah. Hey, did you take um did you take psych 101 in college? I did. <laughs> it was required. Okay. <laughs> you know the you, you know the whole thing of the id ego and the super ego. Yes. Remember that? Right. So that's the thing. The id is like you're hopped up on sugar and and you're ruled by what feeds into your your your, your pleasure centers like you know what I mean? Like something that's that's quick and instantaneous. While the ego was more or less ruled by fear, and the super ego was m ruled by morality and what's right. You know what I mean? And a lot of times, you know, like hey, you get a show, it's easy to feed into people's uh, ids. You know what I'm saying? You, because it's that oh, it, it feels good. You know what I mean? Like oh, look at the drama, look at the car crash. I gotta slow down and look. You know what I mean? But like you said, that's not sustainable. No, it gets you know old. I mean? Like, I remember when I used to watch Wendy Williams. Roger, you remember Wendy Williams' show? So, uh, Wendy Williams, 
I remember her on 98.7 Kiss FM in the 1980s, which which broadcasts out broadcast out of New York City. Yeah, so, she used to do radio. She, I remember Wendy Williams before everybody knew who Wendy Williams was. When only people who knew her were from uh, New York, because she's from Jersey. So yeah, I, I rem, believe me, I remember Wendy from all way back then. My mom used to see her in Jersey all the time, going like food shopping and stuff. Oh, ma- really? I, me- yeah, because I'm from oh. Jersey. Yeah, I got a, I got a little, I got a little thing for you, um, S- Sabrina. Okay, do you know? Okay, you probably don't know her. You know of Angie Martinez? Martinez she is. is- I, I used to see her on. She used to be on VH1 from time to time. Okay. So. Um, what happened, I remember one time her and Angie Martinez was working, you know, they was working in Hot 97 or whatever the case is back in the days. And she, and she had stepped over the line by gossiping about one of her own co-workers, which was Angie Martinez having like an affair with Q-Tip from Tribe Called Quest. And like Angie, short little Angie Martinez like swung on her for, for, for doing that, <laughs> you know. Just a little, just a little uh, New York uh, trivia there, whatever the case. I is. mean, Q Trip's pretty cool in the '90s, so I get, I get why she'd be jealous of me. <laughs> so you know. Anyway, you're gonna say something about Wendy Williams. My bad. Yeah, I used to watch like Wendy Williams like back in the day, and it was entertaining at first. But after a while, it was just like, eh, this is the same thing. Like, like how many times are you gonna talk about Mariah Carey? How many times are you going to talk about Nick Cannon? How many times? It's just the same people like over and over. And I was just like, like the gossip shows, like they grab my attention in the beginning, but then they lose me because it's, it's not, I'm not learning anything. It's not educational. It's not like teaching me how to help people in my everyday life. Yeah. It just, it just got old. So I can't even remember the last time I watched like Wendy Williams show, but it just got old, like with all of them. But go ahead, Ethan. So one more thing I want to ask about, because we were talking about uh, Jimmy Dore and the People's Party and stuff like that before. Um, I was uh, the vice chair of the People's Party of New Jersey, like whatever, a year and a half ago when it was like <laughs> when people thought it was still real. Um, and I put like a lot of effort, a lot of work into like the the work that we did, the, like the organizing that we tried to do. And like, I just like watched firsthand, like Nick Brana just like destroy the party from the inside and like kick legitimately like really good actors out and like really good people and activists like out of the party, just like for like saying that racism is bad and like for, for just like doing like genuinely like normal things and also good things. Like he just, he just wasn't treating the members of the party very well. Um, and I remember uh, some of my coworkers who, who, were part of like the national, like they were representatives to the national party from New Jersey. And like, they weren't being very treated very well. They were like muted on a lot of the calls and weren't allowed to unmute and weren't allowed to protest or say things. And like votes would be taken without like asking people's permission for it. Like the, cause they used to run the rules. Uh, they used to run the meetings by like Robert's rules of order. And they would like consistently violate their own rules that they had set up where people were like, okay, this is how we're going to vote. This is the process that we're going to use. And they would, consistently like Nick Brana would just like 
skip that and be like, eh, like let's let's move ahead anyway. Like it doesn't really matter if other people have their hands up or want to say things or there's a speakers list or whatever. Um, and it's just like I love a lot of the things Jimmy Dore says. Um, it was just like frustrating from my perspective to like trust him a lot and then like. I don't know. He still invites Nick Brana onto his show a lot. And I don't think like, you know, think, think what you will about Nick, but like, I don't think he's like a particularly good actor or like knows, like, I don't know, has the best interests uh, for the left. You know, I, I think just having watching, having watched like him, like do all these terrible things to a party I mean, that he said was going to be huge, you know? Hmm? Yeah. Like if he was even even if in his heart of hearts he's like a good dude he does have the left's best interest he's not competent i mean i remember who was saying it a minute ago that the people's party has had so many resources and they've been around for seven years now yeah they've accomplished absolutely nothing right moreno was not a party in mexico in 2012 and they won a majority of the congress and the presidency in 2018 yeah so i'm not saying that that can just be copied and done in the United States. But I think it does prove who's serious. Agreed. Um, I think like just having watched the difference between other third parties, because I think the green party has a lot of good people that are working there. I think there's maybe some disorganization. Sometimes there's a lot of disorganization that just goes on in leftist spaces a lot. And I don't know if that's like inherent to being a leftist. I hope not. (laughs) Obviously it could also just be infiltrators totally possible but at the end of the day like having this person who like says they're about free speech says they're about like creating a party that's like different from the authoritarian regime of the democratic party and then just like recreating the same exact thing i mean that's what a lot of people i was on calls with like 200 people who were just fed up with the people's party and they would just consistently like say hey i've spent years on this and like it's just disappointing to watch this like project that you helped create turn into the exact thing that you didn't want it to be in the first place. And again, I, I guess I don't know Nick Rana personally, so I can't like speak uh, to whether he's like a good person or not. And I, and I'll, and I'll like stick to that. I don't, I don't want to like, you know, say, Oh, this person's terrible. This person's not, but just like the actions that he took while I was in part of the party, which is not good. And I don't think, um, I don't know. I just, I don't like listening to him. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I wasn't a part of the People's Party like a, a lot of people were. But I do know that in the beginning when they announced it, they said it was going to be a progressive party. And then it changed from like that to populist. And it's like, I don't know. I I, 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 I interviewed Nick Brana. I didn't get good vibes. Um, right. And he wasn't honest with me with everything that was said, which, you know, it is what it is, but I, I don't think MPP is going anywhere at this point. You know, it just sucks for all the people who invested their time and energy into it, though. I will say that. Absolutely. Yeah, I <laughs> I didn't enjoy it personally. But yeah, has has uh, Jimmy Dore like because I, I don't watch every Jimmy Dore clip. Um, but has do you know if he's like addressed the fact that like, I don't know, that Nick Brana has done these things, obviously, I don't know no. about the sexual assault allegations. That's a separate thing. But like just his leadership and like the direction that he was taking the party and just like most activists thought was bad. Like did Jimmy George address that at all? I don't know. 
Well, he no. addressed it on the when he had even him on, but it was a softball interview. Mm. Yeah, he just he prefaced the entire like before he even finished asking Nick the question, he was like. Yeah, some people have been saying you've been uh, doing some things and some people have been leaving the party and accusing you of stuff. But, you know, that happens to everybody who's left of the Democratic Party, right? And then let Nick respond. (laughs) Well, yeah, and then he just let Nick respond from there. And that's basically how I've seen him phrase it. I think the the problem is, I think the problem is because the people on the, I always say so-called left, the people like the reformists, I think if they punch you so hard that you want to basically be separate from them and anybody that tells you something you may go along with it and i feel like that's the same with jimmy jimmy got strung along because when he had the accusations against him he told jimmy hey, uh you know what jimmy my the accusations against me are the same shit that happened with you and anna kasparian i'm like you motherfucker how is that the same thing <laughs> jimmy Gore was not accused of basically funneling money from people's party and basically using it on himself he didn't buy twenty five twenty thousand dollars of a logo he didn't buy that shit. He didn't squander people's money. You did. He wasn't accused of sexual assault. You were. So how are they the same thing if you compare what TYT did to Jimmy Dore with the smear and what's happening to you? Right. That's fair. That's a good point. All right. Well, Ethan, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for having me. I'm going to move on to Somans. I think that's how you pronounce your name. Somans, what's up? Just got to unmute. Uh, hello, Sammy. Can you hear me? Thank you, Skip. I can hear you. How are you? I'm going to go back to Gator. I'm trying to get people that, um, that I haven't spoken to on here. Uh, yes. So I have some thoughts and I've been writing them down as people were talking. Um, so I think there is a lack of people calling out these people that are vehemently against Jimmy Dore. Um, as you know, on Friday last week, Jimmy went on Tucker Carlson and he mentions anti-war. You know, he did his little, his spiel and it was great. Everybody loved it. Um, he did forget to mention the anti-war rally. And then the following Monday, the hit pieces went out. Jordan started, mm-hmm. then Walker Bragman, and now recently we have Paula Jean Swearington. We have TYT. Um, the call oh, went out. Paula. Oh my God, Paula. Uh, yeah, yeah, Paula Jean Swearington. I'm like, come on now, just stop, please. <laughs> uh, the call went out. I don't know who's making this call, how far up the chain it goes. We don't know. I, I mean, would you not call that an indie media cabal of ops? Oh. It seems. Mm-hmm. It seems, I mean, we, we really need to put a spotlight on these people because they are worried more about what Jimmy Dore is doing than what the squad is doing, what Bernie is doing. You know, all these people, we sent them in, uh, in good graces and told them, they told us everything that we wanted to hear. Let's just say, you know, they, they said, um, they're going to do all these things and suddenly, you know, they're sending money to Ukraine and, you know, helping fund Nazis, helping fund police and just doing everything that goes against our creed, like, you know, of what we want and what we wanted them to do. Um, you know, it's, it's not a coincidence. It's, Oh yeah. It's not, 
it's not a coincidence that these people start doing hit pieces as soon as Jimmy Dore comes along and says, you know, let's bring the left and right together in, you know, this one thing about not wanting to go to nuclear war. And suddenly the hit pieces come out. Where's the hit pieces on the people that are pushing for this war? Like, uh, what are y'all doing? Oh, that's a that's a good point, Somians, because there are things that could go out. Like there yes. are things that could go out, and 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 I gotta tell you, like, see, there's so much I know. Like it just it's there's so many things I know that you guys don't know, and that's why I don't take a lot of these things, these people seriously, because I know some of the things that they've done that the majority of people don't know about. Um, well, I, don't well, speak, I have to I don't say to that level, but there's a lot that I know. I have to say in every party though, there's people that are seriously paying attention and there's people that are just like, Oh, that's interesting. And those people that are saying, Oh, that's interesting are the ones that they're appealing to. And they're making them seem like, Oh, I'm on your side. Look, I agree with this and this and this, but here also you should stop listening to this person. You know, it's, uh, you have, we have, I don't know how to say it. Uh, we have an obligation to dismiss and to, and make sure that we're, spotlighting these people that are spreading lies because they can do a lot of damage because I mean, politics is like I said, it's a broad stroke and there's many people that kind of follow it and don't really care that much, but they still matter. We still need them to understand and be on our side when it matters. Yeah, you're a hundred percent correct. I mean, I will say that a lot of these people, again, they don't have a large following. So most people, and then the other thing too, that I realized that was brought to my attention, at least with my audience, a lot of people in my audience aren't even on Twitter. So right. a lot of this stuff takes place on Twitter, but I totally hear where you're coming from because um, I think that you're right. Like, all these people have dirt on them, like all of them that are like coming after him. And I think that, you know, they're, they're, they're clever in the sense in some ways, but not so clever because like I said, if, if I really wanted to, if I wanted to, 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 to be that way, there are a lot of things that I could reveal. Right. And I think that, I think that people are underestimating me. And, and some of us others, you know, you don't see Jimmy going to these lengths, you know, you see those people going to these lengths. So you have to ask the question, like, why are they trying so hard to do these things? But you're right. A call definitely went out and and there is Most a divide. Definitely. There's a divide on the left and there's a divide in left independent media. There's like people who are fine with Jimmy Dore and there's people who are not fine with him. And it almost got to the point where it's like, you have to choose a side. And then there are some people that are kind of in the middle. And even those people are getting pressure to pick a side. Right. And and they try to, you know, elevate the importance. And I'm quoting that air quotes that uh, like if somebody makes a mistake, like, you know, Jimmy's not perfect. He's been wrong before. He was wrong on Tulsi. We understand that. But, you know. 
a lot of us were also wrong about Bernie and we were wrong yeah. about AOC and we were wrong about the squad. So who are we to, you know, you know, just say, oh, well, then he doesn't matter. Jimmy doesn't matter. He he fucked up this one. I'm excuse me. Uh, he messed up this one time. And that means now that everything that follows, we should just ignore. Some of this comes from from jealousy, Solmans. I'm telling you, I never realized just how cruddy, like, uh, this space could be when I was just watching, like, when I was an audience member. I didn't realize that. I thought all these people were, like, in line with each other. I thought they were all, like, cool with each other and everything. But if you pay close attention, notice there's some people in this space that never get smeared and they're never touched. And you guys need to ask yourself this question. Why Why? is it that some people are never touched at all? Correct. Yes. And, and I wish more people would, you know, go to that length, but again, you know, if they do say something, then suddenly you're labeled as misogynist and sexist and, you know, uh, Jimmy apologist, a doorknob, I guess is what they call you now. Or, you know, it's like, no, it's just, I want to know why you're saying these things. These people like, had no problem with Jimmy Dore when he was promoting them. Right. And they I were all on his clear. show. Yeah. And I want to be very clear for people who are not aware. Jimmy Dore promoted a lot of fucking people in the space. Some people may not remember, but a lot of the big channels that you see right now, Jimmy Dore, somewhere along the line, promoted them. They were on his show at some point in time. He promoted a lot of people. And then once they got to you know, the, the, the level that they got to, then they felt like, okay, now it's okay. I can, you know, say what I really feel or whatever about him. So I I think some people may have used him in a sense. I think this has happened to other people too, to be honest, based on things that I've heard where they felt like they got used. Yes. I'm sorry to name drop, but the one that comes to mind with uh, a full display of jealousy is Tim Black. Uh, He would be the example that, you know, I would say like he, they had him. He had him on his show. You know, gave him a voice, lifted him up, got him a lot of subscribers. And then when it came down to it, he got jealous and went after Jimmy, and he killed his career because of it. Because he wasn't, he did it too early, I guess. Is what you know, outside looking in, is what I would say. And well, there was something. I mean, Tim came after me too. Like, yes, Tim he came did. After me, he did. and he came after those of us at RBN, which was. Probably not a good idea at the time. <laughs> no, it was not. Our channel was really, really small. And yep. that just kind of gave people more eyes on us. Like that. So, Okay, so on that subject, I don't know exactly what happened because I've anything I've looked into, I couldn't really find anything about it. But uh, what is going on between RBN and Savage Joy Marie, if you don't mind me asking? If you don't want to talk about it, it's fine. You mean like the group? Uh, well, she she said that uh, RBN people were blocking her, or I don't know. Oh if yeah, she's... fuck that bitch. <laughs> okay, well, uh, it wasn't. Okay. I I blocked her. I don't yeah. know if anyone else did. I mean, this woman she smeared my fucking family so much. Oh no! Like it's one thing if you smear me, but how the hell right. you come after my? You came after my sister-in-law? You came after, like, really? That's kind of off-brand for it. Well, no, it's not. No, it's not. 
it's so not, it's not. Yeah. like I've worked with her before in this space and I'm just like, and I've defended right. her multiple, multiple times. I promoted every, every freaking action that they had for Medicare for all. I said, yes, definitely. Come on, let's promote it. If you guys go back to when I, the year I first uh, started my show, I was the MC for the March for Medicare for all in Boston. Like I, I've heavily always promoted that event. And then over time, it was just like, if you wanted to do a different strategy, I noticed that like, she was just, they were just set on taking you out. And, and then I watched them smear and publicly embarrass one of their own members and call him a bad father and sue him and all those kinds of things. So for me, I was just like, oh, hell's no. Oh, hell's no. I ain't got time for it. I ain't got time yeah. for them. This is crazy. If, if you're not serious about Medicare for all, what are you doing? Why are you going after people in your own space? People who have elevated your cause, people who have supported your cause. Why are you doing this? Yeah, it and doesn't so make sense, really. For me, like, yeah, I blocked her and I'm not going to unblock her. And I don't care what she says about me. I'm never unblocking her. You right. can say whatever you want about me. But when you go after my family, who's not in this space, how low can you be? That's just some things are off limit. Like, I mean, just Samara, uh, I think this all started because I started, I didn't see it as a com competition. I just saw it as an alternative strategy of going the state by state route with not just single payer, but everything. But since her main thing is single payer, I think what started happening was when I made my argument, and I and I put evidence behind it and I said it with confidence and force, people started to catch on to it and say, maybe the national route is not the way to go. Maybe we need to do a state by state strategy. And once she started seeing that I started winning that argument, and again, I never saw it as a competition, that's when she went into 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 savage mode. Well that's exactly how we uh, I heard how Healthcare was granted in Canada. Basically, they did a province by province, uh, uh, step by step like that. They, they didn't want the government to basically do it because they were never going to do it. So one one province decided to do it, and then all the other provinces saw it, that it was successful, and they all went on went on and did it. Otherwise, we would have been just like the United States. Oh. Yeah, but the thing is, it it was it didn't start with you, Roger. It started with another activist group called Whole Washington which also supported the marches for Medicare for all. They were involved in that too. Like they supported both. They wanted to do both. And somewhere along the way, next thing I knew, like it was like, like they were at the march in DC. They were like, I know one of them was one of the speakers. Next thing I know it was like them attacking each other on Twitter, calling each other names. And I'm like, what the hell is this shit? You guys are both healthcare activists. And then next thing I knew, you know, one of their members decided to leave the Medicare for All organization and join the Red Berets in, in whole Washington. Ah, and that went into a whole different thing. Ah, and then they did whatever they could do okay. to take him out and smear him and say he was a bad father. They filed a oh, lawsuit against him. Like, this is all public, like, on Twitter. And so I was just like, look, I don't know what the hell is going on. But why are healthcare activists smearing other healthcare activists? Right. 
it, so, but you see, the, the, the whole Washington, that's a state-by-state state strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, even you, you see what I'm saying? So it's, they did it first, then I did it, and they said, uh-oh, this thing is catching on. We're, we're losing the, the, the national strategy. We but gotta so shut what? 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 It wasn't a competition. I know, it but it should it shouldn't even be that. You guys see what I'm saying about the ego in this space? It shouldn't even matter. Like, why do you care about what someone is doing in their state? Well, they they get addicted yeah. to the attention, and you know, id, psych 101, the id. Yeah, I think it's more attention grabbing. But if I wanted to be charitable and say that it was for a better reason, I could say that. Well, they really believe that the national strategy is way better maybe even the only actual viable one they don't want people to waste their time but they don't act like they are looking out for people and resources they act like petulant children like i was on another uh call-in room yesterday just talking about it and i was saying that you know i had a a couple of plans for ballot initiatives in washington and i just mentioned you know i would like to pass i would like to try to pass single-payer health care in washington state um, and that's not the only thing that I want to do via ballot initiative. And I have a group of people that are going to work with me on a few other things. But um, the guy who I was talking to who was hosting the show was like, no, 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 That's a terrible idea. I wrote an article about it. It's an awful idea. It's never going to work. And um, so I was like, well, okay. You know, I was just using that as an example, but I'm just saying that I'm going to focus on building local power. And then in a certain point of time in a couple of years we will have uh, enough of a local base all over the country to have a way stronger national strategy and all of the wins or fights that we have along the way will bring eyes to it and the um the guy just kind of wouldn't really engage on the points and i was like okay well let me read your article and his point was basically like if a single state passes medicare uh, like single-payer health care the healthcare giants companies are so large, so powerful monopolies that they will retaliate and totally bankrupt the whole state and it'll ruin the movement. And I was like, well, this is exactly the article or the argument that people made against force the vote. They said it's not going to work the first time or it's not going to work how you want it to in your mind's eye and therefore it's going to tank the movement. And I just don't think that that is serious and I don't think that um, you know, I don't think that people who are arguing for a national strategy sometimes realize that they don't have the tools to do it. They don't, we don't have a national organization that can do it. Right. I heard that same argument. I, I, I know what person you're talking about. I, I saw the article, but what he left out about those eight states that, that did it or whatever, none of those eight states have a public bank. Because the main thing was trying to find a way to pay for it. And that's the key. I keep, I keep telling people, you have to have whatever legislation that you have to do an initiative, it got to be financed. And the way to do it is you have to have a public bank to create the surplus needed that it can draw from. You know what I mean? You can attach it to anything. You know what I'm saying? And anything, you know... Weed legalization, land uh, reform, uh, housing, yeah, yeah, ha- housing. Uh, you know, uh, infrastructure. That's that's the main purpose of a public bank is for infrastructure. But the surplus created 
insurance community banks and credit unions. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Andrew, uh, can you explain to me what is this uh, single pair? Is this not? Isn't it Medicare for all that you're looking for? Is or a single pair like you want to yeah. keep the old system, but you want to lower it? No. So like let's say instead of getting having no, to pay one hundred percent, you want to pay ten percent. No, that's like a public option or or sort of. No, a single payer is Medicare for all. Okay. Med- Medicare for all is this is the slogan that Bernie Sanders attached to it, which I think is good. I also think that the way he wrote that bill to expand the existing Medicare system nationally was really smart. There's a lot of other things I liked about that bill. So um, but yeah, no, single Medicare single payer is the same thing. Yeah, so what? why not call it Med- so why not call it Medicare for all if it's the same thing? Because you make it like it's two. Well, different it's things. not really because if you're doing it in one state, the state itself I don't think can actually expand the federal Medicare program. They would have to basically create infrastructure for another statewide insurance provider that would be the single payer in the state for health insurance, and it's like. I mean, I guess I guess you make a good point. I could just say Medicare for all for Washington, but I mean, single payer has been like kind of the it's 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 the sort of formal name for a national healthcare payment program uh, for decades. But I mean, I agree. I agree with you. It might be better to just call it Medicare for all. But yeah, it's the same that's thing. The, that's the thing you bring on. So. Is single payer supposed to be like uh, instead of going national, this one's like uh, saying a uh, state by state thing? Wait, what? Yes. Say that again. Yes. Oh, sorry. When you guys say national, do you mean going through Congress and uh, being implemented on the federal level? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Well, there is no national so, ballot in it. Right. So. Um, I don't think I think somebody that uh, pushes for national. Um, like ways to get their things that they want uh, don't realize I mean that that's the only way that they can get it done and not locally I think it's a terrible thought because the amount of corruption that is at the top is staggering to where I mean you like you said you you really need the funds for it and really it is the money money goes you know money is power I'm sorry to say but that's just the truth of it um, if you do local, uh, there is a lot less corruption in local and state. There is some. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it is easier to get through those channels and get your people at least what you want. And, I mean, if other states see that, then other organiz- organizers will go and do more to their states, and it, it will, you know, have a – you know, just for an example, $15 minimum wage, one one state did it, and now suddenly there's many of them that have it because they see, like, hey, why can't we have that? And then they start, you know, going after the uh, politicians in their local and their state level um, to get things done. Like, uh, just for an example, uh, I don't know if you've seen Matt Gates is, you know, outlefting a lot of the people that we sent to Congress like AOC and the squad. And uh, he's, you know, imitated force the vote. He got his way, you know, he, they're on committees. They got their way. They're, they're doing a lot. And he um, is now trying to stop war bucks from going to Ukraine. Uh, that's two of the three things, the big things that we asked of the squad. And 
you know, excuse me if I don't believe a word that TYT, you know, Kyle, Crystal Ball, Jordan, and that the squad is our best shot. They're just not. I mean, you're getting out lefted by somebody who is, I'm frankly an idiot. Um, no, I, I totally hear you. I, I think, you know, it's, the thing is, everybody, they know this. They know this, like, this isn't, you know, new, you know, like I said, but again, like, I feel like the goal is just to keep people in the Democratic Party. Right. CJ called it manufacturing consent. You really think that's what's going on, Sabby? They they want to basically anoint her just like the DNC anointed uh, Hillary Clinton. They're doing the same thing with uh, Marianne Williamson, even though... Joe Biden says he's running in 2024. And if Marianne runs against Joe Biden, it's going to look bad on Joe Biden because Bernie Sanders tried to do that same thing in, uh, against uh, Barack Obama. Obama. Yep. And then when it got called out in 2020, Bernie Sanders just backed away. Said, oh, I didn't do anything. But the difference is Bernie Sanders was already a sitting politician. Marianne Williamson is not. And I think that's that's the need to like push this. But if Marianne doesn't get on the debate stage, this isn't even going to be like, I'm sorry, but we can't continue to keep people in this strategy like that just holds them back. Like who's leading the, always ask yourself this guys, I told you guys this before in reference to organizing, the people who are affected are the ones who should be leading the movement, whether it's policing whether it's, you know, housing issues, the people who are affected are the ones who should be leading it. There's a reason for that. Because I've seen this before in the past where the people who were leading it were not affected. And as soon as things became too tough, they backed out. The, the only, the, the only um, exception... Uh, trap reported ahead. The only okay. exception you can probably... Um, say with that when you say the people who are hurting the most should be the ones leading is when it comes to health care because the people who are hurting the most don't have the health or the energy to actually lead it so they, they they have to depend on us and when you would um i couldn't say this before i had a bunch of loud customers in the car for like you know a half an hour but you was going back to what rewinding the clock when you said people don't know what side to pick between oh do i feel pressured to join that side or this side with these youtube hosts or whatever you can never go wrong with choosing the side of people like brandy weaver you know what i'm saying choose the side of the people who are hurting and it goes back to what i was saying before defocus off of the person that you see on the electronic display screen and focus on the person in the mirror and focus on the people that need us out here fighting and That's not right. about these YouTube people and this right. and that egos and all that stuff. Again, these people are depending on us to get this done. This is, this is not about me. This ain't about you. This is about we, and that's, that's what we have to continue to focus on. The right. Roger gets it. Like, you shouldn't be looking towards, like, um, 
YouTube, you know, commentators or podcasters to lead it, you shouldn't. You really shouldn't. And I know this is probably contradictory because that's actually who was leading like this whole Bernie movement. It was them. They had the loudest mics and they had the voices, right? So I understand that like as well. But my whole thing is, is that again, these are not the people who are directly affected. So if they're not directly affected, if this does not work out, whether it's Bernie, whether it's Marianne Williamson, et cetera, whether it's a squad, if it doesn't work out, those people financially are going to be okay. I'm sorry, but for the people who are millionaires, like they're going to be fine. Right. And they'll also be okay with going a different direction. Like oh, the, uh, yes, they'll be okay with voting for Joe Biden because financially like they're not affected. So they're, they're not fighters. You guys, I think, I, I think the mistake that some of us made myself included was assuming that some of these people were fighters, that they were revolutionaries. They're not. They, yeah. they are people who want to continue to work with electoral politics in the Democratic Party. They are not revolutionaries. And you can't make someone be a revolutionary if they don't want to be one. You just can't. You got yeah. a, you got you got JB. I have a friend that I knew know for known for twenty some years who's in JB's exact position, except he's homeless, but not on the street homeless. He has to live at a hotel, um, in the neighborhood or whatever the case is. So, uh, you know, we go and see him and whatnot, make sure he's good or whatever the case is. Um, but yeah, so. I'm fighting for him. You know what I mean? Doing what I can for for Brandy. You know, like that's who we need to focus on. Those people. I've been doing homeless outreach to encampments in Seattle for a few years. And I really wish I had had more financial resources when I was still in Seattle doing that. Because I really wanted to make um, it could have just been audio because I don't like to show people if they don't want to be on camera um especially you know if they're living homeless on the street there's all sorts of shame with that but i wanted to make a a few like short films of them uh partly because of what you're saying roger it's like they they have experienced all these different um mechanisms of society and the mechanisms are actually working as they are supposed to they're supposed to be homeless people in the united states for the housing market to work as it's working right now um and yeah public i definitely banking. agree with you with like public yeah bank i agree would kill. with you on that roger i agree with you on that roger it would be it would be a huge tool for so many different things so i will see you at that meeting tomorrow for sure i, I signed up for the registration but i was gonna say also like to savvy's point um about like we need fighters and i i was fooled by these people too like i phone banked for bernie in 2020 i was a little like uninvolved in 2016 i voted for him in the primary in 2016 but i didn't pay much attention like i didn't know about the um i didn't know about the WikiLeaks files and things like that i didn't know that bernie kind of abandoned all the delegates but like i learned these hard lessons and i think one of the big lessons that i've learned is that like we need to stop um getting on board with politicians that fall into our lap 
and adopt a decisive, like a conscious strategy for choosing people. And who are the people that we should choose? Well, I think that they should be really spokespeople. Um, and they, and that spokesperson needs to be a fighter. Yes. But they need to also be, they can't just be like a maverick lone person who's fighting for their own reasons necessarily. I mean, they have to have their own reasons to be in a movement, but I think like savvy, what you're talking about earlier, where you learned to use like, uh, a type of voice that the academic and the professional world are more responsive to. There's sometimes when that type of person like yourself would be a really excellent spokesperson and somebody to put at the face of a movement. There's other times where, and there's some people, and I think you are one of those people where you can also clap back at somebody in such a sharp way that nobody's going to see that and be like, oh, you didn't want to fight. Like you can fight. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making the speech to tell you to run um, necessarily. But what I'm saying is that uh, one or two of the of these type of people who can have their their own style, but but speak in that register that works well with um, the sort of professional class, and that can't really be challenged so easily by them by just saying, "Oh, you're not serious or credentialed." Um, they need to be the voice for the people who can't speak like that, because there's a lot of people. I, I think we need to be really inclusive about people who are are not used to communicating in like. Uh, school talk or boardroom talk or whatever and they need to be at the you know at the the ground level deciding what are the policies who you know who's the fighter the good spokesperson we're going to pick and tell them what to fight for um i i am never going to vote for another politician like even even someone like matthew ho i really liked and i know that i'm, I'm sure the green party had a process for choosing matthew ho but like, there's not enough people involved in that, and I don't know that process well enough for me to say, okay, I understand the reasons that Matthew Ho was chosen, and so we should, you know, everybody in the country should donate money to Matthew Ho. Like, I think it needs to be closer to the chest. It needs to be closer to our own um, communities, where we're saying, you know what, like we've known X person for enough years, we know that they're very unlikely to just kind of. Uh, their eyes will glaze over at a book deal or a vanity uh, vanity fair magazine cover and just abandon what we sent them to do like I know this person well enough they probably won't do that and they're a part of this structure of an organization could be a party could be a bunch of other like unions and community organizations for mutual aid that come together to act like a party and they choose somebody and then they support that person I am no longer going to choose people that decide to run on their own because I just have no way of trusting them and, and vetting them. Why is Washington the only state that is that is doing this? Like Washington? There's a whole no, I'm saying like Washington State. Like there's a whole bunch of other ballot initiative states, but it seems like the, it seems like most of the action is Washington, whether it's Kashama Sawant or, or well, it's you action know. in both directions. You know what I mean? Sorry, but go I'm ahead. Saying, like, there's other there's other ballot initiative states that I don't see any you know any type of the same type of Washington action that's coming you know that's coming from them you know and the same no, you know Washington I mean Washington. It, it, and it's it's weird because you can pass, you know, I'm not trying to be like the Debbie Downer, 
But because you don't have that ability to amend your state constitution, only to pass laws, knowing that they can just repeal those laws or, or weaken it without having to ask you, you guys still do it anyway. You know what I mean? And, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm trying to get, like, if I could find a group, a single payer group in North Dakota, oh, that's it. I'm going all in to help help them out because they already have a public bank. You know what I mean? I just want to see more people taking action, more states taking action on more ballot initiative, more citizen ballot initiative states taking action like Washington is pretty much what I'm saying. Well, let me get back to, I want to get back to some, um, uh, Somans, and then I want to bring in Gator and then I'm going to head out because it's getting kind of late, but go ahead. Uh, so- um, uh, I had just a couple of more points to make. Uh, Max Blumenthal has mentioned that he's an organizer for the anti-war rally and he has been witnessing certain people doing bad faith attacks and how it's all going behind the scenes. And he said he would open his mouth when the time is right. So I think that would be interesting to see. And I hope that, you know, he does it justice so that that's what I said. It's, it's about exposing these people to others who are not paying attention. Wait, Max said that he on Twitter. Yes. Oh, so he's uh, he said he's going to open his mouth when the time is right. So, I well, mean, I agree mean? with that. The Gray Zone has a live stream scheduled for tomorrow with Jimmy Dore. Ooh. And That's it says it's about it says rage against a rave against rage against the rally or something like that. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, um. My other point is uh, I just wanted to. For your listeners here, there is a – the Swiss attorney general has brought criminal charges and indictment against the Swiss president and minister of health over the COVID vaccine policies that were soft-mandated, creating a two-lane living speed in Sweden, um, which he calls fascism, which I agree with. I mean, you have the shot you can go to work and make your money and have fun. Right. But if you don't have the shot, they'll treat you like a dog. So, uh, it's the second country to go against Pfizer and, you know, they're trying to get, I mean, the truth is coming out. I don't know what your stance is on the vaccine. I'm not going to spread mine here. Um, but you know, there's Thai, uh, Thailand is, going to request Pfizer return the money so they can help their own people. Wow. Uh, the vaccine injured. Um, and because their princess over there, the Taiwanese princess of one of the kings, is in a coma that was induced 23 days after the third jab. So they are pissed. And they're seeking to withdraw the contract from Pfizer and get their money back. So I think these are great stories. People need to keep an eye on them and watch them. And I just wanted to make sure that, you know, people are paying attention to this because it's big. I mean, you know, we have in this country, Pfizer was given complete immunity from any lawsuits or anything about a product, about their product. And I think this is it. What does that say? I mean, 
you you basically just gave them what you gave to the cops when they're sitting there killing people with their guns. You know? And that's the main reasons I refuse to take that vaccine. That the whole um COVID thing from beginning to the end was a hot mess if you were dialed in. You know, from the way it evolved, the way it emerged into the world, what was going on with China before it got there, and then the whole contracts between, you know, the United States and and the Chinese lab that was doing the research and all that. But then these vaccines hit the scene. And then it was just this, you know, push that you had to take it and this and that. And what troubled me the most was that they squelched any alternative voices on the matter. They were smearing people who and, and firing people if you said anything. And to me, that just seemed like some type of fascistic operation. And I'm saying something is not right here. And now, and we know for any type of vaccine or immunotherapy that they administer, there is a chance that there could be vaccine harm or this and that. But to not be able to discuss it at all, and now we're starting to find out that the tests were not as robust as we were led to believe. And, oh, it was a, it was a mess. And I think that's a sign of the way the system will come together and work Democrats and Republicans and everything else to control the people. And and you don't have any way to get any credible information because they start smearing everybody. I thought it was really dangerous. Well, they did no trials whatsoever because right. they, they, they lied. Oh, they said they did trials. It was safe. It was effective. You ain't going to get no reactions whatsoever, even though that reactions is a thing when you take a vaccine. Some people's bodies are not going to be able to take it, the vaccine and they'll have a bad reaction. Even in Canada, they basically said they had to pay people who got bad reaction from Pfizer and Moderna. And, uh, yeah, they did it here in Canada. They're paying people for uh, basically their, if they get injured by the vaccine, they're, they're paying them. So, I'm sorry, can I just... Well, can we let um, ahead, um, Sonians finish really quick? And then... Yeah, just, just one more small point that I think is very important that a lot of people do not know about. But um, the BioNTech owns the patents and rights to mRNA technology, correct? And uh, recently it's been found that, you know, a lot of people are uh, collapsing and, you know, just it, it's a a bunch of untested things are going on, but what people don't know is now mRNA technology is going to be rolled out in the flu shots very soon. And there, and um, any vaccines that your animals that you give to animals. So we're about to have an issue that is untested going into three different lanes, which includes COVID shot vaccines. It's going to include flu shots and it's going to include, you know, things for your pets, vaccines for your pets. So I think everybody, it's it's being done under the counter. Nobody, nobody knows. Nobody's talking about it except for very few. And I think, um, you know, you guys being, you know, as a 
large speakers as you are and you have followings, you should be looking into this. this is, I mean, I, I think it's important. I These people will do anything to make money and they will kill your entire family to do so. And I hope that, you know, we as a society can stand up against this because it's dangerous. It's dangerous to put anything untested into anybody. And, and they, they're just doing it like it's there's no consequence and there isn't i mean there's no oh, consequence right now very, this yeah this is very scary um but thank you so much for calling in somians i got like five minutes gator thank you very um so i'm gonna thank you so much i'm gonna bring you in i got five minutes and then i gotta go you just gotta unmute sorry i just want to oh, say real quick first. it was andrew cuomo that first introduced the legal liability shield that uh republicans adopted to use for pfizer Uh, yeah, so I basically just wanted to raise a couple of things about perception and um, and our response to it. I'll, I'll be really quick. The um, if we if we think about um, Dominic Strauss Kahn, who was he? He was the head of the IMF, International Monetary Fund, at the point of the two thousand and eight um, financial collapse. He was the only establishment figure to go against the narrative of bank bailouts. And he was also running against Sarkozy, the French president's uh, for, the, for the presidential run. He was likely to take it. As soon as he took that stance, he was arrested in New York on charges of rape against a um, hotel um, employee, uh, a maid. Now, all that all that needed to happen was that that happened, and it took him out of the presidential race. It stripped him of his position in the IMF and it took him completely out of the political running. And that was its purpose. The case never made it to court. It collapsed because she was an unreliable witness. Essentially, one of the versions of the narrative is that it was essentially a fit up because he had threatened the, the establishment by saying we shouldn't deal with the financial crisis like this because it doesn't make economic mass sense and isn't the best way out. Iceland as a nation demonstrated that by going bankrupt um, and you'll never read anything about this in, in, in the Guardian or any other paper because it's been suppressed and it proved uh, what Strauss-Kahn was saying. Now when it comes to Jimmy Dore as a hit piece, who is he? He's a guy who gets paid for commentating on news. He's not a journalist, he just picks things that come up in the news and then commentates on them with a slant a lot like Russell Brand. Right now, he his utility is that he's entertaining with it. He can be educational, and also he has a growing audience, and that makes him the threat. So, what do you do? You find the thing that attacks him, and takes him, makes him distasteful to the largest segment of his audience. In this case, it's begun with his impersonal employment terms, which alienate him from his working class audience. If his working class audience read this hit piece, what about Julian Assange? Okay, one of the biggest threats to the system ever, ever, is a single man who was acting as a journalist. And then what happened? He was fitted up on accusations of rape, which never met um, the test of, of, he was never charged. And the women who were supposedly accusing him never accused him of rape, right? Now the Swedish prosecutor looked at it, talked to him, and, and, and just said there's no case to be answered here. And seven years later, a different Swedish prosecutor brought this up 
and, and then weaponized it at the behest of the US backed up by the UK. Why? Because by that point, Vault 7 WikiLeaks hacks, um, WikiLeaks had done the Vault 7 thing against the CIA, which basically, basically sealed his fate um, amongst other things. Now, what I'm saying here is that we're looking and constantly dealing with people being taken in and out of the limelight in ways that are in line with the degree of threat. So Strauss-Kahn was a threat to the global system. They used sex crimes against him and they didn't even stick. They just needed to take him out of view. Jimmy Dore, not such a big threat, but, but has a clear um, growing uh, audience. This will happen to Russell Brand soon, I'm sure of it. And so what they've, what have they done? They've attacked him in a way, the beginning of an attack, something out that will grow from here probably. And then Julian Assange, right, well, he is going to die in prison or he's going to go through a completely false set of charges, which are treason, espionage, and essentially being held liable for doing the work of journalists. Literally, Seymour Hersh has just done the same thing as Julian Assange. Nobody's, nobody's trying to go after Seymour Hersh for any of the stuff he ever did. Now, this is the bit that gets unpopular. And I, this is not a defence. This is the key thing to question in your own brain. If you ever thought that Julian Assange was an absolutely vile person because he was supposedly accused of rape and that's put you off ever paying him attention and now he's about to die, but he's the one man in the world who's ever been proven to tell 100% truth in everything he's published, he embodies exactly what you want every journalist to be. We couldn't ask for a better journalist in inverted commas than him and yet almost none of us support him and some of us have rejected him because we read in a paper that he was accused of rape which is actually wrong it wasn't and i'll just give i'll just give you how powerful this is nils meltzer the un rapporteur special rapporteur for torture who is an international criminal lawyer literally said this about assange okay I remember it was just before Christmas. I saw this message pop up on my screen and swiped it away immediately. I had this intuitive reaction. What does this guy want? He's a rapist, a narcissist, a hacker. This isn't serious, so I just discarded it, right? Now, he, he had to, three months later, he was contacted again, and eventually he, he did actually bother to look beyond his own gut feeling. And that's when he realized, holy shit, I have been completely wrong and Nils Meltzer has supported Assange and, re and has completely said this is complete a complete fit up. Now, this is the unpopular bit. Move to Ritter. There are people in this chat who literally go, Ritter's a convicted pedo. pedo. So he, A, he must be a convicted pedo. And B, I'm not, I, I, I will never listen to anything he's got to say. And, and all I need to do is see that he was convicted pedo or something of sex nature on Wikipedia. And that takes him out of my purview forever. Right now, the thing about Ritter is this to put him into context. He is like an earlier Julian Assange. He had he was a total threat to the total establishment in Iraq. And he was proven to be right to the point the UN literally said America and everyone involved with it have literally committed crimes. This is the most false war that could have been, according to the UN, right? That's how bad uh, it was, and that's how dangerous Ritter was. Now, Ritter's version of events, of what's happened to him, how he got treated, and what all the charges were, are totally different to what 
Wikipedia will tell you or the New York Post's report before before his trial completed. And the problem is this. The whole hit on Assange or Dominic Strauss-Kahn or Ritter, if that's what it was, has been positioned at the most vile end because they are the biggest threats to the system. They have been you well, hit with times. Well, I just and, want and to say something really people quick. Just drawing back for a sec and saying, is it worth me just reading Ritter's version or watching Ritter's account? Because because if you cannot afford him that five minutes, right? Well, I just you are wanna... nothing but a slave to the narrative that you read in on Wikipedia. Well, wait a second. I just want to make something very clear. I think most of the people in this chat support Julian Assange. Like, for one. I, I just want to make that very clear. Um, again, in, in reference to this in, this situation with Scott Ritter, like, I don't know enough about it. I Like, again, I just found out about this this week. Um, but the Libertarian Party put out a statement confirming it. That happened this week. In fact, let me pull it up because it's on their homepage. Um, let me go ahead. Okay. Statement from the Libertarian Party. Here we go. Okay. In reference to Scott Ritter, it says, Scott Ritter is not a libertarian and we would prefer that he stay home from the rally as he originally proposed when event coordinators first um, confronted him about his criminal history. Libertarians hold as sacred saint the rights of children to be free from abuse his criminal convictions are despicable and contradict our values in addition to his crimes over the weekend he declared that he is not anti-war which directly contradicts the purpose of the rally we think this event would be more successful without his involvement and your support for true anti-war activists will ensure their message is elevated to ring loudest and clearest in Washington. So that's the statement from the Libertarian Party on their home page. Yeah, okay, so there's two parts to that. Essentially, he says he's not anti-war. If you listen closely, if you actually listen to his own full statements about what he means when he says he's not anti-war, it's actually relatively cogent and sens sensible because he's essentially saying, I don't think anybody should be conducting war, but there is a point in life and human nature where when events certainly happen, basically you end up in a war. And once the, once you cross that line, if you, you try your hardest to not cross the line, but once occasionally it does cross that line, you have to be capable of fighting a war, otherwise your nation will be killed. And so therefore, as a, as a trained Marine and all of his rest of his military background, if, if he says, if the US was invaded, I would stand there and fight a war to defend my nation. So he can't say that he's anti-war, right? But obviously, if you want to be saying, I'm anti-war, that would actually technically mean that you would end up beyond neutral the neutrality of Japan, 
right, potentially beyond the neutrality of Japan, where you disarm yourself or you don't even fight when somebody comes at you because you are, a, right. you are essentially I, Gandhi. I'm, I'm sorry. I get all of that. But the problem is he posted the statement on Twitter as a reply to the announcement that he was a speaker for the rally. Rage Against yeah, but- the War Machine, let me finish, Rage Against the War Machine tweeted out that he was going to be a speaker. His response, unlike others, his response was, to be fair, I'm not anti-war. The next day, he posted another tweet that said he is a friend of Israel. Do you see the problem? He does not agree with the demands of the rally. But he does agree with most of the demands of the rally, which is why I shoved it in the chat. He does. But you need to agree with all of them. That's the point of having, as but someone you, who's an organizer. I bet you most of the people in that don't agree with absolutely some, all of them. That's, but listen, this is a problem. As someone who is an organizer, the point of having demands is to bring people out to the rally that agree with the demands and you need to have speakers that also agree with the demands. If they don't agree with the demands, you don't. Th- there's no point of having demands. That's the thing. Okay. So, what, so what he's all, if that's the what, case, then you can have anyone just speak at this rally. Right, okay, hang on. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. What I'm saying is he did himself in. Nobody told him to tweet that out. Nobody told him to tweet that he was anti-war. Nobody told him to tweet the next day that he's a friend of Israel. How are you a friend of Israel with what's happening with the Palestinian people? And you want to speak at an anti-war rally? I, I think what he gets confused because uh, Jimmy was on, um, he was on JB's show. He said he welcomes people at the rally. I don't think, he, I don't think he was talking about speakers, but he said he had to agree with at least one. But, but I don't know if there's a different, um, a different uh, agreement with with the people if you have to basically talk at the rally. Uh, this is, the- this is. So this is a problem with the organizing. And I will say this again, I will be covering this rally. So when I get back, we're going to talk about the pros and the cons, just like I did with the Julian Assange rally. And one thing I'm going to say, I'm I'm letting you know right now is this. As an organizer, if I'm organizing and I have a list of demands, the first thing that I'm going to do, if you're a speaker, is I'm going to ask you, do you agree with these demands? sign off on it and say that you agree. If you don't agree, then you don't need to be speaking, bud. You don't need to be speaking. One of the demands is to end all the wars. But that's different to end this war. But that's different for if somebody wants to come see the protest, right? They can't stop. That's the thing. They can't stop people from coming to see the protest. But the speakers were invited to speak. And and there's another thing I will say about the speakers, too. And I'm I talked a little bit about this the other day. I was very surprised that, and I've already spoken to people, so I already know if they were invited or not. I was very surprised that there weren't more anti-war. Why did they not reach out to more people of color? For example, why wasn't Danny Haifong, Margaret Kimberly, Anybody from Black Power Media, all these people are anti-war voices. Anyone from Black Power Media. Kim Brown lives in Baltimore, Maryland. Why wasn't Kim Brown invited to come speak at this rally? It's it's a close drive for her. You know, things like that. Like, it's just 
when I look at the list of the speakers, you know, some of the criticism, which has been made by black people and white people, some of the criticism is that how come it's like 20 something white speakers, where are all the black people? Where are all the black anti-war voices? And there's plenty of people that could have been added to this. Where is Cornell West? They don't know how to reach Cornell West. Someone could have contacted me. I would tell, I would have reached out to Cornell West. Like it's things like that. Like when I went to the Assange rally, it was not this way. The Assange rally, again, that was organized by a different group, but you see the difference. If you look at the speakers at the Assange rally and you look at the speakers from this rally, the Assange rally, there were definitely more black speakers, way more black speakers. And I'm curious to see as well, why weren't those people contacted? Like, and I know, and I know who was contacted. I know who was not contacted, by the way. I've already had these discussions. So I know that the people at Black Power Media were not reached out to, and that is very disappointing. And Mist when Misty came on, Misty said they wanted to only have big names. Nah, like, des describe big. Describe big names, because I'm sorry, like, I think Margaret Kimberly is a pretty big name. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you can't just, and, and then now, if you try to go and invite more black people, now it's kind of messed up because they're going to look at the list of speakers and be like, oh, hell no. You waited until you invited all the white people and now you want to bring me in? Yeah. Um, the, um, so who organized this again now? That was in, in charge of inviting people? It's, it's the Libertarian Party and the People's Party. The, the Libertarian yeah. Party said that in the um, notice, too. They said, okay. I think they basically kind of like uh, passively, aggressively said, basically, the People's Party invited him because we were each allowed to invite our own people and we would prefer he not show up. Okay, so, all right, so, all right. Um, so let's make a, let me make a connection here. You was what you was talking about before, um, rewinding the clock when you said with Bernie Sanders refused to embrace uh, reparations because he didn't want to lose white base, so on and so forth, right? You gotta remember who was in his camp, in his campaign that was helping to do all of this organizing. But the one and only Nick Brana, right? Okay, so one of the so before when Moon was talking about um I, I forgot who it was when they, they well, wait a minute I'm sorry wait a minute Roger he had black organizers in his campaign too he had Teslin Figueroa yes, in his campaign true, true, Nina true, Turner was a part of his campaign so was Danny Glover and so was Cornell West that's true that's true but I'm just going back to just when I mentioned to Nick Brana about hey what about um reparations for your for the uh, one person party and he gave me all these excuses of whatever the case is okay so now I'm hearing okay he's organizing this thing and you're saying he didn't invite any black people you know what I'm saying so it, a, a record is being established here with this dude about how he feels about black people you know what I mean and that was, you know, just going back to when the person was mentioning about um, Tim Black, when, you know, me, me and him used to speak. Um, 
he told me the stuff about uh, uh, Nick Brown a while back, but you know, it was just like, but it was just like, he's just like, nah, man, that, like, stuff that black people, like, I guess like Renee Johnson and, and so on and so forth, who was, um, who, who were trying to help movement for a people's party or whatever the case is, was trying to get their things done and put into the platform. Um, they got shoved aside. Okay. So I personally, I personally would not have joined an organization that didn't have a black agenda. I wouldn't have joined the organization and said, okay, let's try to add a black. No, if you didn't have one, I wouldn't have joined. And people can say whatever they want about the green party, but the green party actually had reparations on their platform. So I personally would not have done that. Right. But, 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 but what was, they thought the, the the brothers and sisters who were there. They thought that they were they that they were going to be um, the ones deemed or responsible with coming. All right, we're going to do like a include the black agenda in this, okay? And then when they came up with one, they was this you know uh, Nick Brown was just like, oh no, nah, we're not going to do that now, whatever. So then they stepped. They bounce. It's like, nah, I, I'm not fucking with these guys. They, they're not serious about, you know, they just want to, you know, do what's popular and do what's safe and so on and so forth. So they did kind of do what you're, what, what, what you're saying. But I no, guess they- no. If there isn't a black agenda, a part of it at the very beginning, that means you're an afterthought. Right. No, and I understand. This I is think- right. So, but this is something, if you can put the policies up there that benefit white people, you can put the policies up there that benefit black people. And if you don't have that, then that means that to you, black people's needs are an afterthought. So I personally would have not joined an organization that was about that jazz. That's just, that's just me personally. So my whole thing is, is this, that like, this has been a recurring issue, Roger. Mm -hmm. This has been a recurring issue. Why am I looking at the list until tonight when Cynthia McKinney was confirmed as a speaker until tonight, there were only two black speakers. Where is Reverend Annie Chambers, who comes to everything, by the way, everything. She was at the Assange rally. Where is Margaret Kimberly? Where is Cornell West? Where is also Asian people? Where is Danny Haifong? Like, where's these are people that talk about foreign policy all the time and they are anti-war. Where is any of the 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 journalists from black media, black power media? Where are those people? Like, this is ridiculous. Here's absolutely to consider when you talk about Nick Brana as his being the representative of the People's Party and the Libertarian Party without a national movement, anti-war movement already in motion, you're talking about two relatively um, non-national players trying to create this event. And frankly, they probably just did not have the reach to really do it. And what they were depending upon was getting a few big names out there and then those names being the the pull to get other people in. And so it would be a look a whole different way if we were like in the 60s where there was a big uprising against the Vietnam War and you said, well, let's have an anti-war rally. That's a different context to create a national um, movement 
or speaking event about it than it is now when you just have these two, like I say, it's neither the Democrats or the Republicans, which is what everybody leans into, but you have Nick Browner, who's controversial, and you have the Libertarians who lean into a type of Republican forum and they decide to coordinate this thing. There will be another anti-war rally, I think, that will speak to a more a broader expanse of things. But getting back to Gator's original point, there is a, 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 a system that if it is threatened from any legitimate space, it is going to seek to destroy people. Now, I'm not going to add in the Scott Ritter piece because that may be here or there, but I, I say consistently, if you pose a threat to this order, it is going to respond one way or the other. And, and I do believe, um, the whole thing that, um, door is being, you know, they're trying to focus on him because 2024 is coming up. The force the vote thing got him into the space where they understand he could be a threat to the two party thing. Because what he is clear about is he is not advocating for Democrats or Republicans and there has to be a third way. But his being proven right with the force to vote thing registered him on that threat scale. So they're going to come after him because they know that if there's significant energy around anything that's non-bipartisan or non-duopoly, it registers as some type of a threat. But to be fair, Brianna Joy Gray was also right about force the vote, you know, and I, I know she gets attacked a lot too, but. And Brianna Joy Gray helped Jimmy. to establish that Jimmy was right because she has a different parlance and she has a different command of the logic, but it was her coming out saying, well, yeah, Jimmy was right. That helped establish, yeah, that Jimmy was right. But the real proof was what the Republicans did when they politically gained power and leverage over McCarthy. And it's like, okay, that proves that Jimmy was right. And that's why it's like, okay, we don't need this happening as we approach 2024. And the attacks will probably come to RBN too, because RBN is speaking to that very base, you know, revolutionary thing. And and it's just not to be tolerated. Oh, we've been attacked since day one. <laughs> we've been attacked since day one. Um, but again, like, we're not as big as as some of the other people. Like I said, pay attention, guys. Notice how some people in this space, you never see them get attacked. And I'm talking about people who are bigger than us. You never see them get attacked. And you need to start asking yourselves why. Because they're not railing against that two-party thing. They're in the orbit. They're in that Democrat orbit. They're the sycophants and shields. And those are the ones who they're probably using to try and infiltrate these others who are clearly not given to a or the other party a binary choice. 
those are the ones they're going to be going after depending upon which side they feel that that third party voice could pull from just like they did with Ross Perot. Mm. All right, guys, I'm heading out. It is late. It's way past my bedtime. The roosters are crowing already. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say really quick? Um, Savvy, I was going to I sent you an email, but um, I'll send, I don't want to send you too many, but I'll send you another one about a couple of local issues in Seattle and also Philadelphia. I want you to help find people to contact or if you 